professional wrestling yes it's the Jim Cornette experience and today we'll have a recap of the most exciting week in AEW history we'll check out the folks in wrestling that are currently behind bars and we'll have an anime update and more frivolity and joining me Hawaiian Brian the podcasting lion the king of the Arcadian Vanguard podcast network Mr. Co-host to you the man who will be conducting an independent third-party investigation of this podcast so he gets to go to at least three parties. The great Brian Last, everybody. Aloha, Jim. A pleasure to be here once again. I will not be conducting the investigation, but I certainly have investigators that work for me, so we'll see what happens. But You're you're just going to go to the parties without conducting the investigation. I think it'll be a wonderful party until uh, people discover what's going to come out in Discovery, and then they're going to flip out. Well, you know, Discovery, that's a heck of a channel. On my TV, they found Bigfoot. Anyway. I wonder what they're going to find in this investigation discovery. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> we will talk about uh, all of those things here on the program. Brian, I've got, I'm, I'm flusterated after this morning, though. I'm flusterated. I went out in public this morning. I went out, I needed to make a Sprite Zero run. I did it very early. So I, I get out and about before most of the, uh, the folks are, are out and about. And, you know, I'm, I may have mentioned this in the past, but I've been trying to get Black Beauty, my, my beautiful Ford Expedition that served me so well. I've been trying to get Black Beauty to 300,000 miles. Because, like, three years ago, before the pandemic, I was at, like, 297,500 miles. And I said, when I get to 300,000 miles, I'm going to get me a brand new vehicle. And then that, since I don't plan to drive another 300,000 miles in my life, that'll be the last vehicle I ever have to buy, right? No matter how long I live. Because I've had this one for 15 years. And I'm trying to stick to that because I've made a promise to myself. Now, I did buy Stacy a new car here, what, four, five, six months ago, whatever it was, because she's going back and forth to her back doctor. She takes harley to her vet appointments and her grooming it's the family she needs reliable transportation i don't intend to go any farther than two miles from the house for the rest of my life so i'm willing to put up with a few inconveniences but i looked at um my uh, uh odometer today and i'm still only at 298,989 i've put like 15, 1,600 miles on this vehicle in the last, what, two and a half years. And it seems like I'm never going to get to the 300,000, but I'm starting to endure more inconveniences. I just had the wiper blades replaced because the wiper blades had fallen off. And I haven't had the car washed since November of 2019. And the air conditioning and heat, the, the fan... The fan, regardless of what you got on, air conditioning or heat or whatever, 
the fan has been stuck on high for about the past two years. And I've got a few sensor lights on. Now, it's not sensing that anything's wrong of a major way. It's sensing that the sensor is bad and the sensor needs replaced. And then I've also got holes that I've found that are rusted (laughs) in the bottom of the passenger and driver's side doors. You can stick your hand all the way up inside the door from the bottom on each side. I mean, these are giant holes that are, I guess, you know, that does take a lot of weathering down there. And the most recent thing that happened was I went to get out of the truck, Brian, and as I opened my door, the door handle came off in my hand. So now, when I go somewhere, when I get to where I'm going and I pull in the parking space, I have to roll my window down, unlock my door, open the door from the inside. I'm sorry, but reach out and open the door through the open window from the from the inside to the outside. And then bring my hand back in and roll the door or the window back up. I'm screwing this whole thing up. See, I haven't got this procedure down yet. I got to roll the goddamn window down. I got to reach out. I got to unlock the door. Then I got to reach out and open the door from the outside. Then I've got to roll the window back up. And then I got to turn the car off and take the key out to get out of the out of the car. Should I wait another 1100 yes 1000 1100 miles that's going to be like another year year and a half at this rate you keep saying roll down the windows you don't have old school well no it's a power window but i I got to roll down the window to reach out through the open window to open the door so you lower the window outside i lower the window well i roll it down that's what you call it well when you had a thing to roll around you don't have the thing to roll around so you're lowering it you're not rolling it well, the phones don't have dial anymore, but you <laughs> dial a number. It's it's goddamn terminology that stands the test of time, let's <laughs> say. You roll the window down, regardless of how the fuck the contraption is that makes the window go down, yeah. you're rolling your car window down. I wish I had my clicker to change this channel right now. It will get, or a gimmick. If you had the gimmick, you could change the channel. Give me the give me the clicker gimmick. But it, what should I, should I get a new car? I think you should get a new car, but I think you should spoil yourself. If this is going to be the last car you ever get for the rest of your life, get something, you know, kind of fancy. Get like a sports car. What? No. Are you out of your mind? Do you? I have been driving a Ford Expedition for the past 15 years, for the past 300,000 miles, right? If I get in a regular car now, I feel like I'm riding down the road in a roller skate. I'm going to get the same. I'm going to get the Ford Expedition because that way, if I ever do have to go anywhere, because I don't fly, I can put all the shit that I need for however long I need to be gone in that thing. And also, I've got weight through snow and sleet and driving rain. I always get the fucking all weather tires and I've got weight and I got four wheel drive. I'm not going to get stuck anywhere. And I've got size. So I got, I've got some fucking height on people so I can see over things. And I've got size to protect me in case some idiot decides to goddamn run into me. 
That's that's what I'm going for, yeah. is I'm going for safety. You made me think of something when you talked about having enough space, enough room to take whatever you need with you, wherever you need to go, for whatever reason you need to get on the road and go. Yeah. You've seen all those Charles Bronson films like Death Wish and Death Wish 2 and 3 and perhaps 4. 4 and 5 yeah. and 6. Yeah, they started going downhill. Do you think you would be good beyond all your, all the people you legitimately hate? They're all kind of like one-offs. But do you think you'd be good as a general vigilante? What, just in general? In general. Do you have just, the skills to be like a city vigilante? Just, you know, you're, you're breaking the law. Get, but How did you get this from a fucking SUV where I can take all my goddamn possessions wherever I need them to go? So, so I can go and be a vigilante? Where did this come up? I'm trying to book it and, and no. I'm trying to book the, the rest of your life right now. Well, yeah, well, leave your hands off the rest <laughs> of my fucking life. I've got it booked. I've got plenty to do already. But no, I wouldn't be. I'm not going to fucking involve myself in other people's petty problems and disputes. I wouldn't be able to work up a good sense of goddamn anger against some fucking knucklehead, some random idiot that had done something to somebody else let them vigilante that motherfucker have you ever seen the people they they call i think they're called like real life superheroes as silly as that sounds but they're adults who dress in like superhero garb i don't know if it's latex or what it is i think there was someone in seattle i saw a piece about they just hang out in like bad areas of town in the shadows because they're in this ridiculous outfit and they wait for Something happened, and then they run out, and they, like, try to save the day, and usually, oh, no. and usually it ends up being charged with assault for punching people in the face. <laughs> <laughs> because even if you declare yourself a superhero, you don't have a fucking badge. <laughs> you don't have a license to be a superhero in this state. Are you kidding? You got to go to Frankfurt and get a PL-547 form and fill that out. No, I thought where you were going with that was I thought that they dress in superhero costumes, and then... Go to like children's hospitals and wash the windows like Spider-Man or whatever. I've seen that. I didn't know they. Can you imagine some dipshit <laughs> dressed as Spider-Man going to the fucking hood, hiding in the shadows, waiting to break up a fucking crack deal? No, you're not getting it. They're not dressing as famous superheroes. They develop their own superhero characters. No. Yes, they give themselves their own superhero names and they have designs like I guess they're not just vigilantes, they're also expert designers. They come up with their own outfits. Yeah, they're not doing, like, cosplay. They're the real deal. They're real-life so, superheroes. So the next day on the news, uh, Broccoli Man was found dead in Central Park. His head was chopped off with ranch dressing strewn around him. You would have to be the worst real-life superhero ever, the idiot <laughs> of all time, to be Broccoli Man. Well, I, you're just have, screaming to get shot. You'd have to be a complete idiot to make up your own goddamn superhero costume and go to the hood and try to break up a crack. Maybe they might even be, if they're fucking high on crack, Spider-Man might intimidate them. But fucking Dachshund Man? What the, you well, know, what the I, fuck? I found something here. And by the way, thank you for talking about your car. I don't know why that led us down this road. Yeah, I've become a vigilante. What did Charles Bronson didn't even have a fucking SUV. They didn't have SUVs back in those days. On Wikipedia, real-life superhero is a person who dresses up in a superhero costume or mask in order to perform community service, such as neighborhood watch, or in some cases, vigilanteism. 
And then it has here, hold on, let me go down. And they get to cops called on them more than they solve crimes because people are calling 911 <laughs> going, there's some fucking idiot dressed in a goddamn pair of pajamas climbing well, on my neighbor's roof. Apparently some of it is cosplay because in Canada, again, this is all from Wikipedia. I'm not, I haven't done heavy research yet. I have a feeling we're going to get some emails about this. There's a Spider-Man of Winnipeg. Oh, geez. He dons a classic Spider-Man costume and takes the full name and responsibilities of the character. It's Tony Candelo. Winnipeg Spider-Man <laughs> Spider leaves his house either during the day or in the middle of the night to patrol the streets in search of people in need or crimes to report to the police. Okay, so he's not getting involved. He notes he never intervenes in criminal activity. But well, until somebody pulls him into it. He only acts his eyes and ears, and he's in a Spider-Man costume. <laughs> Can you imagine you're mugging somebody, you turn around, there's someone in a Spider-Man costume watching you. Taking notes. There's uh, the Crimson Canuck of Windsor, what? Ontario. Doesn't have any other details about him. There's Polar Man. He shovels snow off sidewalks <laughs> <laughs> and keeps playgrounds safe for children during the day and patrols the streets for criminals at night. Wearing a black balaclava? A black balaclava? Baklava. That's not baklava. Baklava's a dish. Well, I mean, it's not... I'm sure one of these superheroes has become fucking Sausage Man and he wears goddamn Polish sausages well, around his... Here are some of the American superheroes we have here. There's Phoenix Jones, who's a mixed martial artist who patrols Seattle, Washington. This, is the guy, this must be the guy I saw. In search of criminal activity in a bulletproof vest and stab plating. Initially wearing a ski mask to intervene in a public assault, Jones later developed a full costume and adopted the pseudonym. There's also Master Legend from Orlando. Of course he is. He's a member of the Justice Crusaders. <laughs> and... <laughs> do they, do they, is their clubhouse the Fortress of Solitude? What? I mean, I guess they have the right idea. I mean, the right intentions. The right intentions. Maybe not the right idea. They have the right intentions. They mean well. They mean well. That's what you're saying. That's right. And they need therapy. The squeegee Some man. Squeegee man? He fights grime and crime. <laughs> <laughs> In Manhattan, wearing a red mask and cape, he was reported as making a mock run for president in 2008. There's the Dark Guardian. I think, I, think I, I met him years ago. There, remember I told you about this long. I don't know if it's on the show or not, but my first trip to New York, Paul Lee wants to drive me around and show me the city and blah, blah, blah. And he's got that little car with, it's a little sports car. Like you want me to get like some goddamn dentist having a midlife crisis, get a fucking Corvette. With the, the headlights that folded in and out, right? They fold in. You remember those kind yeah, of cars. Of they were very sporty. Very nice. Well, we're driving down a street in the middle of New York, and this bum comes out and starts wiping the goddamn headlights, right? With some kind of rag or a piece of newspaper or whatever. I'm like, are we about to get mugged? I don't know what the fuck's going on in New York with this shit. I'm not used to this. I come from normal places. And Paulie says, nah, fuck, he's a bum. He wants a quarter. And he hits the fucking button and closes his, his headlights on the guy's hand. And the guy's like, and he can't get his rag out. And, and then I said, Paul, let him have his goddamn. 
and he opens them back up and we're at a red light, by the way. And then, so he's, he, the guys washed the fucking headlights. So I'm fishing in my pocket, trying to find a quarter. I think I had a dollar. I'm going to give him a dollar. I start to roll the window down. The light changes and Paul roars off and fucking leaves him in a cloud of fucking soot. I said, but we didn't give him his dollar. He fucking cleaned the headlights for us. Well, two things. One, Paulie may have been a conscientious New Yorker because you don't want to encourage this sort of behavior. And secondly... Well, apparently it was already fucking encouraged here. He just boldly went right up and did it without being asked. Well, secondly, if you think that's the actual squeegee man of squeegee man, the superhero fame, I'm sure we have more than one squeegee man here in the tri-state Well, no, I'm thinking that's what, you know, that's what prompted him to get a squeegee because he said, fuck, that goddamn hurt my hand. I'll get a squeegee. And if they close on the squeegee, I got some space there, some distance. That wasn't where I thought you were going to go. When you said you met him in New York and you must have told me about it, I thought you were going to say like, oh, he came to Ring of Honor one time, squeegee man. No, no, this is long ago. This was like 1985. He's been practicing 85? for a long time, Squeegee Man. 85 is where I first went up there, right? 85 or early 86. Are you talking about before Paulie was managing? Like when you yeah, came? Yeah, yeah. I didn't realize you rode around with Paulie before you worked with Paulie. No, that's, uh, it may have been, no, it wasn't after the Meadowlands. We were in, we went to a spot show somewhere in New York and ended up staying in, in the city for whatever, the first time we came up for Crockett. And he, Paul was doing the photography at that point. And then he came uh, to the Meadowlands in February of 86, first time we were up there, and shot those pictures of uh, me in the midnight when we had just won the world tag belts in the locker room there that had been circulated in various places. No, I knew, I knew Paul E. before he joined our fraternity when he was just a lowly photographer like I had been. Oh, long those three years before. And I guess to tie it back to our conversation, you don't want to be stuck in a car like that if someone in a car like yours is coming right at them. Yeah, I've, I've got everybody on the fucking road except for the goddamn trucks. I've got all the passenger vehicles fucking intimidated coming down the road in, in black beauty, right? I want to keep it that way. These people need to stay far away from me. They don't know what they're doing, drivers. These They don't use their left and right turn indicators. Have you ever noticed everybody that goes slower than you are is an idiot and everybody that goes faster than you are is a maniac? Have you ever noticed that? No, everyone goes slower than me, so I haven't really noticed that too well, much. Well, then they're all idiots. But every once in a while, you'll find a maniac. And then the people that follow too closely. And the people that follow too far back. And blah, blah, blah. You got you to have protection around you for all these people that don't pay attention you see wrecks all the time. Do you think it should be a national law that any multi-lane highway, the leftist most lane or the most left lane, I guess is the way we would say it, should be the fast lane? Well, yes, because that's what it is. That is the law. The left lane is the fast lane. You say it's the law like you won't get a speeding ticket if you're going fast in that lane. Well, no, that you're, you're going to get a speeding ticket if you go faster than the speed limit, but that is still the fast, that is where you are supposed to pass. That is where if you are going to dick around like Grandma Moses on Somas, going 40 miles an hour in a 55 mile an hour zone, stay to the right so that everybody can blow past you and give you the finger. See, there'd be a lot less road rage if people just followed common sense etiquette. You're going to be a dick, stay over to the right. If you need to get where you're going, stay over to the left. If you want to just 
drive the speed limit and be unmolested, the middle lane is the place you should be. How about left lane speed limit 85? No, that's ridiculous. Why? Because, let me explain something to you, as Deputy Barney Fife would say. Say the speed limit's 60, but we give you five miles an hour, you're going 65. You go 65 today, tomorrow it'll be 70. We give you 70, you go 75 the next day. We give you 75 the day, you're going to go 80. And see where I'm going with this. So if you tell people it's absolutely okay to do 85, they're going to do 100. So you tell people in the left lane, you get maybe five miles an hour extra. Maybe you get 75, because then they're going to do 80. Based on Barney Fife. Based on Barney Fife. It's the Fife metric of <laughs> speeding and law enforcement. Why does everything lead back to Don Knotts with you? Because Don Knotts was a smart motherfucker. If people lived their lives more like Don Knotts did, they'd be better off. All right, we've right, somehow my car problems made me a vigilante, which led to people dressing up like Spider-Man trying to stop crack, and, uh, and then we finished up with Don Knotts. So as we move on furtherward, I will note, you know this is a special week, Brian. It's a big week coming up. Not only because of the independent investigations, but also this needs no investigation. It is a stone-cold fact. It is, it is absolutely accepted fact around the world my birthday is next saturday september 17th a magic day and to commemorate this occasion the occasion that i was brought forth that i was that i was inflicted upon the world uh the next action figure armageddon begins on exactly the same day this coming saturday september 17th at noon eastern at jimcornette.com for my birthday. All the stars are lining up, Brian. People are going to be giving me birthday wishes and birthday gifts in 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 large numbers because we've we figured out the perfect way to do it this year. Folks, you buy me a Jim Cornette action figure for my birthday, and I will send you a free action figure. It's perfect. Not only my Debut Raw outfit from 1993, the pink and red suit that I made my debut on WWF Monday Night Raw, the day that hell froze over. That one, of course, comes with glasses, microphone, tennis racket, and my erstwhile autograph across the front. There's less than 1,500 of these going to be available, and the last variant, the bloody variant, went fast. So jump in where you can, but and for Christmas, and I'm actually putting them on sale on September 17th, which means I have time to sign all these before Christmas. So you'll have it in your greasy little hands. Santa Corny, the brand new Christmas variant, the changed up red and green colors, the deluxe paint job, the glasses, the microphone, and the matching tennis racket, and a Santa hat. Because Santa Corny is festive this year for the holiday season. And I can bah humbug the autograph, or I can make it festive for the occasion with love and season's greetings. It's just up to you and where it's going. If you want to piss in somebody's post-toasties for Christmas, get them a bah humbug Santa corny. 
But uh, again, Hotchkiss Featherbottom is back in good health and ready to face this onslaught Saturday, September 17th, noon Eastern, exactly is when they all go on sale. There's left less than 1,500 each. These designs will not be remade. So these are them. And I remind everyone that you can see pictures of them right now. If you go to jimcornette.com, there's banners on the homepage with deluxe photos of me and in my pink. I'm in the pink, Brian, uh, for my birthday and my Christmas colors. So there we have that. Which which one is is your favorite? I like the old classy Jim Cornette wearing three piece suits. Oh come on! Some jewelry. I, we'll have to it, we'll have to have a whole new mold made if I if I'm going to have a vest. So I get the the vest will will come you know much later. It takes so long to get these things. I and you know the thing is the Santa hat. The Santa hat looks jaunty on me, and it's just the right size too. If you, you know, if you want to take the Santa hat out of the package and put it on Mr. Johnson, it's, it's just about the oh, right stop. size. I don't know why you have to go down that road. I wonder if people are going to use it like an elf in the shelf this year and take pictures of it around Christmas time in various places of their house. Yes. Elf on a shelf, minch on a bench. We, we tried to figure out the other week when, 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 uh, Rhea Ripley was carrying Dominic Mysterio out of the out of the arena, we tried to, you know, and somebody came up with the perfect answer, Dom on a Dom. So you, there you go. <laughs> that is a good answer. <laughs> but anyway, we got a couple of shout-outs here. Um, Jordan from Joliet, Quebec, not Illinois, but Joliet, Quebec. Jordan um, just lost his older brother this past week uh, to an overdose, and he just, uh, you know, wrote us to say thanks for bringing laughter to him during, you know, a obviously hard time in his life. But Jordan, we wanted to send our condolences to you on the loss of your brother and hope that, you know, things get better soon. And also, uh, not only from Joliet, Quebec to Kingston, Ontario, Steve wrote in and, uh, I'm going to paraphrase because, again, you know, Steve has had issues with his, in his life over the past couple of years. He lost his job after COVID hit, then his house, then he got in a car accident. Um, his stepfather passed away due to cancer. His mother's health is deteriorating. And now he just found out he's getting sued for the car wreck that he was in. So... Apparently, through all of this, Brian, for whatever reason, he gets a tickle out of the odd opinions you have on food, like pizza and cheesesteaks and things of that nature. And he does say he will always agree with me first and Brian last, because New York-style pizza is caca. <laughs> I was just feeling bad for this guy. Now you got us in a feud. No, no, no. And also, James wrote in. Uh, and he didn't say where he's from. And there's a lot of people named James. I won't read his whole email, but James, it is you. Uh, he's, he's struggled with a lot of problems. And again, this time his life has experienced a major turnaround. He's doing better. And he's been listening to our show at the same time and somewhat credits that. Uh, I'd like to take all the credit, but another one. 
from Austin. And this, uh, we read an email from Austin, I guess almost a year ago. It was about last October about his dad. He had lost his dad and was uh, doing, you know, having problems. And then uh, he lost his dog also. But things have changed drastically. Listen to this for a more positive message. He fell in love. He got engaged. He's expecting a baby boy this December. Actually, he's not. Apparently, his fiance is. Now, I can't wait to watch wrestling with him, and he is hearing your voices in the womb when we play the podcast when my fiance naps. Uh, he's finally found a beautiful new home. They have two Dalmatians. He's starting a new job this week. He's also in school, so he can work for a fire department. He's been out of the Navy for two and a half years, and things are settling down now and going in the right direction. And I'm actually kind of pissed because this greedy prick took all the good luck. A while back, we were crying over him, sending him sympathy, and now he has stolen everybody else's good luck. He fell in love. He got engaged. He's having a baby. Two new dogs, a new place to live, a new job. He's getting out of school. What's Leave something for somebody else, Austin, for heaven's sake. Anyway, we wish all those people the best, don't we, Brian? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Thank you very much. And my food hey. tastes are not odd. They're quite normal and smart. No, I'm not even going to get into it because we, we've got big things going on. There is a crime wave currently in the world of professional wrestling. Brian, you've heard about this. There's People are having brushes with the law, flaunting authority, being taken down, arrested, imprisoned, etc., etc. There's a few of these things going on. I figure we ought to make mention of just to make sure that the people know it's not safe out there. There's criminals everywhere you look. Apparently, this past week, a dangerous felon has been taken off the streets of Canada. Actually, he was taken off the streets of Canada a few weeks ago, and now apparently he's been released back onto the streets of Canada, but with supervision. Our old friend, that we've occasionally made mockery of in the past when he's done something bizarre. Hannibal, his actually real name, apparently, according to the authorities, Devin Nicholson, got arrested. Remember, folks, he's the guy that, I think last Christmas, last Christmas times when it was, for the holiday season, he took a spike and stabbed a referee in the head about, 25 times and sent him to the hospital. He almost bled out, had to have surgery to to uh, close the wounds up to the arteries and things of that nature. Uh, it was his fault. And and, and that is actually, uh, yes, that was, was that a sound bite from the actual uh, person? You do that so well. Uh, it wasn't my fault. He didn't know how to bleed. I'm the blood hunter. Well, apparently the blood hunter is not only hunting blood, but he's hunting a rap sheet because now he's been arrested again. What well, was he arrested for that? They called the cops. The cops were involved, but nobody could agree on a statement. But now he's been arrested, possibly justice delayed. In his home country this time. That last thing was in Texas. Yeah, last time he, I don't think he's darkened the Texas doorstep since then. I think he's stayed out of Texas, but now. He apparently is going to have to move to 
Switzerland is somewhere to get out of this because he was arrested in Ontario for assaulting a woman? Is this what I'm hearing? I have a report here by Mike Johnson, who was all over this story. He's the one who broke it. PWInsiderElite.com. Devin Hannibal Nicholson, arrested for assault, will stand trial next month. Independent wrestler Devin Hannibal Nicholson will stand trial on October 12th in Kingston, Ontario, Canada, on charges of assaulting a woman last month, PWInsider.com has confirmed. Nicholson has been incarcerated since being arrested and went before the Ontario Court of Justice this morning at 9 a.m. for a bail hearing. Uh, For the record, this was posted yesterday on Friday the 9th. His YouTube account shows he was in Kingston on the 20th with his girlfriend. He was originally listed on the court docket for August 29th, so the incident happened within that time frame. Nicholson has been released under the supervision of his parents (laughs) and must either stay with them or contact them daily, has been ordered to have no contact with the victim and will have to abide by a nightly curfew. And then it goes into some of the previous incidents of this buffoon's life. So he's not allowed out after dark, which, with Halloween coming up, that's the only day of the week that, or day of the year that he can go out and feel normal. So that's a shame. But the custody of his parents, is he not like 40 years old? Somewhere in that range, I would imagine. So the custody of his parents, I'm, does this, is this a Canadian thing because they're so polite? Or does this tell you that, as we have suspected in the past, there is something either mental or developmental occurring with Mr. Nicholson that he needs the supervision of adults, even though he is a 40-something-year-old adult? Well, what we have seen in the past is just unhinged behavior at various points. I mean, we talk about the Texas incident. We, we don't know what this story is, to be honest, and to even be fair. You know, it'll come before the court. I mean, we could all suspect different things, but we don't know what's going to happen yet. But it's not like this is it. You know, there have been tales of this guy having problems with all sorts of people throughout the years. He does a lot of work shoots, so people get confused of what's real and what isn't. You know, he's come after you and me at different points, and every time he's ended up looking like a fool. Well, it's a big deal to him that, that you know, he gets all these YouTube views, right? That he, that when he sees people getting more YouTube views, he goes ballistic. That's why I'm saying is he's on some kind of, or possibly needs to be on some kind of medication that sometimes he gets off of and goes in these spirals. This is a big deal to him, the the YouTube thing and the whole nine yards and and his wrestling persona. Remember, Selena De Laurenta, he was paying her and paying her trance and paying for an opponent to go to these independent shows so he could work his blood hunter gimmick and then she blew him off when he bled all over one of her expensive ring outfits didn't want to pay for that she and i believe the word she used was creep but he's just he's off that he thinks he he legitimately believes that he's a wrestling personality even though he gives these independent promoters you know, money and then headaches later, but he he doesn't charge him to work and he pays his managers and he pays his opponents so he can have his fantasy wrestling match and put it on his YouTube channel. And then if somebody 
brings up the fact that he sucks as a YouTube personality. He goes into a fury. I think there's something going on with the guy. Oh, yeah. Remember the first he, the first time I ever talked about how awful he was as a YouTube personality because, A, his voice is death. As Scott Cornish put it, he just got arrested for assault with a deadly weapon. His voice, his speaking voice. <laughs> but beyond that, you know, when you watch, for at least me, when I watch an interview with someone from wrestling, if I'm going to sit down and watch it, I want the person who's asking the questions to be informed. I don't want it to be someone reading off a list. I don't want it to be someone reading off Wikipedia. I want it to be someone who's actually informed and he doesn't know anything. I always am entertained by these people who love wrestling, become wrestlers, want to talk wrestling and know nothing. And that's what happened with him. And I called him out for that. He put up a video. <laughs> he put up a video of himself. It was audio with a still image of him shirtless with headgear on doing a double bicep pose, challenging me to either fight him or he's going to sue me. <laughs> he wanted me to meet him in a parking lot. I'm afraid of what he would want to do to me in a parking lot, this fucking creep. Or he'll sue me. It was the funniest thing, and then I made fun of him again for that, and I kept doing it with that dumb, dull voice that he fucking has from eating too many Well, that's true, because, hey, think about this. He's assaulted. First, he assaulted a referee. Then he assaulted a woman. And he's also assaulted everybody else's senses with his YouTube clips. <laughs> so. He's, and that's that's what he does. He's, he'll 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 read off Wikipedia. So I understand you uh, you won a title once. Oh yeah, you know the thing is, he was one of the first in the door. And you know when we first started going back and forth with him, he would be like, "Look at my numbers. Look at yours." And I looked at his numbers, and I realized, wow, at that point, it's like we have a little more than half of his subscribers and views, and we've been around for I think at that point it was less than a year and a half, and he had had like seven years already. I realized the trajectories, we're going to go past him and he's going to have a meltdown. And that's exactly what fucking happened. <laughs> and then we did and he did. Yeah. And that's the thing. His quality is content, but he was first in the door. You know, it's kind of like Hannibal's kind of like the cult cabana of wrestling YouTube because he was doing content. His content got a lot of views because there wasn't a lot of other content out there right now. But the actual quality of the content sucked. The interviews sucked. And it was just, you had to really like wrestling to check it out. And then as soon as other people come with good content, all of a sudden, no one checks out your content. And at this point, anyone who just wants to pay a wrestler to sit down and talk with them can get a wrestler to sit down and talk with them and film it over Zoom. Well, but now the question is, is he content with his content since he's contained? Is he going to have to do YouTube from his mother's basement and really, really for once be the, the goddamn stereotype? He would have to turn off the comments. He would get killed in those comments. Like every single comment would be just calling him out. And he can't deal with that. I mean, there's too many of these guys that stir up shit and then they can't deal with any of the blowback. And it constantly is happening with this guy. And he's been such a troublemaker for such a long time. And too many people have taken his money because everyone in wrestling needs money, obviously. It's a fucking job. But everyone takes fucking people like this. They go to him and they take his money and they talk to him and they almost legitimize him. And then things like this happen. And it's not a surprise to a lot of people. And I don't know. Wrestling needs a better quality of human being in it, as opposed to just anyone with a few bucks in their pocket. By gum, you didn't even need Jerry McDivitt to uh, review that content and clear it. Well, there's somebody else that's having some issues, uh, maybe doing some boarding with the warden, living on the bounty of the county, staying at the Crossbar Motel. 
what do you hear about? I'm not sure what the charges are here. The Velveteen Dream has oh. <laughs> has made some news lately. And Brian, is it for dick pics? Was it a fight in a gym? Was it for cocaine and or drug paraphernalia? Was there a probation violation involved or? <laughs> At various times, has it been all of the above, and we're finding out all of this? Well, the wrestling news, well, what a time we picked to start this up. Early in well, the, what, a, what, a, what a week you picked to stop sniffing glue. Early in the week, we had these stories about the Velveteen Dream that we were looking at. And then this EC3 interview came out about the dick pic thing. So let's separate the two incidents. The Velveteen Dream dick pic controversy, which isn't even about his own dick in the pic. It's about everyone else's dicks being in the pick. That is one thing. Pick a dick. And <laughs> I guess that's what he was trying to pick do. Pick a dick, any dick. And other than that, there are apparently, and I'm going to look some of this up while we're talking here, a series of incidents that may or may not include every single thing you just said and more. Well, while you're looking it up, since you mentioned the, actually, they're not dick picks, they're dick vids, right? EC3 apparently did an interview and said that, I guess, while they were all together in NXT in Florida, they were having a get-together, some of the, the wrestlers, at EC3's house, apartment, his the place he lived, his, his abode. And apparently they found out that old Velveteen Dream, what's his name, Patrick Clark? Is that his name? I believe that is his name, yes. Had put his phone in the bathroom, leaned up in such a fashion, I don't know what it was sitting on or whatever, but it was such a fashion to where if somebody came in and uh, dropped trowel and or whipped it out in, in order to, you know, drain their anaconda or potentially let a fudge monkey out of its cage, or whatever you would do in these things when you take your shit out of your pants in the bathroom. He was taking a video of it. And EC3 said, what the fuck is this? And picked it up and looked, and it was a video of <laughs> where he'd just been standing there with his peat in his hand. So he deleted it and put it back in the same place and then went out of the bathroom, and then sure enough, old, old VD, the Velveteen Dream, he goes in the bathroom and comes back out, and EC3 looks, and the phone is gone. And, I mean, this is a bathroom with a group of wrestlers having a private home get-together. Who knows what was going on in that bathroom? But apparently, the Velveteen Dream heard all the the rumors and the gossip about poor old Sean Stajak from 25 years ago and said, hold my fucking video phone. I'll do this even better. Sean was just supposedly taping guys in the locker room to see if they would talk about him behind his back. <laughs> this is, I don't, he does, Velveteen Dream was definitely not taking video of behind the people's backs. It was right out in front. Have you found any yeah. documentation mean, on this? Have you thought maybe he's just a big Chuck Berry fan? Well, I was thinking, maybe, let's be more timely. Let's go with R. Kelly. 
Okay, okay, I guess that is more timely and more fitting, maybe. Now, who would have thought that I would bring Brian Last into the fucking 21st century with his references? I have an article here from TMZ Sports. Ex-WWE superstar Velveteen Dream bit, punched gym employee before arrest, cops say. Former he w- turned my camera off, Velveteen Dream was quoted as saying. That's not a quote from this. Former WWE superstar Velveteen Dream exploded on a gym employee before his Whoa. latest arrest. <laughs> now, wait a minute. He Here we exploded go. on a gym employee. Now you're, you're trying to say he's been, he's been arrested for lewd behavior? Once again, former WWE superstar Velveteen Dream exploded on, now I can't read it, on a gym employee before his arrest last month, punching the man in the face, then oh. biting him. Oh! He was then hired to be an agent in AEW. <laughs> no, this according to a new police document obtained by TMZ Sports. The incident allegedly happened on August 20th, around 8, there's no number here, it's 8, 4, and there's nothing. So 8.40 something p.m. <laughs> at Club Orlando, a fitness facility in Orlando, Florida. Cops in the docks. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's what? the way they phrase that. Cops in the docks say a senior employee at the gym told them that an altercation between him and the Velveteen Dream began after he said the wrestler had to leave an area that was closed for cleaning. The man claimed Dream, real name Patrick Clark, went off on him, becoming irate and argumentative. Things allegedly got so intense, the gym employee told Clark he had to leave the building entirely. According to the docs, Clark then made his threats to kill the gym employee what, what, before he wait, hit the guy in the face. Wait a minute. Okay, hold on. That escalated quickly. We have gone from... Sir, could you leave the area that we can clean it to? I'll kill you, mother... <laughs> Cops say the gym employee told them that the two then got into a fight where Clark bit him. The two were separated by another employee at the facility. According to documents, officers arrested Clark after they observed teeth marks on the employee's left cheek near... Excuse me, left chest near the left armpit. I was going to say, bit him in the face? Was he Haku? Left chest near the left armpit. Ooh, what? Oh, wait a minute. You know what? The guy tried to get him in a headlock. Yeah. To corral the violent felon. The violent dream. Court records show Clark has been charged with two misdemeanors, battery and trespassing on property without, excuse me, on a property after warning over the incident. The record show his attorney did file a written plea of not guilty in the case. As we reported, 27-year-old Clark was arrested again just six days later on a warrant for a violation of probation by the Orlando Police Department. Clark first joined WWE in 2015 and ultimately left the organization in 2021. He recently appeared to be angling for a comeback, posting on his social media page for the first time in over a year. And that's the saga of the Velveteen Dream. Well, but but there's more. Oh. There's more, because maybe not in that article, but was the probation violation that he was arrested for, was that for the fight in the gym, or was that because... Well, yes, the probation violation he was arrested for was for the fight in the gym because he was previously on probation for being arrested for either possession of cocaine and drug paraphernalia or 
a conviction on oh. possession of drug paraphernalia, but the cocaine charge was dropped, or or you say, oh, I got it. I got it. Here. Of the story. Uh, this is something here. This is from WrestlingHeadlines.com by Mark Middleton. I'll just read a section of it here. As we've noted, Dream was recently arrested in Orlando, Florida, and it was revealed that the Friday, August 26th arrest was related to a probation violation for an arrest for cocaine in November 2021, where Dream was put on probation. It was also revealed at the time that Dream was arrested on Saturday, August 20th, and charged with first-degree battery, a misdemeanor, and first-degree trespassing on property after warning, also a misdemeanor, and he was bailed out of jail by WWE superstar Ashanti the Adonis on multiple arrests. What? That's according to this article here. He was bailed out by Ashanti the Adonis. Oh my God. Well, talk about some guy sticking his neck out. If I was Ashanti the Adonis and I'd just been brought back to my place of previous employment, I wouldn't be bailing this guy out that has more heat than a goddamn candle factory. Uh, and it, we're not putting the boots to this guy by bringing all this up because it was all just in the news because he'd successfully apparently kept the previous arrest out of the news. And that's why I have the issue because if you're on probation and you're a somewhat public figure that... So far, they hadn't, you know, beat him up on social media about being arrested for cocaine or whatever the fuck. So if you're on probation, even if you're not a public figure, are you going to go and get in a fucking actual physical fight with somebody at a gym because they want you to switch areas when you're on probation so that all this comes out? He's a He's a stupid fuck. That's what he is. If you're on probation and you've so far gotten by with the public not crucifying you for something, I would suggest mind your P's and Q's, don't fucking speed, use your left and right turn indicator, and stay home and read a lot of books. Don't get in any more trouble. As far as angling for a comeback, he's unhirable, right? There's no way you could even risk thinking about hiring this guy. <laughs> Either that or, you know, they'd, they'd hire him and then have to uh, do a fucking bug sweep of all the bathrooms at the performance center to make sure that they're not wired for audio and video. And uh, if, if you hadn't heard much about this before we talked, uh, uh, before we went on the air today, but I mentioned it to you. It's not only wrestling now, mixed martial arts, the UFC, They've gone out of their minds. Are they stealing a gimmick? Are they, is it copyright infringement? The UFC, two days after AEW's media scrum, had a press conference, and a bunch of the fighters got in a fight backstage. They had to cancel a press conference. Have you heard more about this now that you've had time to uh, investigate this situation? I've heard a little bit. I have uh, an article here from Sportsnet. Uh, sportsnet.ca I uh, don't have an author anywhere here. UFC President Dana White canceled a press conference on Thursday promoting UFC 279 in Las Vegas just before it was about to start after a brawl broke out between the fighters backstage. White was booed by fans when he announced the press conference would not happen. 
And then it's, you know, really, if you actually, if you just switched UFC for AEW and white for Tony Khan, it's, it's, it's what, what are the chances? Are the, are they trying to, I know that MMA and the UFC owes a great debt of gratitude to the wrestling business for showing them pioneering how to hype fights and, and blazing a trail on, you know, promotion of, of skirmishes, but do they have to copy everything? Obviously, this was just a, a coinkadinkle. But <laughs> let me ask you this. Uh, is there any third-party investigation of that going on? Does that does the article say that? I have not heard anything about a third-party investigation or a first-party investigation or any investigation, but and, I haven't checked too far. And here's another thing. Uh, did Dana White kayfabe the entire public on what happened, or did he come out and say, well, there's a shit show going on in the back. Some guys got in a fight. We're going to have to cancel this thing. Well, that's why he was booed. He was booed because he gave the actual... Yeah. Results. He, he told everyone what was happening, and that's that's why they had to cancel it. He didn't come out there and ignore the issue. He actually spoke the facts of the matter. Is what he did. He said, "Well, my guys, the fighters got in fights. <laughs> Imagine that." Well, the big difference: birds got to fly, fish got to swim. To be fair, I think the big difference is Tony relies much more heavily on what lawyers tell him. And I don't think it's related to just this incident with CM Punk and the Elite. I think in general, Tony puts a lot of faith in his attorneys. Well, we'll we'll talk about all of that stuff here a little bit later on in the program. But I just, do we have any more? Has anybody else uh, been picked up, been uh, put in bracelets, been hauled off to the hoose gal lately? Is that the crime report for today? That appears to be the crime report for today. For the Cornet News, I'm Brian Lust. <laughs> Brian, there's a lot of people out there in the world that are doing things they don't want people to know about. We've just illustrated a few of those. And, you know, let's face it. People are spying on you all the time these days. It's the modern times. There's, there's Somebody's got their eye on you every second. And we've talked about these Internet service providers, right? They're keeping an eye on you. Do you know that the Internet service providers... ISP. The ISPs. The ISPs. The ISPs. They are keeping an eye on you. They're spying on your internet ac internet activity. They're selling your history. They're selling your data to the big tech companies, to foreign governments. You don't know what's going on. And that's why you've got to hide from these people. And we've seen many times, you, you've gone through this, Brian. You want to get your internet worked on. You call your ISP. They send two guys over in a truck and they're in your house for a while and they're doing things. You don't know what they're doing. Have you ever noticed that oftentimes only one leaves? Have you ever seen that? You see two guys come into your house and then when they leave, there's only one of them. Where'd the other guy go? That's never happened. I don't even know what you're talking about. That happens to me constantly. I'm thinking, <laughs> where'd the other guy go? <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm thinking, this is what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, where, where'd that other motherfucker go? What happens is, <laughs> while the one guy's keeping your attention, the other guy slips into a crawl space, into the attic, sometimes just cuts a, a piece of drywall and, and patches it from the inside, and he's inside your walls. 
We've proven this. Remember, I proved this to you, Brian. We did I not said, prove this. No, we did we not prove this. this. No. Your, your internet service providers are in your walls. Where does the wire from your computer go from your the back of your computer? Where does it go? We have admitted that since Where the advent of electricity, there are wires in the walls it goes into the of people's wall. houses. That's, yes. that's where that guy ends up. He's keeping an eye on what you're doing from inside the wall or the crawl space or the attic or whatever. Potentially, it depends on how your house is built. And ExpressVPN are the people that you need to get a hold of to stop this stuff from happening. Now, I've mentioned before, I have been suitably chastened about a few things. ExpressVPN does not provide you with fake IDs and documentation and paperwork of about a new not. identity. They of do not do not. that. I was mistaken about that. They also do not come over to your house and clean up evidence of a crime scene and potentially ex dispose of any cadavers or no, body they parts. Don't. That, that is not a thing that they do. Not no, a they service don't. they provide. And don't commit any crimes or murders. Well, no, that's part of the cadavers and the corpses. They don't get into that. You have to handle that stuff on your own. I'm if you telling do the it. audience, There's... don't commit any crimes or murders. I don't well, know. what kind of people you think we got listening to this program if you have to be the one to tell them don't commit <laughs> crimes or murders? We have all sorts of people. That's the issue. We have. People making lots of money, people making no money. We have people with jobs, we have people with no jobs. What does have that have to do with committing with, crimes and murders? Because we have some murderers, I would think, that probably <laughs> listen to the show. Well, don't they have better things to do, like running from the law, than listen to our program right now? If you're a murderer and you're listening right now, turn yourself in. It'll be easier. That's right. But nevertheless, the folks at ExpressVPN, they do not do those things that I just mentioned. But what they do do is they protect you from people spying on you through your internet. Because as we know, it comes from inside the house. So, ExpressVPN creates a secure tunnel between all your devices and the internet so that everything you do online is encrypted. Is this tunnel big enough that you can go from place to place in it? For example, could you leave your house and go underground to your neighbor's home? Well, and not be seen in this secure tunnel, or is it just big enough for the internet current to go through? There are no, I'm asking you. There are no tunnels. There are no people in your walls. It says they create a secure tunnel between all your devices and the internet. It's a virtual tunnel in the virtual world, and that's what you really have to worry about is the virtual Big Brother watching you as opposed to the people in fantastic walls or whatever it is that you're dreaming up and concocting up here. Well, I'm not dream. I'm just trying to report on the facts, but virtually, it's it's a virtual lock that somebody's keeping their eyes on you. And if you don't want people to know what you've been doing on the internet, you need ExpressVPN. Possibly, you need to hide some of this activity from someone in your home that's not a member of the ISP army. <laughs> Maybe your wife or your husband or your significant other or whoever it may. They might not be happy with some of these things, but... <laughs> Apparently, ExpressVPN scrambles your signal. So if you've been contacting foreign governments, exchanging nuclear secrets from Mar-a-Lago, or, you know, you've been on Adult Friend Finder and you don't want uh, Mrs. Last to find out about it. First of all, I've never been on Adult Friend Finder. Second of all, I'm surprised you know the name of Adult well, Friend Finder. It reroutes your connection. <laughs> Sure does. <laughs> and it blocks your ISP, the folks at the ISP. 
It blocks them from seeing things that you do online. All they can see is that you're a signal coming from outer space. What? And you get to, when you, you sign up for ExpressVPN, you get to pick the planet. Do you want to come from Mars? Do you want to come from <laughs> Venus? You know, I'm trying to overcome everything else you do, and then you go into the space portion of the spot, well, which I didn't expect this transition. Signal, so the only thing that people will know when they, in, when they intercept your signal is this appears to be a communication from Mars. We're not sure. We're going to send it over to NASA. And it's not just for your phone or computer, folks, <laughs> because ExpressVPN works on all your devices. It works on your tablets, your smart TVs, even your router. So your entire router. family, huh? Router. Works on all these devices, that too. <laughs> so your entire family can always stay protected, no matter what device you've got. Toaster, microwave oven, Didolator Mach 3. I can't stress this enough, folks, that ExpressVPN is so simple to use. Incredible. Yeah, so simple. You just, That's right. You, you just open up the app. However, that's done. And that's very easy. It's very easy to everyone other than you. Of course, everyone has a smartphone or some sort of device or tablet. Not everyone. Just about everyone. I, I mean, don't. Well, you don't. Well, you Howie do. the mailroom guy doesn't. Well, technically you do. It's just you've handed it off to uh, one of your minions. That's right. Yeah. So that's yours, though. So you do have a smartphone. You choose not to use it, but you have one. Well, I can't stress this enough, folks. ExpressVPN <laughs> is so simple to use. You just open up the app. Yes. Ta Tap one button to connect, and that's it. What if it's not the right button? You well, have to. Is any button work? No. The way apps work, they have little icons, so you know you're pushing the right one. If you're going to push the oh. Jim Cornette app, which you know is not out yet, you would push that, and of course, it says tap this or tap here. Who says or just that? tap? It's on the button. It doesn't no, it doesn't say any of those things. It says you just tap know. one button. Well, you just know. You just know. <laughs> you just know. You just know. What if everybody's not as brilliant as you, great Brian? I am sorry. Everyone knows, and even you, if you actually gave it a chance, and when I say give it a chance, if you turned it on, you would realize how easy it is to just push the button, tap the phone where the icon is. Sure, a lot of button tappers out there. People just willy-nilly tapping buttons. That's why the world is in such a fucking state. I want to know it's the right button before I tap it. And but this folks, is the right button, and anyone can do it. That's the point. It's very well, easy. Well, if you're tapping a button, you need to tap the button for ExpressVPN. That's the button to tap. Because your data is your business, and you can protect it at expressvpn.com slash JCE. If you go there right now, you'll get three extra months of ExpressVPN protection for free. That's expressvpn.com slash JCE. Three months for free. They will send a son of a bitch out to hammer open your walls, take the drywall down, and get all of those Spectrum personnel out from inside of your goddamn home. And that's what, that's also, that's why they have those big bags of equipment that they bring in also, because when they slip the one guy, into the attic, that's his provisions. He's got canned food and those those army meals ready to eat things and a jug of water. I won't even tell you how they arrange for the guy to urinate. Let's talk if about you ever the smell things anything that matter around here. The house. No, let's not talk about smells around the house or anything else that deals with bodily functions. Let's talk about ways to 
transition to I don't even know where to go from here, but ExpressVPN will have you covered, and it's very easy to use, whether it's a click of the mouse or whether it's a tap of the tablet. It's very easy for everyone, minus Jim Cornette, and maybe it can help you today. Isn't that right, Jim? I can't, I can't stress this enough. I can't stress it enough, ladies and gentlemen. ExpressVPN.com slash JCE. Three months free of protection. You need to be protect. Use protection, ladies and gentlemen. When you're looking at pornography on your internet, use protection. Because that monkey pox is everywhere. All right, we got a couple of emails. Um, where are they? There they are. Had them right here next to my heart, 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 heart. You know, the anime, the dating simulation games have been popular. We've been talking about for the past few weeks here. A lot of people write in. We're still doing this? Well, we're not. This is the people. It's the cult of Cornette members that are writing in, passing on their knowledge of these things. They're trying to smarten us up, Brian. They're passing on knowledge. We were in in the dark about all these things. This was a whole different world that we didn't know existed that has now been opened up to us. And I'm I'm anxious to learn things. Don't you want to learn, Brian? When you stop learning, you wither and die. You've always got to learn, right? That's right. Well, then let's learn something. I thought we learned all there was to learn about the oh, topic of anime sim dating games. There is so much more, apparently. <laughs> okay. And we have, um, uh, this is an email from, and I'm going to attempt to pronounce his name, Pekka. Vadoka Lutala from cold northern Finland. Apparently the Finns are cold these days while we're having the record heat waves. But he says, hi, Jim and Brian, frequent listener of the show here, all the way over there in Finland. Jumping shitballs, what a reach we've got. He says, I've noticed lately there's been a recurring topic of anime dating sims. So far, you've gotten messages from people more or less familiar with the subject, but as someone who unfortunately has lots of experience actually working on their localizations, I figured it'd be a decent idea to shed some light on them. Localizations. Is that a video game term? I don't know. I have no idea. Maybe it's just Finn. What What do they speak over there in Finland? Is English a first language in Finland? Or is it Finlandese. Would it be Finnish? Well, hold on. Let's find out. Finland. I wish Ludwig Borga was here to ask. Yeah, but... if, if only Ludwig was. I managed him one night at Survivor Series. He never told me. Maybe that's why he was upset about the Finnish. All right. Anyway, <laughs> to start with setting the tone, <laughs> my first project. So he's worked on these games. Good. My first project was My Girlfriend is the President, a Japanese game in which you date female versions of Barack Obama and Vladimir Putin. What? Trust me, this was way funnier 10 years ago than it is now. It would have almost had to be. And yes, it is a commercial release that was sold in stores. To get an idea of how this whole genre even started, we need to go back 40 years to the time of (laughs) point-and-click adventure games. Okay, I know a little bit about that. Brian might be familiar with something like Secret of Monkey Island or Myst, M-Y-S-T. 
These games made their way to Japan and got a following with Japanese developers then giving their own spin to them with both sci-fi and fantasy adventures. Well, with Japan's growing population of guys wanting fantasy wish fulfillment, (laughs) I guess, you know, that's been... I'm surprised I haven't heard that phrase before because that's been since the dawn of time. Guys want fantasy wish fulfillment. But one company had the bright idea to release Tokamiki Memorial, a game in which you play as a high school freshman, raising your stats like smarts, athleticism, and charm while trying to win the heart of one of several potential sweethearts. It's honestly fairly boring now. In the sequel, you fight a bear barehanded. What? How many high school freshmen fight bears barehanded? Not too many. How come everything's about high school kids and all these games? I I think that's where everybody stopped at their various points of development. Eventually, one development team figured out that since people mostly just played these games for romance, they cut out the stat management aspect completely and had players just make choices about which one of the girls they wanted to hang out with. They ended up with a massive hit on their hands with several adaptations following. Of course, with anything, wildly successful copycats followed, and this kind of illustrated choose-your-own-adventure style ended up becoming the standard of the Japanese PC gaming market. Um, there are shelves stocked full of games in Japan. These include one in which you pilot giant mecha, not mecha like turn east and pray to mecha, but mecha, M-E-C-H-A. Mecha like mecha Godzilla. Yes, you pilot giant mecha while fighting Lovecraftian monsters, a detective story in which you are trying to crack a murder case in 1950s Japan, a romance story in which a girl acts as Cupid, hooking up other girls to please a pair of ghosts who can't pass on before seeing true love. (laughs) What the fuck? What? And And a strategy game in which you conquer fantasy versions of feudal Japan while taking princesses as your, you get the idea. I don't get the idea. I don't get this at all. <laughs> There's nothing about this I get. I, I, I like I, video games. Let me just stress. I always try to defend video games to you. There are cool games. There are fun games. If you're into sports, uh-huh. there are great games. If you're into just having adventures in the Old West, Red Dead Redemption <laughs> and Red Dead Redemption 2 may be the greatest games ever. Grand Theft Auto, Jim. Smashing cars, shooting people, robbing people, doing whatever you want. Why do I want to do any of those things? I could just look out the window and see the United States. Well, you can live your vigilante dreams playing Grand Theft Auto. There are so many fun games. You want to play a stupid game? There are stupid games too. But I don't understand this genre at all. This well, is uh, hold on. There's, I've got some more. There's another email uh, from Josh from an island. He says, "Not Long Island. That place sucks." Hey, fuck you. Uh, who so said who said it sucks? You or Josh? Josh. Oh, fuck you, Josh. He says he's from an island. Stay there. Well, apparently he is because he's telling us about harem animes. Have you heard about the harem animes? I have not heard about the harem animes, no. Well, a harem anime <laughs> centers around a main character gaining the romantic attention of multiple girls or multiple guys or both. The series can end with the main character choosing one of the people 
who's in love with him or her or all of them. Here are some examples. High School DXD. See, there we go again. Main character Issy Hayodo is a perverted high school student who gets reincarnated as a devil after his first girlfriend killed him on the first date he ever went on. Jesus. So also he's a, a unlucky son of a bitch too. Sounds like a fun game. Luckily, he's reincarnated as a devil thanks to Rius Grimori, a hot girl at his school who turns out to be a devil and makes Issy her faithful servant. And then you can also date alive. The series revolves around Shidio Itsuka. Wait, what'd you say? You can date alive? It you- says the, the word date, the letter A, and the word live, L-I-V-E, date a live. The series revolves around Shidio Itsuka, a high school student. There we go, see? Who, who has the ability to seal spirits. <laughs> What the fuck? And by the way, by the way, all these perverted games, and I'm sorry, they're all perverted in one sense or another. None of them are just like, meet a nice girl, take her out to the nice restaurant, pick the right wine. And if you win, you know, it's Leisure Suit Larry. You go home and have fun. It's all like, you're a bird. <laughs> like, what the fuck is this? Well, this is a high school student who has the ability to seal spirits' powers. And these spirits take the form of beautiful women. By making them fall in love with him and kissing them. The whole series is him dating these spirits in order to save the world. Where do you take a spirit on a date? The library. No, come on. You ever see Ghostbusters? That's where you take a spirit on a date, the library. What kind of restaurant would you take a spirit to? Do they? I bet their favorite food is ghost peppers. Oh, anyway, moving oh. on. Nisi Koei. Nisi Koei is a game the son of a Yakuza dates the daughter of a rival mob in order to stop them from fighting. Along the way, he somehow attracts the attention of other cute girls who happen to be connected <laughs> to the mob or assassins. And finally, World's End Harem. Oh, another it's, harem. All right, good. It's it's I am legend, but if all the women were still alive, all the men had died except for one, and its target audience is horny people. Yeah, I can tell who the target audience for all of these games is. There you go. How many women play these games? That's what I'd like to know. I think the problem is, is that the guys play the games because the women don't play the games, and the guys that are playing the games don't know how to play with the women. How many actual high school kids play these high school games? I, from what I remember of high school, we wouldn't have had time to do that either because we were too busy trying to play with the women. But nevertheless, speaking of playing with the kids, you want to let's go back to wrestling. Let's talk about some playing with the kids. Um, this is from, and I'm going to give him credit. I'm going to mention him, Uncle Dave, uh, the Wrestling Observer newsletter, the August 29th edition this was brought to my attention there is a a uh, paragraph in here with statistics about the AEW booking and one would think 
coming from Uncle Dave, this should be right in line with anything that Rudy Giuliani would say about Donald Trump. But it's not that complimentary. Maybe he didn't realize it, or maybe he put it in here trying to send Uncle Tony some tough love. But would you like to hear of between June 15th and August 24th, how many turns there were in AEW, heel to face or face to heel? Either one. How many people turned and changed their outlook on life and wrestling in just a, what is that, nine weeks? I'd like to hear it, and I will just say in general, there is a, a thought out there amongst people in the know, I'll put it that way, that Dave uses the Observer to reach, and his radio show or his podcast to reach out to Tony and kind of give him a message without overtly saying it <laughs> when he gets worried about the direction of things, whether that's right or wrong at different points. So when you say that it may have been a message to Tony, I guarantee you it was a message to Tony. I guarantee you Tony and Dave have been conversing one way or another all week which one is the uh the high school kid and which one is the girl that he wants to date in their anime game well anyway the turns in aew from june 15th to august 24th there were 16 and by the way this does not count all out there were 16 heel to face or face to heel turns not including Daniel Garcia, because technically he's in the decision-making process. <laughs> Is that a category? Yeah. How, the, wait, what was, the, what was the time period? I forgot what you said, how long a period of time. June 15th to August 24th, so nine okay. weeks. Okay. Uh, there were 16 heel-to-face or face-to-heel turns in 15 attack angles, and 20 people who turned on people in the attacks. <laughs> Four shows during that period had two turns. The July 8th show had both Jonathan Gresham turning on Lee Moriarty. Remember them? And Serena Deeb turning on Mercedes Martinez. I remember that. So the uh, the regular turns were Sammy and, and Ty, uh, Christian Cage, Luchasaurus, who then turned back, but guess what, folks? This needs to be updated. He's turned back since then. Layla Gray. What does a turn count if a turn is, if the turn is a swerve? Because what if when when you say that he turned back, what if that whole time he really hadn't turned back? That's the whole thing, I guess. It's not. Just well, no, he actually. I'm talking about actual incidents on television where a turn was made, even if it was a swerve. They don't say, well, he didn't turn. He just swerved you. This is a Stephen P. New question. I, I'm not sure. Yeah. Jonathan Gresham, uh, Mercedes Martinez, who both, again, Gresham's gone. Mercedes has disappeared. Wait, 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 we're talking about when Gresham turned on Tony? What are we talking about? No, he turned on Lee Moriarty. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he was always mad at Tony. Uh, Anna Jay, Ricky Starks, Moriarty, wait, the Hardly Boys. Stop. Wait, can what, can I ahead. stop you? Ricky Starks is interesting because they were kind of in that, I don't know, decision-making, but they weren't overtly anything. They were just existing. Why aren't we saying that powerhouse Hobbs turned heel as opposed to Ricky turning completely babyface? Well, good point there. So we should actually, maybe uh, Starks has an asterisk because Hobbs is not on this list. And since Hobbs 
stayed a heel, but they were kind of heels before, but the people were cheering stars. So one way or the other, it's a turn. Uh, the Hardly Boys, because they did the fake babyface turn uh, because they thought that Olivier would be a babyface when he came back and they had to be on the same team. Apparently, Sonny Kiss, Sonny Kiss turned. Uh, I don't know on what, probably turned turned on the television to watch other people, I guess. In your eyes, is a turn turning to babyface or heel or turning on the person you're with? Because, you know, a few of these names, I mean, you can kind of debate different things. But who, who'd you say before Sonny Kiss? Uh, well, the, the Bucks, the Hardly Boys. What about Adam Cole? Did Adam Cole turn? He turned ah. on the Bucks. Yeah, true. So there's been more. Also, Billy Gunn and Dragon Lee. Remember Dragon Lee? Um, <laughs> I that's the that's still the best. <laughs> Ten seconds left in the show. He got beat. <laughs> then his partners turned on him, pulled his mask off. Then we they went off the air, and he's never been seen again. Never even had his name said again. Never mentioned. Uh, <laughs> that is the best. That is the best one ever. In two cases, Luchasaurus and Billy Gunn, they turned with someone, or in Gunn's case, on the acclaimed, and then turned back with the person they, in Luchasaurus's case, presumably turned against, and in Gunn's case, turned back to the people he had just turned on. But then, as we know, Luchasaurus then turned again. To everything, turn, 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 there is a turn, 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 and a time for every heel to turn babyface. So, Roger McGuinn, ladies and gentlemen. Um, again, I know that people get mad when I say mark booking, amateur booking, lazy booking, whatever the case. But that's an example. In all seriousness, I'm not even ripping on poor old Tony at this point. I'm sure Tony's asshole is as big as the Holland Tunnel this week because everybody's ripped him a new one. But just sit down and look at that, Tony, and and take that on board and realize that you are turning job guys, preliminary talent, underneath wrestlers, intermittently, indiscriminately, on partners and manager, you're switching managers, who in the company still has the same manager that they did when they started out. How often in the old days did guys switch managers? I I sold Vader to Paul Bearer once. And but I'm mean, you know between the reason why nobody's invested in most tag teams, one of the reasons is because they know they ain't gonna be together long. And if you turn people that have only been together once or twice or three times on TV and not featured, then it doesn't make any difference because nobody cares. The long-awaited breakup between you and the girl you had one blind date with, God, how painful can that possibly be? It, there's no impact to any of this stuff because it happens all the time. It just confuses people about who they ought to get behind, who they ought to cheer for, who they ought to support. And it, it, it's meaningless. The, one of the biggest money-drawing tools in a booker's toolkit is turning 
a top babyface heel or a top heel babyface under the right circumstances. And yes, you can turn underneath guys, but only when you plan them for a major push with that new turn. Coco Ware was an underneath guy in, in Memphis years ago, underneath babyface, but he had a lot of talent. That's before he went to New York and got fat and got a bird. So Lawler switched him heel, put him with Jimmy Hart, made him a top heel. Sometimes you change a guy's gimmick, you can elevate him when you do a turn like that, but most of the time, if you turn an underneath guy, it doesn't make a shit anyway because nobody cared to begin with. And you've just used one of your turns in your toolkit that you could have used for main event guys, somebody, a team that had been together for a long time, or two friends that are going for the same fucking prize, and one of them turns out to be a prick, or whatever the case. That's where you turn people. And if you do more than a couple per year, then you're running the risk of making it meaningless because you can't have a shocking incident like that and then people be shocked because it happens every fucking six weeks. So why would they be shocked? Have I articulated that in any proper fashion, Brian? You know, we said earlier, Tony likes to listen to his lawyers, and that's probably a sound thing to do for any businessman, especially someone with so much money tied into so many different things. If you're going to listen to your lawyers, listen to your bookers. Instead of thinking you know better and you know what to do and you can do this all yourself, it's not to say you don't have good ideas, and it's not to say your ideas can't be applied to things, but Jesus Christ, the show's a mess. The show's a mess. And I know Omega... And I'm not even taking a hit at Omega here or anything, Jim. I'm saying that so you don't take a hit at him. But <laughs> Omega said that thing in the uh, ring a few weeks ago about how the original plan all along was a smorgasbord of wrestling. May not have been Cody's plan. May not have been Tony's plan. Or at a time it may have been Tony's plan. But that was the plan. It doesn't work right now. You need to really be kind it of... It never works. It's no, but especially now. There was a grace think. period. There was a grace it's a period. stupid thing to ever think on the surface of it. It is an ignorant thing to think on the surface of it that a smorgasbord of every clown show wrestling style in the world on the same program, along with real main event level talent for a national company doing pay-per-views, that would be an idiotic game plan to go into because the garbage wrestling turns off more people than will watch it. And that's what they're seeing now, whether it's the garbage death matches or the trampoline cowboys. They lose viewers like crazy as soon as the real star talent is seen on the television program and then they get into the fucking circle jerk with the, you know, the kids. People tune out in droves. I'm sorry I interrupted you. No, but I mean, you're, you're bringing up good points. And like even, you know, like when they do good stuff a few weeks ago, before all this drama, the stuff with Moxley and Punk and Ace Steel, you know, where Moxley delivered a great promo and then Punk did his thing and Ace Steel came out. That was several segments. And then Moxley came back out. It was several segments over the show. It was nice to have a show-long thing for once. 
it makes a lot of the other stuff a little more palatable because it doesn't go on as long because you got to get that other stuff in. But the last half of the show dies out because they put on a long match that if you're sitting around at home with some popcorn and want to watch a good match, you'll probably enjoy. But the average person close to 10 p.m. at night does not want to see that. They don't want to see Daniel Garcia versus fucking Wheeler Yuta. It may be a great match. <laughs> it may be a great match. It looks like it would fit in perfectly in like 2004 Ring of Honor. However, the main event of your show on TBS, and again, the booking, the Jericho segments, and we'll talk about the problem that is Chris Jericho, I'm sure maybe later on, but his segments are like one level of mentality, one level of maturity, and then there's the stuff that's serious, and the stuff that's serious, correct me if I'm wrong, that seems to be the stuff that gets the better ratings, that seems to be the stuff that people in the building react to. Again, FTR getting these reactions not because of how they're booked. They're getting these reactions in spite of how they're booked and continue to be booked, and they're still getting the reactions. So it's just, there has to be an acknowledgement that even if you like a lot of the stuff that we don't like, that that may not be the shit that is good for your company. But I'm sure he has a million metrics he'd point to and say, well, look at this, look at this, look at this, and that's the way it is. Well, here's a lesson for you. If you're in the AEW locker room, don't trust anybody. Somebody's about to stab you in the back. Somebody is going to fuck you around as soon as you turn your head. You know how I know that? Because there was 16 turns with 20 people in nine weeks. That's how I know that. So it's a, a literally a locker room full of backstabbers you just can't trust that's what it sounds like to me right brian i think there are certainly some people in that locker room even if you take the bucks and omega and cm punk out of it and all their detractors there are still people in that locker room this doesn't solve all the problems that's the thing all the problems aren't cm punk and all the problems aren't the young bucks and kenny omega and by the way in all cases kenny omega and the young bucks shouldn't be lumped together because they have their own issues uh internally they're smiling in your face all the time. They want to take your place. Backstabbers, backstabbers. All you fellas out there better beware. Yeah, what they're doing to me. I told you, my friends, again and again and again and again. So who's happier about all Somebody's this? Somebody's trying to take your lady. A few of your buddies, they sure look shady. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you could throw your OJ's records out the window. <laughs> Who's happier about everything that's gone down? Who's happier than Chris Jericho? Oh, oh, he, because he sees, hey, everybody else, if I can just manipulate a few more people the way I want them, then I've got this thing all to myself. We'll get rid of punk. We'll get rid of the EVPs. And it'll be the Chris Jericho show. That's what he's thinking. Get a nice raise. I have to take on more responsibility. I'm showing him that I want that. Tony's my friend now. Interesting. He can't be your friend because he's my friend. Interesting. I got to say, Chris Jericho, master politician. Give him credit where it's due. It's a masterwork. Is a masterwork is what it is. And you know something else about masterworks, ladies and gentlemen? They can make you money. Not the AEW masterworks. They can't make anybody any money. But masterworks of art? collectibles memorabilia 
They can make you money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was that Bella Lugosi or was that just? Hey, it, it certainly was. I will drink your blood. I will modulate myself. <laughs> I will modulate me. <laughs> Contemporary art has outpaced the S and P 500 by more than double for the last 25 years. Did you realize that? Did you were you aware of that? Contemporary art appreciated an average of 33 percent annually. That's more than real estate, the S&P, gold, gas, beef. You ought to see the Sprite Zero prices these days. Holy shit. Down here, you used to be able to get on sale four 12-packs for $12 every once in a while. Now they're seven bucks a piece. So, folks, if you need to make money, you want to put your money in a safe place. You don't want to... Risk it in today's uncertain environment, the investing pitfalls you might fall in. You want to put your money in the stuff that endures art, famous works of art, masterworks. And right now, due to masterworks, it lets people like you and me, and even you, Brian, invest in famous works of art at a fraction of the actual price. I know a lot of people are going, How in the world can I buy? One 128th piece of the Mona Lisa. Well, it's real simple. They snuck in at night, pulled it out of the frame, put a replacement, a forgery back <laughs> no, in. No, and they not, cut no, the Mona Lisa into no. 128 equal pieces. Stop. And now stop. you can own one. Just stop. What? Just huh? stop. Just stop. First of Just all. Just stop. Let's not talk about forgeries here. There'll be no forgeries. And second of all, no one is cutting the Mona Lisa. The Mona Lisa is safe and sound, I guess, as a painting could be, wherever you may find the Mona Lisa. (laughs) (laughs) It's in the Louvre, isn't it? Yes, but there are copies, too. It's in the Louvre. Yes, I have a Rose Myers Mona Lisa. (laughs) I got one from Whistler's father. Said that Whistler's mother and Mona Lisa at one point had a lesbian relationship, but that's why neither one of them were smiling because they weren't any good at it. But anyway, folks, if you'd like to make some money on famous works of art, masterworks at a fraction of the actual price. Let's focus on that. The ability to actually make money in the long term. Yes, in the long run. If you if you're confident that you've got a while to live, folks, and the longer, the better then that's what you need to do is you need to go right now to masterworks.art slash gym because we've talked about masterworks before. It's it's a way that normal folks can get into the fine art market and you can make money because as we've mentioned, the the uh, art collections, the rare items are appreciating. It's just like having, it's better than having money in the bank because with these shyster governments failing all the time, Fuck, your money couldn't be worth the paper it's printed on. But buy Cracky, a Van Gogh, that'll always be Van worth Gogh. money. I just saw him. That's right. He couldn't hear me. I was on the wrong side of him. But anyway, at masterworks.art slash Jim, you go there and you slash me and you sign up for priority access. You can take advantage of all of their services and skip their wait list. They are so popular. They have gotten incredibly popular that now they've got a waiting list before you can even talk to them. Before you can even do dick all a shit with Masterworks, you got to wait because they're so popular. Well, we know people, and therefore, if you go to masterworks.art 
slash Jim, skip the wait list, and find out all about all the various ways that Masterworks can help you in your fine art portfolio uh, make some money. And I guess, so that means that the piece of the Mona Lisa that I bought, that I've been carrying around in my wallet, it's two inches square. That uh, that wasn't officially approved by Masterworks? That is not officially a part of any official Mona Lisa, and Masterworks has nothing to do with your butchering of forgeries, which is, appears that you have just admitted to. Well, the folks in the Louvre aren't going to be happy when they find out that that Van Gogh was painted by a guy named Fred Turner. The right now, you can see important Regulation A disclosures at masterworks.com slash CD or... Skip that wait list. Get in on the good stuff right away. They'll they'll drag you right in. Boy, they'll jerk you right in this place. Masterworks.art slash Jim. All right, Brian, I guess we ought to jump back into some wrestling talk. And of course, the A&E biography series for this season, at least, uh, closed up this past Sunday night with a biography of the very first WrestleMania. 1985, and um, I, I I liked some parts of this program, and the old footage usually, obviously, is fun to see. I I disliked other parts, but I knew they weren't going to be in depth about you know a variety of of the failure aspects of WrestleMania. And now somebody's going to say, "Oh God, everything's WrestleMania is a failure." No, I'm talking about the things that actually did go wrong uh, leading up to the first WrestleMania, as we know now in hindsight, it turned out all right. But this was, it was odd. I knew, I wrote down as soon as the show started, I can tell this is going to be a lot of self-back padding and a lot of blowing of Hulk Hogan. And it was. But was the whole concept was that Vince McMahon had bet the farm on WrestleMania, had mortgaged everything that they owned. He was going to go out of business the next day if this thing didn't wasn't a success, which there was an element of truth to that. But then they proceeded to build it up in such a way that by the time they were finished with it, you thought, well, this can't miss. This is the closest thing to a sure thing we've ever seen. How in the world would this not come off well? So they kind of shot themselves in the foot in at least for their narrative, not creating a little more jeopardy on poor old Vince's business and company going into the thing before it was a raving success. I don't, did, do you see that aspect of it, what I'm saying? All things considered, this was one of the better jobs they did of managing the bullshit WWE narrative while still maintaining it, but not being completely offensive, but just... <laughs> Carefully omitting every key thing that needs to be included. <laughs> well, what did you what did you think of the whole segment they did on Belzer? I thought it was so <laughs> interesting. Note about that, <laughs> that's the only clip that they didn't show of that mam press tour. They also, you know, the other thing I think. Um, I mean, just I'll throw it out here now. I was going to make another joke. What about the section about David Schultz, twenty twenty? <laughs> That's the thing. With WrestleMania, the month and a half, two months leading up to it, it was MTV, it was 2020, and then yep. right before Mania, Hogan almost kills Richard Belzer on fucking yep. live TV. <laughs> and then it's Saturday Night Live as a last-minute replacement. 
But when that was still a big deal the night before Mania, I, everything was working perfectly. Again, Vince, during that period of time, they didn't bring this up. Million dollars from Antonio Inoki, booking fee. Million dollars from Jim Crockett to sell him back the time slot he was about yep. to get kicked off of. So a lot of things they left out. And that's what financed WrestleMania. Um, but as they started off, you know, they were telling the story of, you know, the old time. It was the territory days. And Jimmy Hart, they used him for that. And he gave the Memphis territory schedule. They had some cool B-roll of the, like a Louisville newspaper ad. and A photocopy of, of one. Yeah, someone got yeah. a Terry Justice bulletin, yeah. cut that out, <laughs> and put it on a fake bulletin board. Uh, and D- Stephanie went way overboard on the makeup on this one. She was trying to out eye makeup Ronda Rousey on this one. Uh, but the old early eighties footage is always fun to see. And you know, this was Hogan said it was a perfect storm brother. And it was kind of because the one thing that I do agree with him when he said, transitioning from Bob Backlund as champion to him was like going from black and white to Technicolor. It is like when Dorothy steps out of the house and she's in Oz and as soon as she opens the door, boom, because I like Bob Backlund as a person and he was a entertaining heel in, in the modern era and he's a legitimate athlete and a shooter as a wrestler, but as a babyface especially, he was the most boring champion that I can think of in territory wrestling history. I mean, just not just boring, but just the, the goody two shoes, the baby face, baby face. I mean, it was New York and Philadelphia for God's sake. It and, worked for a few years. You can't deny it. And then the, the last couple of years, it was, it was starting to, you know, the, the, the uh, custard was starting to turn a bit. So going from Backlund to Hogan was a, an opportunity for everybody to go, holy shit. And yes, Hulk Hogan did draw a fortune, but God, is he an insufferable douchebag about it. Um, yes, you know, I saw that it was an opportunity for me to create, you know, this and cure cancer and et cetera. What? Another one of those things that's probably not said enough, and it was certainly not said here, and it certainly wasn't heard here. But what a big part of his whole package, Eye of the Tiger, was at that time. Yeah. Because no one had music. I mean, I, when I say no one, I mean, not that many guys did. And in the Northeast, Sergeant Slaughter did. Like, you know what I mean? And that was military music. Yeah. The, well, let's think about this. If music and wrestling in general. Um, we've talked about, you know, Michael Hayes wants to say, well, the Freebirds were the first. Well, Bad, Bad Leroy Brown is calling. And then there was Chris Colt with yeah. the Alice Cooper music in 76. And I mean, it was Gorgeous George in the 50s with Pomp and Circumstance. But in the 80s, I guess really Memphis again started the trend. They were When did they start using uh, music for the Von Erichs in Dallas? 82. Well, 82 is when they, 81, I would probably say actually, 81 at least. Because Kevin had Stranglehold. Yeah. Um, Carrie had Tom Sawyer. That's right. The boys as a group used LaGrange, right? Or was that David first? That was the three of them. I don't remember, actually, if that was David first. But nevertheless, 
And in Memphis, you had the fabulous ones. Lawler uh, obviously had been using music, especially for his big entrances for a few years. Then the, the whole MTV thing blew up. And that's what... JYD, don't forget. JYD, obviously, in Louisiana. Um, but that's it was the early 80s. <clears throat> and even though some of those things predated MTV just slightly, that was a big point of this program was that you know, we've never looked at that from the MTV side. We always looked at it like from the wrestling side. We, You know, he got on MTV. MTV, according to not only David Wolf and who was that, Alan? Les Garland. Um, it was Les Garland. Well, no, well, no Alan... but, but I was going to leave him for last. But oh, Alan, Alan Hunter. What's his last name? Alan Hunter. Alan I was Hunter. Blanking on Hunter. And one of the VJs. And then Les Garland, who was the head of MTV. They were fucking over the moon about this. It was their best ratings they had ever done by multiple times when they did these crossover shows. So it actually, you know, a lot of people in wrestling have given credit to MTV for the success of the, you know, of WrestleMania, the war to settle score, brawl to settle it all, and just that whole rock and wrestling connection. MTV and Dick Ebersol. Yeah, well, there's the people at MTV saying that wrestling is what the I want my MTV promotion and the rock and wrestling connection. They credited as the two biggest things that got MTV over. And again, and they said this on the program, a lot of people now are going, wait a minute, what MTV fucking teen mom or whatever? No, when they played music videos, when they first went on the air. It was the goddamnedest hottest thing on cable. Everybody loved the MTV, including me. I used to have Mike Duncan, because uh, he had cable in Nashville before we had it here. I used to have him do six hours on VHS, just stick a tape in and roll it, bring it to me next week. But it was as important for MTV as it was for wrestling. And if you look at it, and you just mentioned all those things that were happening all at the same time. Hogan and Rocky three, uh, and the, the music, the entrance, the MTV crossover. Yeah. And that's another thing, you know, JYD had another one bites the dust and the Von Erics had their songs. I, the tiger was a fresh hit. Yeah. Rocky three was fresh on everyone's mind when that, ha when Hogan was coming out to it and everyone knew him from the movie. I mean, go watch the early reactions he got when he came back to New York. It's insane. Yeah, and and that's the thing. Every all those things that you mentioned, and that giant media tour. Those are the things that tipped the war to Vince McMahon over Jim Crockett Promotions. If you look at it, because not only were the WWF guys everywhere on mainstream television shows and doing personal appearances. And then the whole MTV thing, and they've got celebrities, and it was new then. And they were celebrities. This wasn't, you know, Pamela Anderson. This was fucking Muhammad Ali, Liberace, for fuck's sake. Big names. And, you know, Crockett couldn't compete with that. He didn't have the infrastructure. He didn't have the media connections. He didn't have the the people that could get booked on you know, or the people that could book his people. He had Flair, he had Dusty, the Road Warriors, the all these personalities. But we were doing 
you know, morning fucking drive radio in Raleigh. Uh, the Midnight Express and I got on MTV one time, what, in 1989? Uh, WCW, uh, TBS worked it out. That was way too late. Uh, Crockett didn't have that. The wrestling was competitive. The talent was competitive. The ratings in the houses, in a lot of cases, were competitive. But goddamn Vince's business blew Crockett out of the water. and. And he's getting the teens with MTV. He's yeah, the, tons of new fans. Developing the cartoon for the youngest kids on CBS on Saturday mornings at the same time. He has the action figures getting ready to be put out. Get them early. Uh, you know, Jeff Otto years ago on 605 talked about the fact that they were so strapped for cash. The week of WrestleMania, they called up and tried to make a deal to sell the video rights. It was I forget what it was. It was like $100,000 you can get all the video rights in perpetuity. And Jesus Christ. That's how desperate they were. That was before they made the deal with Coliseum Home Video. Well, that, you know, that was the thing. He was trying to get there and get that revenue. And the million dollars from Inoki, the million dollars from Crockett, you know, that carried him that far. And it still wasn't, you know, a guaranteed deal. But let's talk about how Vince was spending, too. We're talking about all this money coming in. They were making lots of money, too, but... At that point, he's paying for TV across the country because of deals yeah. that he tried to screw the other promoters out of. He's paying for buildings, obviously. He has the biggest roster he may have ever had. They were running four shows a night at, at various points. They had four teams a night. Think about that. So that's a lot of people you're paying. He's aggressively trying to go into every single market all at once. Well, you know, he, he did that on cash flow. Yeah. He and now in hindsight, he did the whole thing on cash flow. If if WrestleMania had not come through, you know, he would have been able to pay all that shit back or pay it off. But uh but yeah, the I mean they were everywhere and 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 again, they didn't, and they didn't say W O R either. They talk about TBS, they talk about USA, they never said oh, W O R. Well that was the thing again. So we're expected to believe that Vince invented wrestling on cable <laughs> once we got on cable ignoring the fact that obviously the georgia championship wrestling had been on tbs since it had been on cable they showed vince the first day on tbs hello and welcome to but not him being forced to sell the time slot to crockett for the million dollars after the viewers rioted practically from their homes and demanded they're Gordon solely wrestling back. And it was the same thing when, when they started talking about closed circuit. They were saying, well, everybody thought Vince was crazy. Closed circuit. Nobody's going to go to a movie theater or an arena <laughs> yeah. and watch a big, a, an event on a big screen. What? You know who was booked on this show? Muhammad Ali. You know how many yes. closed circuit extravaganzas he headlined in the seventies? Since the early sixties, <laughs> they the, there was closed circuit broadcast of of Clay and Liston in sixty four. Boxing had been doing the exact same thing for twenty years. Wrestling had done it in Los Angeles in the seventies when they were on the hot streak with Blassie and Tolos and Starcade, which started in nineteen eighty three was doing closed circuit first in the Carolina territory. And then by was 85, they'd expanded to the Northeast. And I think they even closed circuited to Puerto Rico. 
And so, yes, it the WrestleMania one had more closed circuit locations booked originally than any other wrestling show ever had. I think they had what at least 150 of them booked at the start, but they also, whereas some of them were tremendously successful, they, because of poor advances or just the stench of grisly death, they canceled before the event happened a bunch of the closed circuit locations so that they wouldn't have to, you know, they could at least save some money at that point because they were trying to tighten things up at the last minute. So, yes, it did do great on closed circuit. It didn't, I think they had a, a, a newspaper article that said one million people watch WrestleMania on closed circuit TV. I, I don't think that was the case. Even a few hundred thousand made a lot of money, but let's be real here. So he didn't invent closed circuit for wrestling or boxing or whatever. And nobody thought that it was crazy to do that because people had been doing that for 20 years beforehand. That's how I saw Ali and Anoki, which, by the way, Vince helped promote. So Yeah, they bring up Evil Knievel. They never bring up that. Yeah. <laughs> and he lost more money on Evil Knievel than he did on Ali and Anoki. Uh, but anyway, so except for the fact that, again, Vince wasn't the first wrestling on cable TV and he recognized the the value of it, but he wasn't the first and he recognized the value of closed circuit television on wrestling or boxing, but he was not the first by 20 years in either sport. But he did it most successfully. I did make one odd note. Brutus Beefcake now weighs 350 pounds. What the fuck happened? Did you see? He's got a double face. Well, you know, he spent a lot of time cutting and strutting. And, um, and, uh, should have been, snorting he been, and, uh, <laughs> no, you don't get that fat from snorting. And if he was cutting, he should have been cutting carbs. Um, so anyway, and yes, as you mentioned, they did skip over the Richard Belzer incident, but that did make every newspaper in the world. So this massive PR tour, they were everywhere, including Saturday Night Live the night before, and it all fed into, the show that day and and that was i mean madison square garden was already going to sell out because it was a big show that was promoted and the garden did sell out in those days but the last week or so i think made a big difference and um and billy martin remember i mean they talked about billy martin being there you know billy martin that's 85 billy martin got five billy martin just got brought back yogi berra got fired at the beginning of the 85 season for the Yankees, and they brought Billy Martin back as the manager of the Yankees right after this. Okay. Not that you care, but he was a... I don't care. Notorious drunk. There's a great biography by Bill Pennington about Billy Martin out there. But I I, I thought Liberace was a bigger name than Billy Martin. In but, 85? Uh, <laughs> well, in New York in 85? I don't know. Liberace was actually <laughs> playing in New York then, but we're talking Billy Martin in New York. Billy Martin was there for New York. I mean, that's why he was there. That's why... Yes. You know, it really is, of all the WrestleManias, it's the most New York-centric WrestleMania, even like in the build-up to it. Belzer, Saturday Night Live, the different things you see from the street, like things that they filmed. It's a very New York-centric WrestleMania. Well, okay, now, how about this? Speaking of New York, did the crowd at WrestleMania 1 
look like any crowd you've seen at a New York wrestling show in the last 15 years. Well, I haven't been to too many New York wrestling shows in the last 15 well, years. Well, okay. But, 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 d- d- there were real people in the crowd. There were normal people. There were women. There were kids. There were old people. There were black and white and Hispanic. There, it was, it was not all twenty to forty year old guys in black t shirts with bald heads and beards. No, that's actually, you know, the period of time you're talking about is a really interesting period. This period right here, eighty four into eighty five, maybe even into early eighty six, because it's kind of the death of what you have there is a true mixture. Because you have the people who have been coming to MSG for years and like the action and get into it. The working class New Yorkers who soon get priced out of a lot of those seats. Yeah. But they're still coming. And you know what? It may not be exactly what they want, but hey, Bruno's still showing up. Different people are there. They could still get into it. Then you have the new people that are showing up. And especially in New York, right around that period of time in early 85, it was trendy to be there. Especially a little bit afterwards. Still, you have kids all of a sudden being brought by their parents. But pretty soon, that starts pushing out the working class fan who is coming. But that's like the last period of time in New York where you get a real good mixture of an excited audience where it's just across the spectrum. Yeah. And and it looked like a wrestling crowd, like the crowds had looked in wrestling for the previous 50 years. And then suddenly by what in New York in five or 10 years, it completely changed. And all those people were run off and it was a completely different audience. If you go watch an MSG show from like 81 or 82, go find the most boring matches on the show. You know, something with Baron Zakluna or something with, you know, something with Baron Zakluna. There you <laughs> go. Go find one of the most boring match in the show and then go find a mid-card match from like 87, 88. The crowd noise is totally different. The crowd energy is totally different. The crowd lighting is totally different, and that's when they just made things completely dark at that point. But there was a big change in the fans in New York and the Garden going to shows between the early 80s and the late 80s, and that mid-80s period is the time where everything switched. Yeah. And well, there was a, a switch everywhere. I, I even saw it after Crockett sold to TBS. You could see it with the WCW crowds. And uh, it it wasn't a cross-section of everybody. It wasn't regular people anymore. It wasn't old and young and different generations and black and white and guys and girls and all mixtures. It was starting to be the crowd that you see at a wrestling show. And a very specific type and age range and the whole nine yards. And they calmed down. Because as you mentioned, you watch Baron Cicluna, people are going insane for the man from the Isle of Malta. And 15 years later, in the same building, guys are fucking doing diving headbutts off the top rope, and people are going, uh But anyway, so they went through the matches on the card on the special, just, you know, highlights. And at that point, you remember that almost every match on the card was fucking rotten. Which, again, WrestleMania being a destination for these great matches was not a thing at that point. It wouldn't be a thing for it. They were worried about, is it going to sell? Are people going to buy tickets? Not anything about the match quality. It was, and, and that's the and thing. And the fans is, didn't care about the match quality. The fans did. Well, I mean, the old New York fans, the old WWF fans, they'd kind of 
you know, realized that's what it was going to, and they didn't see a lot of other wrestling at that point. Even, you know, even in New York where the Florida show was on, but not as many people watched it because it wasn't the local thing and it was late at night on the Spanish station or whatever. But the matches never meant a ton in the WWWF. It was the gimmicks and the angles and the, the matchups. And that's what it was here. And you see, you know, the talking heads that were kids then at the first WrestleMania saying, oh, the Iron Sheik was so over and Sergeant Slaughter and Nikolai because it was all of their gimmicks. The Iranian menace and the Russian guy that sang the anthem. And the it so they weren't going for the matches. They were going to see what happened and, and they were into the guy's gimmicks. And that's Vince's uh that's his style. That's his style of presenting wrestling is the sizzle instead of the steak and the, you know, the gimmicks and get them into the personalities and sell the merchandise. But, you know, it, the matches did get better, but they, they didn't on that particular night. It was so heartwarming to hear that Stephanie was nervous for her friend, Andre, that if, if John Studd body slammed him, he'd have to retire. He would have been yelling from the ring. Where's Stephanie? <laughs> so, and and Hulk had tried to tell us that he was afraid that Mr. T would chicken out and leave the building, so he kept his eyes on him. I don't think Mr. T was leaving the building at that point before he got that payoff. This is a story he's told several times, the idea that, and I don't know that it's been completely dismissed, the idea that Mr. T got real nervous before this. Again, there was a lot of real-life shit going on with Mr. T and Piper. Yeah. And Orndorff wasn't much better. So, <laughs> so let's be honest that he may have been a bit nervous about doing this. Um, so there's some element to that that I think is true. I just don't know. Cause I hate to say it. As soon as Hulk Hogan says something, you have to immediately fact check it. Well, T, I can testify that there have been numerous celebrities, both on a local and national level that get nervous and cold feet and it was a good idea when they agreed to it and they thought they'd have fun but now they actually got to do it and oh shit you know am i going to look like an idiot uh i don't know how to do this or this you know somebody's going to hurt me i've heard that uh you know if, if we had a, a dj that wanted to back out of a match with a girl here in ovw because he donna daring he says she's not going to hurt me is she i said she could if she wanted to but she doesn't want to and she's not going to but at the same time, I don't think he was going to fucking completely bail out of the building and take a cab, especially with he hadn't been paid yet. You know, it's an interesting name they left out. They were showing the build up, And I love so much of that. And again, this is a period of time I've researched that I find so interesting because Vince has the least amount of control he'll ever have until the very end. But still, he makes it all come together. But there's yeah. so many parties. And David Wolf was pretty powerful at that point in terms of what he wanted to do and what he didn't want to do. Uh, with wrestling and Vince let all these things happen and the wrestling album was being made and it's an incredible way that he put it all together but Jim what I was going to say is the one thing they left out they're showing everything with Cindy Lauper and she was I mean if you grew up today you may not realize that she was the megastar right before Madonna yeah oh she was uh, I guess they they like Taylor Swift and Miley Cyrus and the kids are all uh, up over uh, who Beyonce and all those people today. But Cindy Lauper was bigger than all of them. That's right, Beyonce, as you put it. But they show the lead up to the match, and then they show like a 
again, a fake clipboard or whatever it was. And it's like the match. Now we had it set. Rowdy Roddy Piper, Paul Orndorff, Cowboy Bob Orton against Mr. T, Hulk Hogan, and Cindy Lauper. Cindy Lauper. <laughs> Jimmy Snooker has become Cindy Lauper in the history books now of WWE, ladies and gentlemen. Whenever you think of Jimmy Snooker, just say Cindy Lauper. Well, that's the thing. Nobody <laughs> remembers Snooker was in the corner of Hulk Hogan and Mr. T. Uh, at in the main event at the first WrestleMania because Snuka was the biggest babyface of the previous era of the Vince Senior era that was still around, and they wanted Vince Junior. He didn't want to trust Snuka on the show, right? But he wanted Snuka's name and face out there, not only for the Garden Live House, but for the promotion. I mean, in 1982. Snuka was the most popular babyface in the professional wrestling business. Well, 1983 so, he was was the year he went supernova, and that's right before Hogan came yeah. in. And of course, when Hogan comes in in '84, the three most popular wrestlers by far in the company. And depending on who you talk to, this may be the order: Jimmy Snuka, Sergeant Slaughter, Hulk Hogan. Because people forget Slaughter was the monster babyface, especially in the yeah. summer of '84. Hogan had no feud. Hogan was just touring as the world champion. He'll fight Big John Stud one night, Nikolai Volkov the next night. Slaughter and the Sheik was the feud. Snooker and Piper was the feud. So you had three different shows, one headlined by Snooker Piper, you had Slaughter and the Sheik, and then the Hulk Hogan show. But then that summer is when Snooker finally burned out completely and had to be sent away for the first time. And as well, Pat Patterson was the referee and they kind of alluded to the, you know, on the show, Pat was there in case anybody tried to double cross Mr. T or whatever the fuck. Pat was, remember Muhammad Ali was announced as the referee, but he was always going to be the guest referee outside the ring in a ceremonial position where he could come in and throw a few jabs at Piper or whatever. But Pat Patterson was the referee, not in case of a double cross. Um, but basically in case Mr. T got lost and screwed everything up, um, it, it, you always tried to have, if you had, and I know there wasn't a lot of instances of singers or dancers or movie stars in, you know, main event wrestling matches before this, but if you had a celebrity crossover football player, boxer, anybody that wasn't an experienced wrestler you tried to have a guy like pat as the referee because he had so much experience and he was used to things going south and what to do with them that that was extra insurance that you know this thing isn't going to turn into a turd so it i, I don't think it was much for a double cross because let's face it pat patterson in the ring with hulk hogan paul orndorff roddy piper Probably the only person he could beat in a shoot, Pat, was Mr. T. Because Pat wasn't a shooter. He wasn't a fucking, you know, amateur uh, uh, standout or whatever, but he was a brilliant mind. So he could keep him on the right track and prevent things from going south. But again, then, you know, they, they talked about after the show was over the incredible publicity that he got afterwards which then did more good for vince because now it's the crowing section well look at this wrestling's back again and and that's where 
because the story that the WWF put out was, well, wrestling's been underground in smoky bars and second-rate halls for years now, but now we're making it clean and nice and and drawing big crowds, and people believed that. Not the people that had been wrestling fans, because they knew that that was bullshit. They'd been going to see matches in these big arenas with these big crowds for years. But people who hadn't, the new audience, they just assumed that to be true because they hadn't been watching wrestling. They remember Gorgeous George in the 50s, network TV, if they were that old. Or they might remember that their parents in New York watched Bruno or whatever. But to them, to the new audience from MTV and the action figures and all that stuff, they assumed because they saw the lighting and they were told this by the newspaper wow this is a a revamp of of wrestling and it's now going to be bigger than ever and that fed on itself to the point where now 40 years later people still believe that that was true and between the merchandising and the cartoons and the ice cream bars you know it was everywhere and Again, the people that knew the difference were the wrestling fans, but during the initial national expansion, the Northeast, the fans kept watching the WWF because they always had. And they picked up a lot of fans in the dead territories, California, Los Angeles, San Francisco, you know, the Sheik's Old Territory, uh, Michigan, Ohio, Midwest, certain places where the local territory didn't exist anymore or wasn't strong and and that was a bunch of new fans so you know it it was one of the most successful promotions of any event in wrestling history not as seamless as they would have had you see here uh, or think here from this biography but You know, it was a lot of work, a lot of luck, and the right people involved. And now, 40 years later, that's, you know, it's, it, 40 years later, now WrestleMania is just, it's kind of like a, I don't know, it's kind of like going to see the Harlem Globetrotters once a year. You go for now for the stadium, I guess, or watch on TV for the stadium and the atmosphere and the blah, blah, blah. The matches aren't as good as they were 20 years ago, but they're better than they were 40 years ago. Nobody really has a hot fucking feud anymore, but it's just, it's the thing now that it's the place to go. They've made it a destination thing for their annual really dedicated fan. But at the original idea of WrestleMania was like the original idea of Starcade or the original idea of any other territory big show they did every year, it was just to sell the most tickets we possibly can by culminating all of our angles or featuring all of our stars and trying to have a hot main event. So some things never change, but the the uh, the aspect or the 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 tone and tenor of the show does. You know, WrestleMania. A, a true history, a true documentary, a true book about this period of time, 82 to 85. You can go to 86 if you want. Just that wrestling war period. Everything that happens from the moment Vince buys the company, when he gets full control of the company, and then 
by 84, the war is really on. By 85, it's still a war. By 86, it's over. Uh, well, by the end of 86, 87, it's over. Really, WrestleMania eight, 3. Eight, 80, 87. WrestleMania 87. 3. WrestleMania 3 is yeah. kind of the death of everything else. Res- WrestleMania 3 does that house and that crowd, and meanwhile, Crockett's trying to buy other promotions and falls in a fucking hole he ain't going to get out of. 86, it was neck and neck. And, and, and never in terms of the business, as I've mentioned, in terms of the the office staff or the infrastructure or the, the ways that the business were conducted. But ratings, crowd, talent, I think 86 was the closest. And then the chair started squeaking, and it was never the same after that. That's right. Jace, take the chair out if you can. But Well, then what I said won't make any sense. I want that. I want people to think you're nuts. Okay, well, they think I'm crazy now. But if they stuck their hand a little deeper in my pocket, they'd think I was a little nuts. I was thinking about calling some newsletter writers and planting some stories about you. Well, you know, what you ought to do is just bet on the projections. That's what you ought to do. What projections exactly? Get those pro- make some projections and then bet on them. <laughs> I, do I have to do everything around here? I guess so. I'll do the betting. You make the projections. Oh, so I can make the projections right now. If you want to, what would you like to project? I would like to project, I guess for the sake of this spot here. Yes. I, but it's really hard when you put someone on the spot to just make a <laughs> fucking projection. I project that this week on Dynamite, there will be four matches that go at least through one commercial break. Well, folks, you've just heard from one of the most talented projectionists in the entire movie industry. <laughs> And I think he's projecting his his uh, confusion on the rest of us. But you know what they've done, Brian, is they've figured out a way that you can play against the projections instead of the other people, because other people may be smarter than you. I know we got a smart audience, but there may be some dumb dipshit out there that's stupider than owl shit slapped with a board, as Aunt Lola used to say. So what they do is they just let you pick two to five players, and if they score more or less than the prize picks projection, then you can win up to ten times your money. It doesn't have to be scoring more. It could be any projection they have, and prize picks offers projections on any sport that you watch. NFL, NBA, MLB, NHL, PGA, football, basketball, soccer, WNBA, esports, NASCAR, tennis, MMA, boxing, Euro basketball, cricket, and the ever-popular disc golf. All those sports entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It is that freaking easy for you to do. You can make safe and fast withdrawals. When you withdraw from prize picks, they actually have a security guard that stands over you and watches you in case somebody tries to come up from behind you and hit you over the head and steal your money. You'll be taking your money out digitally There'll be no one in the room unless you have them in the room. There'll be no security guard. You won't need one because it's not an ATM. I thought you had to go down to the corner to the prize picks machine and take out your withdrawals. You can do it right from the comfort of your own home. From your own phone? From your own home? Anything could be a prize pick machine. Well, that that's even safer. Well, then that security guard, you you guys can just sit down and have a have a sandwich. You can, it's also, by the way, I want you to know that Prize Picks is currently operational in over 30 states and Canada. 20 states, apparently, 
have not gotten with the program as of yet, but we are, we are trying. But right now, folks, what you need to do, download the Prize Picks app. However you do that. We've talked about apps before. I still know nothing about them. But you can also... It's an easy thing that almost everyone who has a phone knows how to do. So don't worry. They'll know how to do it. Well, hold on. Wait a minute. I got a phone right here. Hear that? That's a dial tone. You don't have apps on those phones. I'm calling somebody to ask if they've got an app on this phone. Hello? Hello? Never never mind. I'll get back with them later. Anyway. What the hell is You can also go to prizepicks.com to sign up (laughs) and play daily fantasy sports because everybody wants a daily fantasy. First-time users can get a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code JCE. If you put in $100, they will give you $100. If you put in $50, they'll give you $50. If you put in nothing, they'll give you the finger. Don't forget to enter the promo code JCE at sign-up either on the Prize Picks app or at prizepicks.com, and you'll get that instant deposit match up to $100. And then... Write us an an email and tell us how much money you want. That's right. Or send us a check. And that would be even better. All right. Well, apparently, AEW intends to continue doing television until they're forced by lack of a roster not to be able to. And they did another television show this past Wednesday night trying to get themselves out of the mess they got themselves into on Sunday night. And parts of this program were incredibly good. And parts of this program sucked pond water. And we're going to talk a little bit about the good stuff. We're going to try to gloss over the crummy stuff because we also have to discuss what's going on in the bigger picture in this company instead of their television show, which is whether or not they're going to be able to field a team here pretty soon. And we have a couple of actual responsible adults not involved in in this whole thing or uh, taking anybody's side that we have some comments from I want to read, which uh, actually is very pithy comments on this. But So AEW, not trying to, has pretty much knocked the WWF off the front pages of the newsletters and the wrestling news this week. But... Um, I don't expect that'll last. I think things will settle down and WWE will figure out some way to, <laughs> all right, let's 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 do another stadium show in front of 60,000 people and maybe we can get as much buzz as they do over there by getting in fights amongst themselves. But this program, from the start, everybody knew that there was something going to go on, but even the people who hadn't heard of the incident at the media scrum and everything. As soon as the open comes up, there's no punk. There's no twinkle toes. There's no hardly boys. They have been scrubbed from the video open of the television program. And obviously that's not going to be permanent for everybody. Let's see what happens with this thing. But the announcing team, did I miss something? We had Sockface, we had Taz, we had Tony. We didn't have Jim Ross at the start, and Jim Ross did not come out partway through the show. And 
Have I missed something in all of the other Falderall and tomfoolery? Have they reassigned Jim Ross? Is he sick? Was he off this week? Where was JR? Uh, well, we have some reports putting um, AEW lawyer Mega Parikh as carrying Jim Ross out of the room during the skirmish. No, I actually don't more, know. I, I don't more, know where more, he is. More on this as it comes in. I don't know. Um, I don't know. I haven't asked anyone, and I haven't heard anyone say anything. It was noticeable at the start. I mean, as the show went on after a while, because I tuned out the commentary, I wasn't really paying attention, but I haven't heard anything about it. Well, they showed at the top of hey, VTR. Go ahead. A question for you and taking all personal feelings out of it. Yes. If, by chance, Tony Khan was going to look at this as a moment to refresh the blood, to do some things that kind of, okay, this is our opportunity. If the Elite and CM Punk, at a minimum, are going to be suspended, you got to think for at least a little while. They can't pop up back on TV next week. Then this is a chance to do something new, push some different talent, and maybe change the look and sound of the show a little, do you see it making any sense to take Jim Ross off the show? Well, I think... Or only use him in select spots? That, that wasn't where I thought you were going, but I will answer where I thought you were going because it also answers your question. I think right now it doesn't make a fuck who the announcers are on the television program. They got bigger fish to fry. If I was... <laughs> Right now, if I had Jim Ross working for me in my company, I'd say, JR, if you want more money to do this than you did to announce, I understand, but I've got plenty of money. I say that publicly. That's what Tony Khan ought to say. Take Jim Ross off the announce desk and make him the head of talent relations instead of Tony Schiavone or QT or Christopher Daniels or whoever. I don't even know all these names that are, have something to do with talent relations that have never, ever done this before, either ever anywhere or ever anywhere of any size. And say, Jahar, you're the head of talent relations. I'm not, I don't want you to book. That's a whole different problem. I, here are all my contracts with all the talent. Here's all the deals. Here is who's on whose side that I can determine. Here's the problems I've had with everybody, this guy and that guy and the other guy. Can you have a series of meetings where you set everybody down one at a time, two at a time, if they're a tag to whatever, and just figure out what's wrong, what everybody's problem is, who everybody's mad at, and how it can be solved. Are they mad at the company? What for? And let's fix it. Are they mad at the guy they're working with? What for? Let's see if we can fix it. I'm just saying, Jim Ross sat and babysitted the most highly strung, highly paid uh, fucking talent in this business for years. He's got experience. He's done a bunch of things to overcome a bunch of people's problems in the past, and some he couldn't overcome, and those he either sent on their way or was instructed by the chairman to send them on their way, and all of those things apply here. So why not 
sit down and go, okay, somebody that has done more of this than anybody else on earth at a high level with more top talent, let's get their advice on how to sit down and get everybody on the same page. If you think that there's a feckless talent relations department, if that's part of the argument, so many of the guys, if not pretty much everyone there, is a contemporary or just about. I mean, not that much older than the roster in some cases. I mean, it's wrestlers that either retired young or whatever it is. They're not that much older than the stars there. They've worked indies with them, for instance. Right. Do you think it's important to have any kind of significant age difference between the person who's in charge of this? and, Or do you think it's just about, let's not make it about age. Should it be someone who has no relationship with these guys coming in? Should it be someone who has a relationship with them? Who's No, <laughs> it shouldn't be as somebody that has no relationship with them because then that's the problem that Tony had. And from the beginning, he had met them and assumed all of the guys and assumed that they're friends, but he didn't have any relationship with them like on an ongoing basis as a business, you know, uh, uh, associate. He was a fan of theirs and signed him up to wrestle for him. And if you get somebody that has no personal relationship or previous relationship with any of these guys and doesn't have a pretty good understanding of the wrestling business, then it comes down to who presents themselves to that person that doesn't know anything as the most knowledgeable, not who is the most knowledgeable. That's how Russo keeps getting jobs. So it's not about who's the best talent, who's the best employee for your company, whatever. It's about who comes off as the nicest guy to somebody that doesn't know anything about anybody. And people in wrestling, that is sometimes these people's best talent, whether it's Shitstain or the Hardly Boys or whoever. A lot of people think that old Twinkle Toes is a, just a heck of a guy when they don't know anything about anything. So, you know, you stay away. You get people who know the fuck out of wrestlers, not people who have never met wrestlers or people who have only been friends with wrestlers. But I guess the question is, do you want someone who's from a different generation? Do you want someone who knows wrestlers, has stayed in constant touch with the business over the last 20 or 30 years, but isn't between 40 and 50 and a wrestler of this generation? I, I guess. I mean, I don't know. I Does think it matter? It, you know, Does it matter? It shouldn't matter. I mean, because I'm intelligent enough to know that regardless of if a person is my age or younger or older, if they have more experience and are more talented and more accomplished and have a better track record in whatever than I do, I should listen to them. And I do in almost every phase of my life except wrestling. You know why? Because there's almost nobody <laughs> that has a better track record, more experience, and knows more about wrestling than me. But if I'm going to get my car fixed, I'm going to go to the doctor, I'm going to get a fucking room renovated. Turn on your computer. I'm going to turn on my turn computer. Turn on your phone. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to ask questions of people that know more about it than I do. Whether they're young, old, or whatever the fuck. And that's not happening here because... Tony thought that the rest, he trusted these guys that they know what they're doing and he wasn't well-versed enough in wrestling to know that they didn't. 
the EVPs I'm talking about, he believed because he was a fan and a very special kind of fan, not just a casual fan, but a fucking fan, that he would know how to write his own television show, even though he had never done it before ever for real. And we see how that's worked. And that's the problem here. It's not, you know, Tony's a great guy because he financed everything and had the contacts with TBS, the previous administration, and the whole nine yards get this thing done. So he does deserve to win some Promoter of the Year awards. But as talent relations manager or as booker, as we talked about earlier with all the turns or anything to do with the actual wrestling business, no, he's hindered the company because he won't put people in charge that know what the fuck they're doing. And because he believed that this mass hypnosis about the elite was going to transform into a national wrestling promotion. When, let's face it, again, as now his own numbers are showing, the people don't want to see the trampoline cowboys. They don't want to see the bullshit. They want to see stars and they want to see serious shit. They don't want to see gymnastics and they don't want to see cosplaying kids. And the ratings are bearing that out. And the reason why that all this stuff is blowing up right now, like we talked about WrestleMania 1 was a perfect storm of all the publicity falling into place and all these things happening. Well, now their perfect storm has become that the EVPs are seeing that they're being seen through. That nobody gave a shit when Twinkle Toes came back for his triumphant return. 200,000 people said, fuck it. I'll watch the grass grow before I'll watch this. And they're being seen through, and they don't like that because Punk came in and drew real money and real ratings and gave them a boost. And so now they have to be on the the train to get Punk fired because that further fucking exposes them. These are what the problems are. It's not... It's not just about who announces the TV show or whether they do a shitty segment six. It's that he's relied on inexperienced people and people who are only out for themselves and their friends. And then the perfect storm, Cody just left. Cody's too professional. Cody took it seriously being an EVP. Cody wants to wear a suit and Cody, because of his jeans and the American dreams blood flowing through his loins or whatever. He wants to be a serious wrestling executive in charge of a major company. Or he wanted to, probably still does. But he didn't want to put up with the fucking kids. Punk says, I'm old, I'm I'm hurt, I'm tired, and I work with children. Cody just said, I'll just go on up there where they will fucking give me a spot because... I'm me, and they need a baby face. He didn't want to fucking fuck with them. But you got a guy like Punk, whose track record is, he don't put up with bullshit. And again, when you talk about talent relations, does anybody think, does anybody think that it was entirely news to Tony Khan everything CM Punk said in that media scrum? He, Tony Khan had never heard these things before. And on the other side of the coin, does anybody think that Tony Khan had not heard all the bitching and griping from the EVPs? And 
Did anybody think that Tony Khan was unaware that hangnail Adam Page went out on his national television show and went into business for himself trying to take up for Colt fucking Cabana when there was a million-dollar gate and a fucking pay-per-view world title main event coming up, and instead what's on that fucking empty-headed little fucking butt-muncher's mind is Colt fucking Cabana? You know, that's the part of the story that we still don't have a handle on. Tony Khan knew what he was supposed to be saying because he's the booker. Did Tony Khan not say like everybody else did when he was sitting there watching it, what the fuck is he saying? Why, why did Tony Khan not go to Adam Page afterwards and go, hey, what the fuck are you doing? Do you think I'll ever let you on television again after you just did that? No, he didn't because he don't have the balls. That's the problem. All this stuff has been going on. All this stuff has been happening, and you know that Tony Khan's been hearing it, but he wouldn't do anything about it. So that's where we're at. And they have to, as a result of all this shit, they VTR'd MJF's comeback at the pay-per-view, and they had to edit it so you never saw Punk or heard anything about the match that prefaced the return, so you had no idea what happened if you didn't see the pay-per-view. Hey, bigger question. If you did see the pay-per-view, is that insulting? Yes. It's, it's insulting because, number one, if you saw the pay-per-view, you understood it, and then you see the package, you don't. But also, people have just paid $50 for a pay-per-view to see the world championship decided after they'd just done the screwy little deal the week before. And they've... Did anybody pay for the pay-per-view to see the world six-man title decided? But it was on a pay-per-view. And then... The first thing that we hear on the TV show three days later is Tony Khan saying, I've vacated the world title and the world six-man title. And if you didn't watch the media scrum, if you don't go to the wrestling sites for all the news, if you don't know what the fuck's gone on, then everybody was going, what the fuck? And let's face it, not everybody knew what was happening because not everybody lives their life in the middle of this shit. But they had 1.2 million, or was it 1.3? People tune in at the start of this program. That means the regular crowd, plus anybody that wanted to see what the fuck was going to happen, plus anybody that heard about the melee, they all tuned in to see what was going to happen, and Tony Khan's face pops up, and he and the crowd boos him, first of all. Those were the people that knew what had been going on. Then he announces the titles are vacated. Then the people boo again. And then he never mentions why those titles were vacated. He just said there's going to be a six-man tag tonight, and the winners will be champions, and there's going to be a tournament again. The tournament got booed. Why wouldn't it? Everyone, We've been saying this for like two <laughs> years now. Everyone's sick of these tournaments. There's going to be a tournament for the title to fill the spot in two weeks and it starts tonight, this motherfucker cannot let anything breathe. He can't sit back and go, you know, I might better think about this for just a minute 
I might better just announce this slowly. I might better just announce the titles are vacated and we're going to announce what we're going to do about it next week. Just anything. He's got to blurt it out before he has a grip on what's going on. The only people he listens to are the lawyers. Well, he'll listen to Mega if Mega says something. Maybe he needs to listen to Stephen P. New because Stephen P. New could book a better wrestling show than this. But it was a pre-taped announcement that Tony Khan did and somebody on Twitter, wherever, well, why didn't he come out live? I guarantee you somebody close to him told him, do not try this live, Tony. But it's too complicated between the matchups he had to rattle off and the fact that Tony tends to wander badly when when public speaking. There's no way he could have got away with doing this live. But as it was, no mention again. So I'm going to hit you with this, Brian, and we'll move on. Because the good stuff's coming up. Let's say the Ty Cobb, Mickey Mantle, Lou Gehrig, and Babe Ruth are all working for the New York Yankees, right? All playing on the team. Uh, sure, yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to... Ty like, Cobb was never a Yankee. Well, nevertheless, that's the, that's the four big baseball players I know, and you're going to take me to task for do, comparing one of these to Twinkle Toes, but I don't know any job guy baseball players' names. Twinkle Toes? Is it DiMaggio? Possibly. Oh. So Babe Ruth is pissed off at Ty Cobb and Mickey Mantle and Lou Gehrig. And finally, they get in a fight because old George Steinbrenner has not done anything to fucking settle this down. So they all have to be suspended. My question to you is, after they're suspended, and the next time that the, the Yankees go out to play a game and there's no Babe Ruth or Ty Cobb or Mickey Mantle or Lou Gehrig, would George Steinbrenner, would he make the announcement? Ladies and gentlemen, the Babe Ruth, Ty Cobb, Mickey Mantle, and Lou Gehrig are suspended because they got in a fight in the locker room last week, so they ain't playing tonight. Okay, you don't know anything about baseball, but you got one thing right. If it was Steinbrenner? Steinbrenner would have put out a statement. He also would have lambasted them publicly. He was an in owner it, that would do that. In any professional sport, including the UFC, we just, Dana White canceled his press conference because the guy's got in a fight and he said that. It's a shit show back there. In any sport, I'm not arguing with the suspension that Tony had did what he had to do. But in any sport, would it be reported... <laughs> that so-and-so has been suspended because they got in a fight. You don't have to take a side. I know there's legal situations coming up, but if there would be a legal situation coming up, if the baseball players got in a fight or the football players or the soccer players or the disc golf players. So why, even if there is legal investigations going on and potentially legal things happening, why is it illegal for the owner of the company to give the simple reason I stripped these people of their championships because they got in a fight in a locker room and they've been suspended? Not placing blame, reporting a fact. 
Yeah, listen, I know CM Punk has good lawyers, but you could say something. Come on. <laughs> what is this? Because this just made it just even more. So anyway, so then that's over with, but then the music hits and here comes MJF. And folks, he was chewing the scenery like Betty Davis in her mid-50s. I mean, my God, this was, it was brilliant. And I'll tell you why I thought it was brilliant, not just the performance. He's always good with that. There was special oomph to this, but the people were going to cheer anyway. They were going to cheer because it's MJF and he's back. And after all this other shit show they've seen, goddamn, at least something we might want to watch, right? So he let them get it out of their system. Taking a page out of the Johnny Valentine book. You want to chant boring? I'll fucking bore you. Get it out of your system, and then I'm running this. I'm fucking this dog, and you're holding its head. Johnny Valentine, that statement made for the first time I've ever made it actually been true. But. <laughs> Jesus so, Christ. <laughs> I'm just. It took me a second. <laughs> so MJF. convinced us that he was going to be an over-the-top gimmick babyface. It was still going to be MJF, that smart-ass, but now he's going to be that fun-loving, smart-ass MJF. That's what they thought, and he's milking them for all it's worth, and he showed that he can do it, and he had them. He's a verbal maestro. And I mean, and, and I mean, just doing the, hey, how about a round of applause for yourselves? Give yourselves a round of applause. And he says he has the chip from the casino deal and he guaranteed title shot. He's not going to mess around with this tournament. He's going to cash in when he wants, when the time is right, because folks, we need leadership. Did you catch that one? We need leadership here, and just like he compared himself to Moses, except he's better than Moses, and he's going to take his people straight through the parting of the Red and or the Cucamonga Sea. I guess that would would be the sea that needs parted right now is the Cucamonga Sea. But anyway... You can part it with a chair. There you go. He finishes after this incredible dissertation the people are cheering him they're standing up they shout his catchphrase he takes a bow and moxley music hits and here comes wild thing you make my toilet sing apparently the language warning was real because moxley gets in the ring and confronts him and the first thing he says is you're full of crap John Moxley didn't say crap on purpose unless they have all been told that shit is no longer tolerated in this establishment. Because this is the guy that's told the fan to go fuck himself at time, right? So as soon as Moxley says that, like a light switch and seamlessly... MJF becomes the real MJF again and instantly turns back heel. That's right. This town sucks and his quarterbacks are shits and a blah, blah, blah. And they're starting to boo him out of the building. It was beautiful. It was a work of art because they were going to give him that reaction when he came out. So he let them get it out of their system. Then they see Moxley. Now we're back in program mode. And MJF can be himself and all is right with the world. And 
Now comes another part of the the controversial part of this promo is that MJF goes on the the uh, bender about I'm going to cash this chip in. It's going to be another bargaining chip in my bidding war of 2024 when I go to a real company with real fans and real wrestlers like my friend Cody and the only real con in wrestling, good old Saint Nick. <laughs> it's a good line. And I'm again, he's brilliant. But <laughs> you'll see a bunch of old time wrestlers saying, "Well, he shouldn't talk about the competition," and that just that's burying it. It's it's terrible. And you'll you'll the only probably the only old fashioned feeling that Uncle Dave has anymore is, "Oh, you shouldn't do that." He's completely lost all of his principles, and everything else is now the modern age, and we've all got to learn and change and evolve. And a lot of people are saying that. A lot of people say, you know, and I understand number two is the one who knocks number one, and number one ignores number two in promotional wars and in competitions of that nature. But at the same time, I see what they're trying to do here because it makes MJF the devil himself, no pun intended, to this audience to the AEW audience and the AEW faithful, it makes MJF the biggest prick in the world because he wants to go to the WWF where they'll make a lot, he'll make a lot of money and be treated like a star instead of this shit show. And that makes sense because, to be quite honest, let's face it, both sides have a point, and I can see both of them. But there are not enough people in play here, fans, viewers in play that are undecided to make a difference anymore in, you know, when, when they say, well, MJF is just making WWE sound like the big company. Well, everybody knows it already is. There's not enough people you could really convince in the middle there. So I say MJF is getting heat on himself with that audience. And then Moxley says, well, you better leave the ring right now or I'll make you. And both of them stripped down. And by the way, if MJF, if this was a shoot and he really couldn't get the sleeve of his shirt off and had to work that hard, it was serendipitous. It was perfect. It was brilliant. It reminded me of the old J.J. Dillon can't unzip my jacket spot. And they have the face off and then MJF powders and walks out. So that it was a brilliant verbal performance. And I understand the the problems that some people have with his referring to the WWE. If everybody or even anybody else, much less everybody, if anybody else started doing it on the program, it would be Gaga. But because of who he is, what his situation is and how he can do it and how he gets mileage out of it, I, it, it doesn't bother me that bad. A comment on MJF before we, we go to the section of the program with the plumber. I thought it was a great segment. Like you said, he nails everything he does. Putting him with Moxley is a good idea because the fans do like Moxley, and it'll make, I guess as much as you can, it'll make the fans boo MJF. There was fear coming out of the pay-per-view that fans are going to cheer him. Jericho was all but begging people to make him a babyface during the fucking media scrum. I thought, MJ yeah, uh, yeah, well, I wonder why he doesn't want any other heel to have any heat, but go ahead. Yeah, I thought this was really good. It was also the highlight of the show, I think, in terms of ratings. 
MJF's one of the people that people tune in to see. It's good to have him back on the show. Hopefully the rest of the show can get repaired somehow, but that's it. Well, and, and yes, and they need now more than ever, they need MJF on that program on a regular basis, doing the things that he does because they, they've got no punk. I mean, you know, we, oh, they need him we, in ways that people don't realize. Cause I got, yeah. from what I understand from talking to people outside of wrestling, he's a big deal for people at the network. Actually. Well, yes, because they can, I mean, you think that the people running a television network don't know entertaining television, even if they don't know wrestling, they can tell the difference between monotone, you know, somnambulistic delivery of promo lines and goofy stagey shit between children and a guy that comes out there like that and sets a place on fire and is a fucking performer. So yes, they want more of that on the, you know, but is he the biggest star in AEW right now? I mean, Jericho stole, well, no, Jericho no, stole okay. the name Jericho yeah. and Moxley's a big star, but Punk's right now not there. Kenny Omega and the Elite, to their fans, we know what they mean. They're not there. Who's the biggest star in AEW? Right now to you, who's the biggest star in AEW? See, now that when you, when you ask a question like that, it can be open to interpretation. Yes, and you just mentioned Chris Jericho is the bigger star because more people around the world know his name because he's been around for 20 years. People have heard it. Is he more popular now or more important to the show? Does he get a bigger reaction than MJF? No. So the bigger star, that's subject to interpretation. Who right now is most important to the program? Who are the fans most into, positively or negatively, heel or babyface? I think it's MJF. And He's the most compelling guy they have right now, especially with Punk not there, because whatever Punk did was compelling. This, this thing with Punk is the most compelling the elite have ever been, and we're not going to have a payoff unless Tony gets his way. MJF's the one guy who's always compelling every segment. And, as you mentioned, because the people do like Moxley. And Moxley, after MJF walked out, then he takes the microphone and he starts the rah-rah speech. And Brian, would you care to hazard a guess as to what I thought about Plumber Moxley's live interview in this particular situation? I'm going to guess my hypothesis is that you didn't like it. I did see some people that thought it was incredible. I heard from people in the room who liked it. I heard from people in the room who may not have liked it as much, but I don't think you liked it. Well, you'd be wrong then. Wow. Because I can't believe that I'm going to say this, but this promo was brilliant. This promo was not only the best. I mean, let's, in one way, Moxley ought to quit now. He ain't going to top this. This was not only the best John Moxley promo I've ever heard, this was actually one of the best promos in wrestling, period, that I have ever heard for a particular situation. For the sticky wicket that they have found themselves in, and he was speaking to the smart fans and the people that are aware of, of everything going on, it was good regardless. But this was exactly what that fan base needed to hear and wanted to hear. It was great material. And again, I can't believe I'm saying this, brilliantly delivered. As, as a 
not only as a baby face, he took responsibility for losing. He put the tournament and the guys in it over. He made himself the underdog and then vowed to take the shot and bring home the gold. You can tell he really wants to be the champion. He wants to be the guy in that company. Now, Jericho, that's the next guy that Moxley's going to have to watch out for because right now, Moxley is probably the one that will stand in Jericho's way of being the biggest star in Jericho's mind. He knows that, you know, more people know his name than most of the other guys. But if Jericho can figure out a way to talk Tony into firing Punk, then Moxley would be next on his radar because if Moxley was gone, then Jericho could have the whole thing all to himself. But nevertheless, having said that, this was the rah-rah speech that the fans needed to hear. It was a rah-rah speech probably for a lot of people in the locker room. And for this particular situation, in this environment, with what all's gone on, this promo fit the occasion better than almost anything I can think of that I've heard in I don't know how long. And for is it sooner or later a blind squirrel finds a nut? Is it because he really, Moxley is wrapped up and he wants to be the champion and he wants AEW to succeed and he came out with this because he sees the team is in need and this was his crowning achievement verbally? I don't know what, but this promo by Moxley was fucking brilliant. Who do you think it was for? Was it for the fans or was it for the boys? Both. It was for the fans and the boys. Because and and there's not a lot of difference between the fans and the boys in that company, uh, but it was for both. It was him saying as a locker room leader and a veteran, that's what the boys needed to hear, and he that's what the fans needed to hear in his mind to keep the people in headed in the right way. But it was it was great. I don't I don't know whether he'll ever do anything this good again, but that's the greatest thing in my mind he's ever done. You know, they said that before the show, there was a meeting that was kind of corralled, and the leaders of it were Jericho, Moxley, and Danielson, who I guess would now be the three of the active rosters and the stars in that company. We forgot about Danielson yeah. talking about Danielson, the stars. Yeah. Those would be the ones with, you know, MJF's is still a kid, so no one's going to really listen to him. <laughs> yeah, we don't, we don't think about Danielson a lot because he's hidden in the group now. But yes, Danielson, Moxley, and Jericho would be the names so I think Moxley is taking it seriously uh, in front of the camera and behind the camera. I think he's trying to, and if this causes Moxley to step it up and he ends up being good in this, you know, hey, maybe that's a good development for Tony Khan. See, now, every, this is the time where MJF, he came out and he put that performance on because he knows that this is his show to steal. And Moxley, he's thinking, okay, the team is in need. I got to rally the troops, circle the wagons, get everybody on the right side the right correct page whatever i'm sure danielson in a less forceful way is probably thinking the same thing and i'm thinking jericho's thinking hey only one or two more fucking names to get on tony's shit list and i got this thing all to myself we can get more into the idea that jericho uh, would like certain people to be gone and certainly he would certainly like certain people to be gone but let me ask you this because we're talking about all these things who's the biggest star who AEW has as leaders. We're going into that show in Queens on the 21st. They're going to announce not an interim champion, but the tournament final is going to be for the new world champion. Who would you put the belt on right now? A heel or a babyface? And I mean, 
Would it be Moxley a third time? Is that working? Or what would you do? Well, at first I was thinking, God damn it, can they just put the belt on Danielson? Because at least then you've got a guy who can work with everybody, a legitimate star, somebody can carry the fucking thing and nobody's going to scoff at it. But then the problem becomes MJF's the direction they need to go. They just need to make sure they're right when they pull the trigger on it. And, you know, God damn it. The problem is Danielson was a great heel six months ago, and now he's been a baby in a baby face group. But is there going to be that much animosity can they build between him and Danielson, which is totally, you know, starting from scratch? With Moxley, with that promo that he did, I think you put it on him, and when MJF beats him for it, then MJF's got some fucking heat. What about Danielson Moxley? I mean, they're Blackpool Combat Club guys. It's not really working for both of them. One of them has to go. Yeah. You could do something there, and... You know, it'll probably be good stiff matches. If they, uh, if they can learn how to lay, or they, if Moxley can learn how to lay in his elbows and some of those strikes, they could have some good stuff right now. And then you don't have to rush MJF. Well, I'm not saying rush it regardless, but goddamn, then here's the thing. If, if Moxley wins the belt again and loses it a short time later, that even looks worse because he just, he just lost the belt after fucking five days and now he's back in the tournament. It's a goddamn mess. Would you put the belt on Chris Jericho? No. No, because that, again, then he'd have to have matches, single matches, long matches with with a variety of people, and we don't want to have that going on. Plus, we don't want the belt to be stolen again. Well, exactly. You never know what my, he leaves his car unlocked all the time. But no, let's go, I think Moxley... Rally the folks around him. He's a baby face. Have a baby face champion for a little while. Have MJF trying shoot some three pointers at first and fuck with him from afar and then get closer together and then finally do the thing when when the time is right. Um Danielson would be a great world champion in a vacuum, but I don't know how it works into this equation right now. Danielson, if he somehow was able to get back to that heel he was. That would have been a great world champion. Yeah. Just a guy out there saying, I'm going to kick your ass. I'm going to kick your head in. I'm using better language. It's like, I'm on TBS here. <laughs> that would have been good, but you know he's been misused now. As soon as he got into the whole fucking Jericho thing. Well, yeah, the, the, the time to do Danielson as world champion would have been late last year when he was doing that. And now it, you know, but. Other than moving- MJ, wait, one, one, one last question. Okay. Other than MJF. And I can't think of anyone off the top of my head, even though there may be someone. Is there anyone else that, for lack of a better term, is a homegrown AEW guy, even though he started in other places, was there from the beginning, a young guy? Is there anyone else you would even consider being in that mix for consideration? <sighs> not right now. Sammy because... Guevara. Oh, good God. I'm, I'm, not, I'm just asking just because so, that's one of the names, Sammy Guevara. No, but no. I mean, you know... <laughs> Sammy's a heel and people like to dislike him and he's got the girl and blah, 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 but he's not the world champion. He's not going to be the world champion. And also, is he going to paralyze himself doing one of these goofy moves? Then you're, you've lost another world champion to injury, this time probably avoidable. Is he going to say something else where they need to fucking send him to 
be more sensitive? Is he is he's young and he's got a slappable face and a smart mouth? Don't make him the world champion right now. Um, nobody else is ready because of the but Wardlow. You don't want to. That's the last thing you want to do is expose him by putting the world title on him and then putting the pressure on him of having to go out and have matches with a variety of people, and it would hurt his gimmick and his aura. So no, there is nobody else right now. That's the problem. The guys that were names that came in as names are still names. And the guys that came in and, and were, you know, at the mercy of Tony Khan's booking and how to get them over, the only one that's made it to MJF because of his verbal talent and Wardlow because of his physical charisma and neither one of them had a lot of help with the booking except MJF was involved with Punk, so that wasn't going to go far wrong. And they had Wardlow on a great tra trajectory until he got away from MJF, and then he floundered. So there's nobody else that's ready to be the world champion of that thing. And God damn, the last thing you want to do, I can't even believe they put Paige in the tournament when there's the weasel that started the whole thing on a, at a public basis. And they reward him for being the instigator for their entire company falling apart by putting him back in a world title tournament. And the fans rewarded him by booing him out of the building because they know what's up. The story yeah. is out there. He cost, he cost the company everything. Adam Page going into that promo and going into business for himself, all the whispers, all the, the gossip, it really is like a junior high school there with some of these camps. All the guys that didn't like Punk, that's one thing. But going in the ring and doing that, that started this whole thing. That cost AEWC and Punk for the, at least the time being. If you like the Bucks and Omega, that cost him the Bucks and Omega. It's all because of Adam Page. Well, and if you like Brandon Cutlet, he's suspended too. Who likes Brandon um, Cutlet? <laughs> exactly. But nevertheless, uh, so yeah, so we'll move on. The six-man title was decided. The, <laughs> the title that was created just simply so that the Hardly Boys and Twinkle Toes could play with their friends was now decided between the Puddin' Gang with Danhausen and Pack, Felix, and Penthouse. So they've already shit on their new title. Apparently, Pockets, Muffin Top Taylor, and Mrs. Trent's Baby Boy are the second best team in the division. So where are they going to go from here? What the fuck? And then, and then, you know, basically, and then Danhausen still is just there cursing people. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Three fucking ordinary-looking putts is managed by a guy in a Halloween costume wrestled the Death Triangle. We're... Were the heels not baby faces last week? The Death Triangle, Pack and Felix and Penthouse, they were baby faces last week. Now they're against the Puddin Gang. Well, they're baby faces the unless they go against other baby faces, and then all right. So anyway, them. yeah, I don't know. They had that match, and there's new six man champions. And have you noticed that little Brutus of the Dork Order, when he does these backstage interview segments? 
he's not just bad, but I think he's trying to be bad. He's trying to be worse than he is. He's trying to be a little comic actor. I mean, that's what it is. I mean, that's what they all do in those, that whole Young Bucks camp and that little show they do. It's all just little comic actors. All right. Penelope Pitstop is back on the program. So forget about Punk and Harpo and the Hardleys being suspended. We got Penelope back. And she comes to the ring with little Pip Sabian, who comes out with that box on his head. They have paid this little fucking creep for the past, what, year, year and a half to sit in the crowd, various places around the country and the world, with a box on his head. Did you see the match in the pre-show for the pay-per-view? We didn't even talk about that. No. Him against Pac, you know, they give him a little promo package, he's got his hair made up, he's got a little... Thing when he walks out, other people come out with the boxes. I guess some kind of synchronized show that he's doing. And the fans did not give a fuck. Well, why would they? The fan, and they were doing, the match went on for a while. It was a weird match. And the fans didn't care. And all of a sudden, here he is again. I mean, this is, this is what happens too many times with AEW. Tony likes people, especially on a personal level. And next thing you know, they're going to be jammed down your throat for, <laughs> uh, what, six weeks, eight weeks? How long do you think this this Kip Sabian run will last? This has been a year and a half. And I I guess after the video game marriage or whatever, the guy got hurt. That was a graceful way to have buyer's remorse and say, tell you what, we'll let your contract run out and we'll pay you and thank you very much for your efforts. But no, they bring him back and send him to the ring with a box over his head to second Penelope Pitstop against Tony Storm, who, by the way, is the new interim women's champion. What does the box say, and what does it signify? Have we ever even got that? It that signifies far? the box I wish I have over my head sometimes when I watch AEW. I'm not exactly sure. I'll say this. Whatever we want to say about him, Penelope Ford, if you watch her in the ring, I'm not saying she's... I was about to say, I'm not saying she's the fabulous Moolah. Moolah sucks, though. I'm not saying she's... Jamie Hayter or anything, but she does try hard and she's one of the more athletic women in there. And I don't know. She's not, she hasn't been around in a long time. It's the first time I watched her in a while. So I really was paying attention. I wanted to see sloppy at times. Sure. And Tony Storm's pretty good. So she had a good opponent, but Penelope Ford's not that bad. Moving along. um, Okay. Who is action Bronson? He is a singer, a rapper. Wait a minute, that fat, bald, tattooed guy well, is a singer? Why, why do you have to just start insulting someone? Well, no, because I thought it was some kind of like, oh, New York area celebrity or something, you know, that was that's, would be aligned with Hook. I thought like, you know, who's that guy? Like a real life superhero, Action Bronson? And no, well, like, who's that guy that, that they used to make a big deal out of in the New York area. He knocked out, was it Steven Seagal or John claude Van Damme? Oh, Chuck Zito. Chuck Zito. Yeah. I figured this was a Chuck Zito, that some fat, old, tattooed, bald guy. Jesus Christ. That they know in New York that would be hanging out with Hook, uh, uh, you know, mad at Daddy Mac and Cool Hand Luke. But he's, uh, this guy, he's white. And he's 50 years old. He's got to be. He's 38. He's from Queens. 
God damn, he looks my age. You're not and 50 years old. That's what I'm saying. He, I'm 60. I look better than him. He looks 38. <laughs> or he is 38. <laughs> he looks like he's been floating in a river for three days. The point is... I don't is, know what this guy did to you. He's 38. Well, no. How is this fucking fat, old, tattooed, bald, white guy a fucking rapper? Uh, how? I mean, he has a microphone, I mean, two turntables and a microphone. Why would a 50-year-old, fat, tattooed, bald, white guy want to be a fucking rapper? He's 38. I'm sure his weight could fluctuate like it could for everybody. And, um... Man stayed pretty steady recently. He did um Hook's theme song, I believe. God, I don't know. But anyway, oh, and it says here in his Wikipedia, he's also a chef. Chad, would you eat anything this guy cooked? Yeah, it looks like he knows what he's doing. Fuck, it looked like somebody used to set the ring up for Dennis Corluso. Have you ever seen what uh, chefs look like? Have you ever been in a kitchen? But no, and don't tell me to, or else I'll, I miss restaurants now. I'll never want to eat one again. What do you envision them looking like? Let me Tuxedos? ask you. Okay, yes. I think if, if a, a son of a bitch is going to be cooking dinner for me, he needs to dress up, wash his, at least wear a tie, wash his fucking hands, <laughs> make sure his nose is pre-picked, get in there and get to, get to cooking. But, okay, does anybody in the world know who the fuck Action Bronson is? Because they just, they came out here and and Daddy Mac and Cool Hand Luke did a fucking promo about Hook and they're mad at Action Bronson and Action Bronson did a promo taken up for Hook. Does anybody besides you, because you're from the New York, New Jersey area, know who the fuck Action Bronson is? Is he a big deal? I mean, he's a big deal... With his fans, he has fans. He's a big deal with his immediate family. Yeah, he's a known musician. I mean, again, you're not into hip-hop or he? rap. Do you, I can name 10 musicians who are in the top 10 right now. You wouldn't name any of them. It's just people know him. Now, I'm not talking about me. I I'm do, talking about but you're, you're, you're giving me some wishy-washiness here. Oh, people know well, him. Let me, How many let me say it this way. Let me say it this way. Let me ask you this. If he was to be run over on Interstate 64 by a fucking truck, would a bunch of people run out there to give him mouth to mouth? Or would they just say, well, it doesn't look like he's going to make it? That's a ridiculous question because Interstate 64 doesn't run through Queens. What I was going to say. Uh, that, was my, that was my mistake. What I was going to say is something I'm trying to remember now. She interrupted me like 20 fucking times about interstates <laughs> and all these fucking deaths and everything. What I was going to say is I Who agree with you. Him? Does anybody know him? That's where we're That's going what I was that. going to say. God damn it. <laughs> what I was going to say is I almost agree with you, or I somewhat agree with you, in that I know who he is. Some people may know who he is. Some people may know the name, but not know if that's an actor, a rapper, or a boxer, or what. But either way, I do think it needed to be explained better. Not to diminish his star ability. And what him and Hook could do as a tag team in this tag team division. And is he, they're going to have this fucking guy wrestle. Apparently. Hey, I have not seen a bad celebrity wrestler in quite some time, so I'm okay with it. Well, there you go. You're about to. I get <laughs> this fucking guy, get, I'll, I'll bet you this guy can't get in the ring by himself on the first try. All right, here comes Max Caster and the acclaimed. And he goes, listen, and then Swerve's music cuts him off. And I, God damn it, I was ready for a rap. I was going to transcribe that, but 
Then I realized that Castor was in a no-win situation because whatever he re- he had to refer to the unreferable, he had to mention the unmentionable. That's what people would have been suspecting or expecting. So they cut him off and out comes Swerve. And <laughs> you and I were just talking about this last week. When they did the promo, Swerve and Keith Lee, are they switching heel? Are they... Are they trying to switch heel? Because that's the way it appears. Well, now Swerve comes out and he's completely a heel. Nobody stabbed anybody in the back or turned on anybody. They just decided, okay, over the last week, Swerve has become an asshole, so we'll just go with it. And the fans were chanting asshole at him. Uh, He was dressed like a heel. He talked like a heel. He did a great promo. And the people were on his ass. And the question is, where the fuck was Keith Lee? His partner, Swerve, has the tag team belt. Swerve's talking to a tag team about a tag team title match. No mention of, you know, Keith's in the back jogging or eating cupcakes or, you know, practicing his fucking speechifying with Frazier Crane or whatever he was doing. So Swerve is apparently a heel now. I guess Keith Lee is too, since they're partners. Swerve looks great and talks great. Keith Lee was not there. And Billy Gunn, of all people, jumped in and cut Swerve off (laughs) and said, this is daddy ass's house. And the people love him. They love the acclaim. They love Billy Gunn. They're all screaming, scissor me, daddy ass, the T-shirts. They got something there. And hopefully in two weeks or a week and a half now or whatever it is, they will win the belts from Swerve and Keith Lee and be the tag team champions because the alternative is, is Tony Khan's going to fuck up another thing that he's accidentally been handed, handed and he doesn't know how to handle it. So, uh, what do you th- what do you think of this whole thing? Scissor me, daddy ass. Yeah, that's is a thing now. That's still my least favorite part of the whole thing, to be quite honest with you. But I'm very happy for the acclaim. They've worked hard. Obviously, they got over on their own. They didn't get any help. They aren't part of the friends clique, and I don't think they drink the Jericho Kool Aid. So it's just two guys getting by with hard work. It's nice to see that work at AEW, they're over. They're super over. Two most over teams in AEW right now, the Acclaimed and FTR. I hope that doesn't cause one of them to be rushed into a heel turn before it's time. Although, it's like the stock market. You have to know when to buy. You have to know when to sell. You also don't want to wait too long before you do something, but... Well, neither one of those teams can turn now because the people won't... It it would just kill their their momentum. So you have two strong babyface tag teams then. Let's say you have Swerve and Keith Lee as one of the strong heel tag teams, and I'll give that time. If they're going to make them heels, I don't know where Keith Lee was, but I like Swerve, and them together, it's a weird dynamic, a dichotomy, but who's the other heel tag team? Who are the other tag teams? If the Young Bucks are out of the tag team picture completely. (laughs) Well, the people have decided they like the acclaimed, and the people have decided they like FTR. And if you try to turn either one of those teams heel now, the people would go, fuck you, we're still going to cheer for them. Because the acclaim, they like their personality. At FTR, they like their work. 
So apparently Tony needs to come up with some more fucking heel teams. But not either one of those two. You know, I'm just, I don't know. I know Tony hears voices in his head. I just don't know why he doesn't listen to them. Because they're right there. They're telling him what to do. They're telling him how to salvage this thing. They're telling him how to traverse these shark-infested waters of pro-wrestling locker rooms and emerge into the light of success as a top wrestling promotion. All the voices in his head are telling him that. He won't listen to any of them. Instead, he's listening to the voices that he's looking at from his EVPs. But, you know, Brian, that's the thing. You got to be selective on the voices you listen to. That's why that we here at the program want to tell everybody, no more will you hear muffled voices in your head with the Raycon everyday earbuds. You will hear them perfectly clearly. Wow, what a transition. I'm telling you. A work of art. Wow. Hey, if (laughs) if you've got voices in your head telling you to do things and you can't hear them clearly, you don't know what to do. But if you put the Raycon Everyday Earbuds in your ears and you hear voices in your head, you will hear exactly with crisp sound, excellent bass, customizable sound profiles, and they've got earbud tap functions. That means you can can tap a function anytime you've got these earbuds. Noise isolation, awareness mode, eight hours of playtime, a 32-hour battery life, and with the optimized gel tips for the perfect in-ear fit. If you get pile-driven, they won't pop out. If you get power-bombed, they won't pop out. If you get STF'd, they won't pop out. No matter what happens to you, well, except if you're sitting in a locker room and a half a dozen people bust your door down and begin rushing you for no apparent reason, Then you got to leg dive a few and you got to stretch a few and you got to punch a few. You got to do what you got to do, but your Raycons will not fall out. What if you get hit in the head with a chair? Well, in that case... Will they fall out? No, they'll just ring a little. And right now, folks, if you go to buyraycon.com, that's B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N, buyraycon.com slash J-C-E, you'll get 15%. Off of your entire Raycon order, buyraycon.com slash JCE, 15% off everything on the website. That's an amazing statistic right there. Buyraycon.com slash JCE, and you will hear the voices in your head more clearly than ever. Some people have experience with other earbuds. But I'll tell you what, no matter where you pick up your earbuds, whether it's at a restaurant, whether it's at a to-go place, or even a drive-thru, buy Raycon, that's the best. That's right, and you can listen to it anywhere. You can listen to it on the road, you can listen to it on a plane, you can listen to it on a plane. On a train? On a train, in the bed, on your head. In a car, (laughs) in your head, there you are. (laughs) Raycon. Raycons. All right. So, uh, folks, if you only knew. Uh, continuing this program, Wardlow. It's nice to see now he's actually getting one-on-one squash matches, which is, again, the backwards booking. 
Start off in the main events. A year later, you get in the you get to fucking squash matches. But he killed Tony Nese in one minute, and that was perfect. Remember, they Tony Nese was going to be a premier athlete that uh, was a, a great free agent, and then now he just comes out to get beat up and his joke manager. But this was actually to send Wardlow out to cut a promo because he cut a promo about people on the internet saying that Wardlow has lost it. You heard this, right? Oh, I heard this promo, sure. Well, Wardlow, we never said you'd lost it. We said your booking lost it. You're not in charge of that. You haven't lost anything your booking has. The way you have been booked after the MJF uh, debacle where you were freed from his enslavement and they had no fucking idea what to do with you from there. So you got in a joke feud with a joke lawyer and joke fake security. And then you've been forced to team up with unrelated people in cold matches that have nothing to do with you. That's the way you've been booked. You're performing as well as you possibly can. You have nothing to be ashamed of. In another time, in another company with other people in charge, you would have been a big fucking star by now. And you would be in main events. I can think of one other company where you would be in main events. It's called the WWE. Because when somebody like you comes along and starts getting over, they accentuate that. Or at least they used to. And I bet now that Vince is gone, they will again. But you're there and you have no, you didn't go to school with the Cucamonga kids and you don't have anybody pulling for you or going to bat for you. So you're at the mercy of the ideas they come up with you for. Yeah, and also this promo, this was the most fired up we ever heard him. He really was fired up about this yeah. whole thing. Because he's offended because he know he can hear the people when he comes out. They were up here two months ago and now they're about here. He's been booked like he, shit. He gets over huge by the end of it. Every time he comes out, the 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 response initially is more lukewarm than it was. By the time he gets finished, they're up again because he gets them up. But that's you know, it's a disservice to the talent that nothing's helping him in those endeavors but this is wardlow's world just not wardlow's book but what and i was, him, what I was gonna go say ahead. though is his promos haven't done him any favors up until this point that's been one of the other issues is he hasn't been very good on the mic and whenever they've given him a mic he's gone on too long to expose it this time it's the most fired up we've seen him yeah unless he's ever been on the mic that goes back to the booking too though i would have never let that motherfucker open his mouth before he fucking smashed a million people. Let him wonder what's he going to fucking say. The the promo, when he was on that string where he was just powerbombing everybody to death, whatever he could say and whatever voice he's got, whatever anybody come up with for him, wouldn't be as good as that. <laughs> with a guy like that, keep bringing him out, smashed him over every week, week after week, get the people chanting for him, give them what they want, and he's gone. and. At that same time, you can hopefully have somebody working with him on those promos so that we would have never heard the 
the pre-taped stuff he did where he was just kind of talking like a normal person or whatever the fuck, right? So that when you first heard him, he would sound something like he did in this interview because the first time you really heard him talk would be the first time that somebody actually did something he didn't fucking like. And then he could come out with that. But nevertheless. Also, him being TNT champion might mean something if everybody else become he didn't have a fucking belt. Then the tournament match. Brian Danielson and Hangnail Adam Page. And as I mentioned, Tony Khan rewards Captain Mealymouth there that started the whole thing by putting him back in the title tournament. And I know he's running short on fucking name value since everybody's suspended, but still. Anyway, excellent match by Page's standards because Danielson is that fucking good. He makes everybody better. It was 20 minutes long. It didn't seem like forever like a lot of these matches do. Uh, Danielson obviously led it, kept it fresh. I almost saw Page actually climb to the top rope to do his fucking every single match backflip off the top rope. He actually almost looked like he checked to see if Danielson was still there. So maybe after two or three years of telling the fucking idiot something every week, he might be able to get it through his brick fucking head. It looks stupid when he takes 30 seconds to climb up the goddamn top rope and just leaps off without looking to see where he's going, trusting that the phony fucking opponents he's got in his fake match are going to break his fall. And even if it looked good, why would you do it in every match? Why would you do that? Sooner or later, you're going to over-rotate and break your fucking leg. I would do that move four times a year on three pay-per-views and a really high-rated television match, and people would think I was the greatest thing in the world. Or he can do it every week like he does and has for the past three years, and not only does it make the move look like blah, well, he does it all the time. It's effortless. But it also is a complete expose of the business because it's fucking fake. Because he doesn't look. But it's a cool flip. Having said that, Danielson did a wonderful job here carrying this fucking micro-penis fucking bastard to a great match. Ducked the buckshot lariat and rolled him up. And as I meant, you know, it, it, it should be Danielson and Moxley in the finals if you want your best top two stars in the finals of your tournament for the, for the belt. But I don't think the, are the brackets worked out that way where that can be a possibility? Oh, I don't know. Tony Khan has made me sick of brackets. So whenever you put it <laughs> on the screen, it's like Charlie Brown's teacher talking. I can't understand what's going on anymore. Uh, well, moving even more quickly, because we've got some analysis left at the end. This program was almost at its end. It was it was at its spiritual end. Uh, Stokely Carmichael, the gun club, the other page, a guy with green hair and their seven foot Greg Allman came out to the stage and started a promo. And immediately, a quote-unquote production assistant stepped in from off-camera to tell him to wrap it up, like that happens regularly on the program. 
And, of course, they turned around and beat up the production assistant. And it was ridiculous. For, I guess now Stokely is the toughest manager in the world because he's snatching everybody. And then they took turns beating him up and they held him for the seven-foot Almond brother to give him a big boot and he took stagey bumps. It was ridiculously phony. But after they beat up the guy for trying to wrap him up, then they turned around and walked off. They didn't say anything else. That's the whole reason they accosted this guy, put him in the hospital, and and sent his family out into the street. Probably his wife's going to be earning a living in a house of ill repute, and his children are going to be pickpocketing people. All right, enough. We Stop it. Well, the guy, he's going to be out of work for who knows how long, and they didn't even finish their interview. So this, it just more... Phony underneath groups doing phony shit. And then, speaking of rappers that we have not heard of. (laughs) Okay, Brian, you're my conduit to the world of pop culture. They were in Buffalo, New York. Daniel Garcia's hometown. A rapper that is apparently a friend of Daniel Garcia's wrapped him to the ring. You, Brian Last, can tell me, what the fuck? Did you understand one word this guy said? Has anybody ever heard of this rapper? Or is he just some local dipshit? It was it was like the video footage that they played this last week on the news all over the place of a newscaster actually having a stroke on the air where the words were just melting. What the fuck was this? He's a local rapper who's known by fans of rap in other places. You may not know him because was you do that not like good rap. rap. Was that good rap? I have to be honest. I didn't pay too much attention to the intro of this match. It couldn't be good rap. It didn't even sound like he was accompanying the music they were playing. It didn't sound like Caster. Caster's not a multi-platinum recording artist, but he... I can understand him. And it sounds kind of like he's trying to stick around to somewhere in the parameters of the music that is playing. But this guy was just emitting sounds. At one point, I, I think I heard a goat bleat. At another point, it sounded like a cow was being anally probed. All right. Well, again, you just seem to hate any musician who does no, rap no, no. that Ask shows anybody. up. Okay, you didn't pay attention. Ask anybody. No. This fucking sucked. This was goddamn unlistenable. This was not good rap, if such a thing even exists. This guy was a shit. Had to be. No, again, you're not necessarily a rap critic. In fact, I'm pretty sure you don't like anything other than Rapper's Delight, so maybe... All right, I'll tell you what. Somebody out in the cult that likes rap needs to write in and say on a level of 1 to 10, how bad was this fucking guy? I bet you it would be, well, let's say 10 is the worst, 1 is the best. This guy was a 10 and a half. So here they come for the Ring of Honor pure title. A secondary championship in a non-existent wrestling promotion is going to be defended on national television for well over 20 minutes. And they had a three-man announce booth. They then added William Regal and Caprice Coleman. 
I love Caprice. Put Caprice in, take Sockface out. I love Regal. Let's drop somebody. But anyway, I'm sure this was a fine wrestling match. I'm sure these young fellas worked their, their hearts out. I'm sure the people in Buffalo were with the hometown boy. But I, here's what I wrote. A main event on national TV for a secondary title in a promotion that doesn't really exist is probably not the thing they should do the week after the biggest fiasco in the history of their company for the ratings or the television partner or anything else. So I know what they were trying to do. They were, oh, these guys are going to go out and have a great match and get over. They were going to go out and have a great match according to their fan base that likes the modern style of wrestling. And they were going to get over to the same fan base that they're already over with because nobody else wants to see two guys that nobody's ever heard of or gives a shit about with no personality have a technical wrestling classic for 25 minutes on a show where we've already seen MJF and Moxley interact. We know we ain't going to see Punk. We ain't going to see the EVPs. They ain't got no names left. Honey, let's turn in early. And about 350,000 of them did from what I'm hearing. Is that correct? I believe it was just under 400,000, I believe. I could double check. So so that basically is the, the yes, and Danny won the Ring of Honor pure wrestling title in his hometown and cost the television program across the United States of America literally 35% of the audience that they started with. You have any facts and figures to back that up over there? Oh, hold on. I didn't realize you really did want me to pull it. I thought it. you on. were looking hold for Hold on, that. hold on, hold on. Because I don't want people to say that I'm just pulling shit out of my ass here. Can you pull shit out of your ass for another minute or so? I'd be 30 seconds or so. Well, you usually do it just like that. You're goddamn slipping. And, you know, here's something else. And I've said this before, and so somebody may have heard me say it, and they will bring this back and say, well, see, Jim, you said this. Yes, you always, when you're running a a weekly wrestling program, you have to at some point sacrifice ratings or potential ratings or the name value of the stars you're putting on the program to get somebody over. And it was always a struggle in the Attitude Era days. We've got competition. Okay, we want to get so-and-so over. He's new in the company. He needs wins on television. That's the way that normal, responsible wrestling promoters and bookers bring their talent in. You bring them in and they win more than they lose first if you want to use them. But then there was the point where, what? but they don't know so-and-so yet. So if we put him out there in a cold match against a job guy, are they going to switch over to fucking Nitro to see if, you know, Scott Hall's going to be sodomized by fucking, you know, whoever. Because they're just crazy over there on that program. Well, I don't think that was the kind of thing that was happening over on Nitro, but Jim, I pulled up the quarter. Well, but, but I'm just saying that's the thing is you had to talk Vince into sometimes let's give this guy a six-minute match to get over because he has to. Everything can't be the goddamn main event. Everything can't be 
a house on fire. And that's where you would make trade-offs. But you don't take your main event position and the last nearly 30 minutes of your program, regardless of how talented the guys are, to get two underneath and or barely known fucking guys with no track record over by having a great match with each other. That only works for the fans you've already got, Tony. You don't need any more of them because you got them. You need everybody else. What were those numbers? These numbers are quite telling. Uh, let me first give credit to the source for these. Brendan Thurston from WrestleNomics. These are the quarter-hour breakdown, September 7, 2022, AEW Dynamite. The show began 1,221,000 viewers for Tony Khan's open and MJF's promo. And I think this is part of the story because we always hear about the key demo. So for once, I am going to bring it up here. 608,000 in the key demo to start. Do you want it as we go through the show or do you just want the first and last? Well, let, let's let's go through and see where various people gave up the fucking cause. And looking at this too, if you wanted to book a show so that people would tune out, this is exactly how you do it. First segment, 1.221. Second segment, 1,171,000 for the Moxley promo and the beginning of the Death Triangle versus the Best Friends and Orange Cassidy. The next segment, which is more of the Dark Cassidy, uh, Dark Cassidy, excuse me, which is more of the Orange Cassidy and uh, Friends trios match. And this is also the Dark Order, Andrade and Rush angle. And then a Britt Baker, Jamie Hayter video. We've now dropped down to 1,080,000. Coming out of that, we got Penelope Ford versus Tony Storm, as well as a 2.0 video and the beginning of the acclaimed. 989,000. Following that, in the 9 o'clock hour, Wardlow versus Tony Nese, Wardlow promo in the beginning of Danielson versus Hangman Page, 998,000, so a slight tick up there, the only segment that moved up. Coming out of that, Danielson versus Hangman Page, back down, 984. The finish of that match, as well as Jungle Boy and the Stokely Hathaway thing in the beginning of Garcia versus Yuta, 959. The final segment, Garcia versus Yuta, 881, a drop from 1,221,000 to 881,000. And I brought up the key demo, 18 to 49 year old males, a drop of 608,000 to 407,000. So, about a, across the board, about a third of the viewers from start to finish, a third of the demo, a third of the total viewers. He's pushing Garcia and Yuta like they're his Eric Watts. Ooh. They're not ready. I don't care how... Eric Watts didn't have any fans. These guys at least have people who are rooting for him, guys who want them to be doing good things right now. They're not ready for this because the fans aren't ready for them to be doing this right now. You're not elevating them. You're taking the show down. So anyway, that was the show, and we've established the predicament and the pickle that Tony and AEW is in, they've made all the news for all the wrong reasons, and you got to keep up with the wrestling news every day. That's what you got to do. Don't you got to keep up every day, Brian, with the wrestling news? I would think that would be a very wise thing to do. Of course, the wrestling news, a division of Arcadian Vanguard, and the wrestling news podcast available now wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Look for The Wrestling News or go to TheWrestlingNews.com. 
We are now on Twitter, at Wrestling News AV, of course, AV for Arcadian Vanguard. And thank you to everyone over the last week and a half who has checked out the show, subscribed to the show. We are very happy with how we're doing, but we're always trying to improve the show. We have corrections every episode when we get things wrong, and it's just the news, just the facts. So every morning, 10 to 15 minutes, get everything you need to know about wrestling without any agenda, without any spin from the wrestling news. Once again, you can get it at thewrestlingnews.com or look for Arcadian Vanguard's The Wrestling News wherever you find your favorite podcast. I'm happy to say, Jim, this week, our first week, we were able to break some stories with AEW and this backstage altercation, and we'll probably be breaking a lot more in the future. Stay tuned for that. We're expanding our team. We're looking for more members, and we have a lot of things planned. The Wrestling News. And of course, in general, it's another fine, fine week of wrestling programming on the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Get information about all the shows on Twitter at Super Podcast or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Arcadian Vanguard. And of course, the 605 Super Podcast, The Mothership! Yeah, I think I may have to produce an episode or two pretty soon, so go through the archive today. At 605pod.com, available wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Go through all of our shows. Find out why people know, why people say Arcadian Vanguard is quality programming. And of course, the Wrestling News. Thank you to everyone. And of course, thank you to our amazing team at the Wrestling News. And uh, very, very happy. Have you had a chance to check out the Wrestling News? I have, and I'm a little pissed off about the Wrestling News because it took one of my spots as the top podcast in the nation last week. Oh, but that chart's bullshit. Well, I know, but I still like to be on top of it. (laughs) Nevertheless, so so what we have here is failure to communicate. And I I appreciate and want to say thank you to all of the people who have been tweeting and writing in and et cetera, saying that, well, Cornette and Last have been calling us for a couple or three years, and we're finally finding out that they were ahead of the game on this. But now here's the situation in AEW. Their biggest star is not only injured, but he's suspended. Their entire roster of EVPs, the ones that remaining, Cody already hit the fucking back door, they're suspended. They have gotten a ridiculous amount of bad publicity. And more importantly, the fans are picking sides. So even if even if all of this is somehow miraculously smoothed over, the fans are already going to have a negative viewpoint of one side or the other in this thing. And in many cases, it's baby faces that they're going to be fucking mad at and have a negative opinion of. And the whole company looks like shit because of, you know, shit trickles down like everything else. And from the top, that's what we've gotten. And it's not just, it's not just the cosplay wrestling fans and the childish contingent of wannabe indie-rific wrestlers. It's also grown adult people that realize that this is not good for anybody. And so, yes, you have the California contingent trying to do everything they can 
behind people's backs and whisper campaigns to put heat on punk and anybody that fucking sides with punk. Because for all the reasons we've mentioned, not only are they upset about their positions, but they feel threatened because their friends have positions too that they don't deserve. But everybody's looked like shit in this because Tony wouldn't do anything from the start to prevent this from happening. <clears throat> and we mentioned, you know, the, 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 the fact that there's no way he's hearing any of this stuff for the first time when it comes out on the internet or on Twitter or in the reports or whatever, or in front of him at media scrums, he's heard it before. He hadn't been able to do anything. I got an email from an actual grown adult out there in the cult of Cornette who doesn't know any of these people personally, but he had a pretty good take on it. From Nick, Jim, your frequent comparisons to what would or wouldn't happen in mainstream pro sports contests are accurate and how the CM Punk elite conflict has been covered by wrestling quote-unquote journalists is another example. As someone who works in sports journalism, it has been galling to watch. From the journalists applauding wrestlers entering the press conference to the takes on the fight, any sports writer, whether they cover high schools or pros, would die to get the type of honesty Punk gave. Secondly, if it was so awful and so unprofessional, why didn't Tony Khan cut in to stop Punk or tell reporters to limit questions to the night's match? And as a journalist, I'd want to know why executives are scuffling with employees, and if they were, why they were still executives. When reading some of the stories, it's blatant that only one side talks to reporters and the stories are skewed in that direction. And let's face it, also, that's that's true as well, because the people taken up for punk are taking up for punk purely because they can see what's going on in front of them. There's been no whisper campaign with, oh, those guys. We can see it straight out, and everybody else can. But punk's not feeding shit to the press. That's the other side's uh, wheelhouse. So anyway, uh, Nick continues, anyone thinking AEW would be better off with the elite than punk is out of their depth. Sports history has proven the all-pro quarterback, the leading scorer on a basketball team, or the guy who leads the league in home runs gets more leeway. He's the only mainstream star with ratings and merchandise sales to back it up. If Tony can't see that, it's just confirmation AEW isn't an organization to take seriously long-term. So, that's an example from somebody in has a, a journalistic background, but is seeing what's going on. Here's another thing. Dave Shearer at PW Insider wrote a column. This was from uh, Thursday, I believe, September the 8th. That was Thursday, right? I encourage you, if you can, to find it. It's it's long and it's very perceptive, and I was going to read it, but now I realize it'd take me 30 minutes to read it. So I've got a couple of paragraphs. And the reason this caught my eyes because he started with a Mama Cornette quote. Only he attributed it, well, he attributed to his old boss, Gary Snellbaker, where he used to work for him at the Coca-Cola company. Sounds fake. But, Sounds like a fake name. Well, he said the same thing. Mama Cornette, whenever we'd have a family get together, we're going to go out fishing or we're going to go to the store at, at holidays, Thanksgiving dinner, whatever. 
we're supposed to all do something as a group, but everybody's standing around waiting for somebody else to take the lead and nobody's doing anything. And that's when Mama Cornette would jump in and say, all right, let's do something, even if it's wrong. Meaning, let's do fucking something. And that's what he started the column with. But it was a quote from his old boss, Gary Snellbaker. Do something, even if it's wrong. Do something, Tony. Here's an excerpt. From the beginning, Tony has seemed to be more concerned with being a fan who was able to hang around with wrestlers and book a fantasy federation in real life rather than a leader who would grow a company that could maybe someday compete with WWE. He had the money, but he didn't have the leadership skills, and with each passing day, the latter becomes more and more apparent. I remember back at Halloween of the first year when he dressed up like Orange Cassidy and sent pictures of it out on social media. I called it a bad move that will send the wrong message to the talent. Some scoffed at me. Tony's just having fun, they said. He's one of us. Yes, that's the point. The owner of the company should never come off as a cosplaying mark because most wrestlers are predatory animals. And once they see that kind of weakness, they take advantage and they realize they have freedom that they shouldn't possess. That's absolutely true. Throughout the history of wrestling, that's true. The vibe of AEW being Disney World for wrestlers had long since dissipated when Adam Page went on TV on the go-home show before his title defense against CM Punk and double-crossed the challenger by going into business for himself with a bizarre promo that made no sense at all, especially for a babyface taking on another babyface. At that very point in time, Tony Khan was at a seminal moment in the history of the company. Page, who I was very happy to hear get some deserved booze last night, started AEW going down the toilet with his actions, and Khan exacerbated it by doing absolutely nothing about it. And then he mentioned, of course, Punk got hurt. So his anger at Page stewed while he waited for revenge. When he came back, he got his receipt on national TV by also going into business for himself. Khan could have done something then as well to defuse the situation. But again, he played the fiddle while his Rome was burning. And also while Punk was out, someone leaked to some favorable reporters that Punk had gotten Cold Cabana fired. It was widely reported by outlets, even though there was no truth to it at all. What did Tony Khan do? Not a damn thing until the story had blown up and turned into a disaster. By the time he finally said, yeah, that isn't true. It was far too late, and serious damage had been done, and it all falls on Khan's ineffective at best leadership. And then he mentioned, you got CM Punk, a man with a history of not taking being dis disrespected, lying down. And there you go. This is a long and interesting and perceptive article perceptive. on the situation, and that was just a part of it, so pwinsider.com. But again, grown that Dave Shearer has been a wrestling fan for 40 years, and now he owns the website, but he doesn't go to live matches and go to scrums and talk to the boys individually and become friends with them. He is running a business of a website, and he likes wrestling, but he doesn't immerse himself in being friends with anybody to take their side. He calls it like he sees it because he's removed, he's impartial. 
And yeah, a lot of people can say we ain't impartial, but we're also very perceptive. And we see what's going on and we know what's happening. And we have for a while. And the whole thing boils down to <laughs> when you create Disney World for wrestlers, you not only let them do whatever the fuck they think they want to do, but you let them get the idea that they can do whatever they want to do. And sometimes that's not limited to creativity in a wrestling ring. That's then they get the feeling, well, this place can't run without us. And then when Twinkle Toes comes back and every week his match loses 200-something thousand viewers, then they start getting nervous. And then they start trying to figure out some way that they can fuck with the people who are outdrawing them. And then there you go. So, and, and here's another... <laughs> We've overlooked this. It was announced this past week that the WWE has hired the guy that used to run the Oakland Raiders. So now they have, they hired the biggest mover and shaker agent in Hollywood that's making them a bloody fucking fortune, Nick Khan, jolly old St. Nick. They hired the guy that used to run the Oakland Raiders talent to be in charge of talent relations, not booking but relating with the talent, the contracts, and the fucking big-time players. Tony Khan hired Matt Jackson's wife and grade school friends. Let that sink in for a minute. So then you've got this mess going on where one side's serious about the wrestling business and the other side's serious about their own business. And and the show is schizophrenic. And all this is starting to come to a head. And Tony still can't get in and do anything about it. So now there's an independent third-party investigation. I'd like to know who the independent third party is. But what is there to investigate? Is there only one investigation? That's what I'd like to know. Well, but what is there to investigate? So this fucking guy, Adam Page goes out and tries to bury the top star in the company on national television. Now, I guarantee goddamn you that any time in the history of this business, the Attitude Era, the territories, whatever, you got two guys doing promo for a world title match and one of them tries to bury the other one on live television and he don't know what's coming, I'm surprised you didn't see physical violence there. And it would have been entirely justified. Motherfucker ever went into business for me on uh, with me on for himself on television and tried to bury me, he would have got a fucking racket. But so you've got a guy that does that to your biggest star and world champion. Then the guy gets a chance to sit home and stew about it for a while, comes back and gets his receipt in very effective fashion. And then to the rest of them that have been spreading the rumors that he's sick and fed up with, he tells them at the media scrum, if you got any problem with me, then come to my locker room. Thinking that the gutless pussies would never do it. But they did. They didn't, the EVPs, they didn't go Tony Khan, boss of this organization, guy that was sitting right next to him when he said all those things, and you didn't say boo to a goose or try to argue with anything. So what are you going to do about it now? Because now we're pissed. No, they didn't do that. What they did was they go over to his locker room. 
A bunch of them. A lot of people have said three, but a lot more people than that got suspended. Brandon Cutlet got suspended. Michael Naka Naka to fuck off got suspended. Kenny Omega's Our, assistant. Let's just throw that in there. Kenny Omega's assistant and the Young Bucks' grade school friend. Does anybody think that they were storming in that locker room to pull shit apart? So there's Punk. Now we know not only was he after the media scrum, he was still bleeding from the match. Now we know he was hurt with a torn tricep. At least it was maybe it was torn after the match or maybe it was torn in this skirmish who knows but he's after a match he's tired he's hurt he's bleeding and now we also know from testimony and from things that have gotten out that he's in his locker room with his dog and a steel's wife who now apparently we come to find out is on crutches She's got some kind of injury. Did she break her leg? I don't know what the fuck, but Punk is sitting in his locker room, beat up, banged up, and bleeding with a dog and a crippled woman when anywhere from three to six grown men burst into the room however they say they want to do it. They Somebody said, well, you can't kick those doors down. I don't think that any of the body in the, the elite could kick a goddamn door down if it was a door that you could kick down. But they sure apparently opened it in a surprising manner. And these guys rush into this fucking room. What's he supposed to do? He's just told them if they had a problem to come to his locker room. Apparently they got a problem. They've come to the locker room. And there's three to six of them. And there's one of him, and he's got a dog and a crippled woman as a backup. Are you going to sit there and say, hey, guys, did you come here to talk to me while they pounce on you? Are you going to take the one in the lead down, which I assume that's what jolly old Matt was, because he was the first one that was involved in this, apparently. And he got the shit beat out of him, and then there's still a bunch more, but they've made enough noise that A. Steele somewhere down the hall, sees that the room that his crippled wife is in and his best friend is in, somebody's just burst through the door and there's all kinds of shit going on. And so also, he comes in. Go ahead. And this is around the time we also know now from reporting, Pat Buck at some point got in that room. And he's another, I don't know if he's a producer. I have the exact title somewhere, but not in front of me. But he's a backstage, I think, vice president, actually, of talent. Well, he after the big... Uh, promotions of the few weeks ago, but a steel comes in and he sees his best friend in a skirmish with three to six other people in the room where his wife is either still in or just trying to get out of. So he takes matters in his own hands. Cause I'd do the same thing. And <laughs> the fucking elite gets a shit kicked out of him by a fucking guy that's bleeding with a torn tricep and a fucking retired producer. And that don't set well with him either. Hey, let me ask you this. And then, well, one more thing. And then when, when all this, when everybody realizes what's happened here, then all of a sudden from the EVP side, it's, well, we just went to talk to him. You probably should have waited. If all you wanted to do was talk, you probably should have waited till everybody was a little calmer and maybe till the guy had gotten out of the shower. But he didn't give the Bret Hart offer to Vince. Punk didn't. 
He didn't say, you know what? You guys just stay right here that have busted in my locker room. As soon as I get out of the shower, if you're still here, I'm going to knock you out. He just cut that part out and went straight to the knocking out. What, what is hard to understand about this? this? This has happened in wrestling a bunch of times. The only difference now is that some of the wrestlers are EVPs and they're whiny little bitches that when they get the, their shit handed to them, they try to backpedal and go, oh God, we just wanted to talk to him and iron this all out. Then why'd you bring a bunch of guys in to bust into his fucking locker room to make it worse? brained imbeciles what were you gonna say well there were a few different points i was gonna jump in but you know again when you try to look at this objectively like you just said in the room cm punk ace steel's wife i forget what her name is apparently she was a wrestler at some point with a broken leg well on crutches one or the other his dog by the way my reporting has mega parique who everyone always says is the number two in the company who's in charge of legal in the company, who I think is in charge of HR in the company, who was down the hall with the Bucks before they came down. She somehow got the dog out of the room. Other people have said Omega had the dog when he got attacked or beat up by Ace Steel. Who knows? But somehow the dog... What was the dog thinking when everyone storms in the room? That's what I want to know. Well, I'm surprised somebody didn't get their ass bit. Besides, well, well, I, yeah, yeah, well, by the dog, I mean, by the dog. And ass got bit. Not and and here, <laughs> one more thing. A steel bit Twinkle Toes. Has a steel had blood work done? Oh come on, it's it's a concern. Go ahead. It would be a concern for anything if anyone had a bite that was deep. If you get bit by a dog, you would want to get your blood tested. Just to be clear on this. But again, just CM Punk. The dog, Ace Steel's not in the room. I think a lot of people assume that early on because of his involvement here and his friendship with CM Punk. Ace Steel's not in the room. In the room, we have Kenny Omega. We have the Young Bucks. We have Nakazawa. We have Cutler. So that's five people. Apparently, at the back of the line was Mega getting ready for the dog handoff, I guess. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck that's about. And her involvement in this is something very interesting because if she has anything to do with that investigation and she's a party to that investigation and she was down the hall with the young bucks. She, wait a minute, she, she's the one that actually not only let the EVPs go to Punk's locker room but followed them there. She's the number two. She's the legal beagle involved. Wouldn't her first thing to be, you shouldn't go to that locker room. We should talk to Tony. And I think part of the reason she may have done it may be part of the reason it's a problem. She's been working with Omega and the Young Bucks, and like you said, Matt Jackson's wife, Omega's assistant. She's been working with this group of people since the beginning, since before it was on TV. Okay, well, here's another thing then. If she's the number two and she's in charge of legal, why didn't she lead the group in there and be the first, if Mega or any other female was the first one through the door do you think that punk would have started firing punches or would he have seen a civilian lawyer and gone well apparently they didn't come in here to beat my ass six on one and again with all of this happening and i don't know how big the room is i mean cm punk is what sitting on a couch how far is the couch from the door is it a big room is it a well, small room well to see here's another thing and i can tell you from experience the nba arenas the big buildings a lot of people think locker room they think you see on tv the football teams in there the baseball team whatever it's a big open area 
But this was not an NBA arena, and especially if Punk had his own locker room, then there's plenty of, for concerts or for other types of show business events, these buildings have small locker rooms with a bathroom and a dressing facility, a vanity area or whatever, but it's not like you got a lot of room. So if suddenly, if he's in one of these private locker rooms and four or five, six people bust in, that room's pretty full right off the bat. So how do you, how do you suddenly in the Marx brothers in seconds, how do you ascertain Oh, these guys have all come in here to talk to me like men, or they've just thrown this door open and I've invited them to come in and fight. So I guess they're taking me up on it. So here we go. Did he open the door and walk three steps slowly and say, look, Phil, or did he walk? (laughs) You know, I'm serious. When you try to visualize it in your head, like did they calmly walk down the hall or was it like, let's go tell that motherfucker what we think. A bunch of pissed off people walking down the hall and I've heard somebody say, oh, they knocked and there was no, what the fuck? They threw the door open however the fuck they did it and started to say, hey, what the fuck? And that's about all they probably got out before matters took a turn for the worse for them. And let's just go back a step to general etiquette. The idea that someone knocked... And no one said, come in. And then they're like, all right, let's just go in. When did that start? I don't think it, they didn't knock. Have you, again, nobody has seen the mad wrestler walk. I've seen it for 40 (laughs) years. The mad wrestler walk where they're going to fucking tell somebody something. They're not knocking on a fucking door. And if you're going down to knock, how come six or seven people have to go down and talk? How about just the people that were involved? Or maybe if Mega was a lawyer instead of a stooge, she should have been the one to go down there and say, well, the other side of this thing is very upset. And when Tony finishes the media scrum, we should all sit down. That's no, the she, fu- that's she trails the fu- behind. That's the thing I'm always saying about the fucking executives in AEW. None of them, even Mega, none of them act like actual executives. It's like kids being fucking turned loose from Tony on down. No one understands how to be fucking serious, make good decisions. If you've ever been around serious fucking executives, it's so obvious. They all, because everyone's like, oh, Mega, whatever she did. She went to Harvard. She went to Yale. I don't even fucking know. But they're like, oh, look at all these things. And then she makes dumb fucking decisions. Well, but LK, she's mixed up in everything. Wait. How many wrestling promotions has she done legal work for? How Before this project started, how many professional wrestlers had she met in person? How much experience did she have dealing with any kind of professional athletes that were ready to fight each other? Does that happen in football? Probably. Well, but does she yeah, do any yeah. football <laughs> business? I believe so. That's how she started with the con. She starts with... I think she still does stuff with the Jaguar. She's like Tony. She splits her, unless she's fully AEW now, at least. Okay, the then, then does the legal department there, do they handle the football players who want to kick each other's ass, or is that the football team manager and coach and et cetera? What experience? I don't care if she's goddamn Johnny Cochran or fucking Clarence Darrow. What experience in life does she have dealing with large... Adult male professional athletes that want to fight each other. Zip, zero, none. She shouldn't have been involved. One of the biggest problems in the entertainment industry is when you take contract lawyers and you give them too much power. Because they're 
smart people, they're talented people, they're capable people to a point. And you also have to just understand basic humanity. Ah, whatever. <laughs> this whole, this whole thing is such a mess and it's all their own fault. That's the thing. This is 100% an AEW fault. Adam Page gets a lot of the blame for just acting like a buffoon. And he's going to own that for the rest of his career. But AEW, Tony Khan on down, the fact that it went from that point to the point where a few weeks ago they had to have a meeting that did nothing, that helped nothing, that was for show. Nothing came out of it other than Jericho got to do his little show. Nothing else came out of it. And Omega got to insult half the locker room. Oh, no. I guess 80% of the locker room. <laughs> but I think about it, he yeah, had to insult. Yeah. There was that. And then tensions kept growing to the point where even Dave was reporting on it. Well, and nothing was done. Nothing was done at all. Nothing was done. It was like you could see this was coming. We saw this was coming for various reasons, but it was obvious this was all going to happen if no one got in there and eased this in any way, and no one did. And no one did. Well, let's talk about Uncle Dave and, and the people that he talks to for a second, because the story's coming out now. Punk is a cancer in the locker room. Punk is only out for himself. Punk is bitter. Punk is mad, blah, blah, blah. Well, actually, there was an article on ESPN.com. You may have heard of ESPN. They actually still do have journalists working there. I think the Sports Illustrated website's gone off the deep end a time or two, but <laughs> you're not lying. This was on ESPN.com from May 27th. Mark Rimondi wrote this, talking about CM Punk and his return to AEW, his return to wrestling in AEW. And uh, this, the reporter was there that night last September when they did the Arthur Ashe Stadium in Flushing. I love the name of that town. Remember, Punk worked with Will Hobbs, Powerhouse Hobbs. And it says, Punk, one of the biggest wrestling stars of the last two decades, opened their discussion about how the match would be laid out with something surprising. Punk said he knew Hobbs' mother had just died about a month before and the match would be in her honor. Hobbs told ESPN, first thing he said, don't worry about anybody else. Your mom's in the crowd. Let's put the match on for her. That made me feel so much better, so much more comfortable. Uh, Punk beat Hobbs in a match that received solid reviews from fans and critics, blah, blah, blah. But for Punk, it represented precisely why he'd returned to the ring and what he believes the industry should be all about in the first place. It talks about Punk giving back and that he felt his time in WWE was almost wasted, walking on hot coals. His mission now isn't putting on five-star matches, winning championships, or selling out arenas as much as it's been about those emotional moments with Hobbs and making up for lost time. Making new relationship. Darby Allen was the wrestler tasked with being CM Punk's first match. And basically, Darby Allen also says that his experience underscored the magnitude of punk coming to AEW because Allen's straight edge like punk. And they mentioned that uh, Lee Moriarty said he didn't know what being straight edge was till he became a fan of punk. And now he follows those principles. And you've got other people in this article, Dax Harwood. He was apprehensive at first when punk signed with AEW, 
because Punk made enemies in WWE. He had a reputation for being standoffish. But Harwood and Wheeler, it says, ended up hitting it off with Punk, in no small part due to their shared reverence for WWE legend Bret Hart. He's always, oh no, this is a Dustin Rhodes quote about Punk. He's always coaching up the talents when they come back or on their promos or a certain move saying less is more sometimes. Those are very, very important things to learn as a young superstar in the wrestling world. Hobbs said he couldn't even remember the number of times Punk has pulled him into his locker room to watch one of his matches to offer guidance. Max Caster said that he's come to Punk for business advice for non-wrestling ventures. Caster added Punk made him feel included in the locker room. Uh, there's more folks here. Punk says he wanted to do for younger wrestlers in AEW what legends like Eddie Guerrero and Tracy Smothers did for him as mentors. But he's also doing it because other older wrestlers he worked with did not do the same. But the problem is, is that he expects people to take advice from veterans. And he expects people to want to improve. He doesn't want empty-headed nitwits like Adam Page said, I don't need to take anybody's advice. So all of these people, whether Dax and Cash or Darby or Hobbs or these other people mentioned in this, in Punk's own words himself, he wanted to come back and help. As he said at the press scrum, he's trying to run a business. Because Tony ain't. Hey, look, here's the problem. There are guys who have problems with Punk going way back. There are guys who don't like him from the Midwest. There are guys that don't like him because they're on Cabana's team, which happens to be the entire Young Bucks team. So there's always people whispering and complaining about him. But we heard nothing but good things until he had to work with them. Until he, until he had to work with the guys who had a problem with him, we didn't hear anything about CM Punk. We heard the exact opposite. I mean, we heard this stuff. And, you know, that quote you just read... Uh, and, and I'm going to get it wrong, even though you just said it. Oh, less is more. Actually, that's exactly what it was. Yeah. I don't know how I can get that wrong. Less is more. You could see why that advice is valuable to some, and you could see why that quote even appearing attributed to Punk in that article would be threatening to others, because that's the exact opposite of what they believe. They think that idea, less is more, is completely an old school idea. More is more. Just do more. More is more. And there's a lot of resentments for Punk from those guys. Because also, look, in their head, they really believe the shit that they say about, we started this company. This company was built on our backs. This company was started by and built by Tony fucking Khan. Yeah. With his money, his relationships, and his fucking vision. And they were lucky that he fell for their fucking mass hysteria and decided to bring them along for the ride. And it was all fun and games when Cody was there, because they knew they could fucking out-manipulate Cody. And Cody, we talked extensively about Cody. There's a 20-hour omnibus or whatever. But Cody was flawed in a lot of ways as an executive. And it wasn't the role for him. But they needed the ego of Dusty Rhodes' son to get to where they got. And to make that happen. And then they did everything they could to ice him out of the fucking company. Well, now, here's the thing. If Punk, the biggest star they've got, can be treated like this and subjected to the rumor campaign and have all of their darling little newsletters and websites, 
you know, on their side to malign this guy because he came in and was the only one, the only one so far that has produced million people fucking numbers and million dollar gates and buy rates that kept going up and kept going up until they completely fell in a hole here because of all this shit going on. If they can do it to punk, they can do it to anybody because one of the selling points to come to this company was don't let Vince McMahon be in charge of your, your career. Remember last year, even Mick Foley, the nicest human being that ever walked the earth got on the internet and said, I trusted Vince McMahon with my career and he made me a star. I don't know why anybody today would trust Vince McMahon with their careers. And that was the selling point. Go to AEW. Vince won't fucking destroy you. That's not the selling point anymore because Vince is gone. Triple H is in charge. Triple H is more friendly to the wrestlers when it serves his purposes, but he's certainly more sympathetic to the wrestler's cause, uh, especially on bad, silly gimmicks than Vince was. And at the same point now, it's not about even putting Tony Khan in charge of your career over Vince McMahon. It's about putting Harpo McFingerbang and the Cucamonga kids in charge of your careers instead of Vince McMahon, instead of Triple H. So who wants to do that if you are, again, an indie-rific play wrestler on the outlaw shows that the click of the elite likes, then sure, you're fine. And you also know that you probably got no chance of going to the WWE anyway. But if you're a serious wrestler and a legitimate talent and you have a future, now who do you want to put your career in the hands of? Triple H? And the most well-run, mega-billion-dollar wrestling promotion that's ever been on the planet. Or the Hardly Boys and Twinkle Toes. Because they're going to be the determining factor in whether you get over, or whether you're allowed to get over, or whether you are the victim of a smear campaign and made miserable and run off in the locker room because you are better than they are and they know it and they don't want that. They want everybody subservient to them and they want all their friends that they can hold down and or put in the right spot, but they don't want serious talent to show them up. And this is what happened. Like we said, Cody just left. He said, fuck it. I got another place to go. Punk don't have that patience, and Punk don't like putting up with bullshit, and Punk doesn't want to go to the WWE because he's been there and he didn't like it. So he's like, why should I be the one to fucking leave? Fuck you, you leave if you don't like it. Now they're fucked up either way they go because he's hurt again. And that's another thing. Would he have gotten hurt if they'd have had a, a sensible match for him to have its pay-per-view instead of having to do an angle where they switch the belt and give the preview of the pay-per-view match away a week and a half early so they can come back and do an interview to try to put everybody in the right place so then they can have that match on pay-per-view. Then they had to go through all of that. He might not have got hurt again. Now, even if Tony does smarten up and decide that 
his EVPs shit the bed and acted unprofessionally. And even if he does figure out that his goddamn number two legal woman may be a fucking issue, he still got no access to his biggest star for eight months. So, this is the biggest bunch of fucking bullshit I've ever seen in my life. I don't, even in the days of the click and Michaels and all of that hoo-ha in the WWF, I never saw anything like this. This is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And you know what? Even to be more fair, even though he was there, from all the reporting I've done, and my reporting has been firsthand talking to people, not just reporting on what's been reported elsewhere. I'm, definitely some people have done some great work. But I have to say, even though he was in the room and even though he was apparently bitten, I'd like to hear more about that and what exactly happened there. But I heard that after it all went down, Kenny Omega was the only one who seemed to be a cooler head. The Jacksons were still looking to go, although I heard they were a little too obsessed with it. (laughs) They they were looking to go where? To the hospital? One of them got knocked out. The other one got fucking rattled with a chair. Well, I heard they were still, I heard Ace Steel and Punk were still yelling at him, and they were still yelling, and everyone's in the middle, and it's just a complete mess. But Kenny was actually apparently at that point willing to be a pacifist. And as we reported, him and Punk at some point that night talked. There was an attempt to, like, let's get everyone cool, and that did not work out. That didn't work out, apparently, and that wasn't very fruitful. Well, but at least he did try. Kenny did try to be a pussifist yeah. in all of this. Oh, there you go. A pussifist. That's a, I've never heard that before, actually. But let's talk about a couple things around this, if you don't mind. Let's do it. I have here a tweet that's very interesting from the other day. Relates to something we mentioned earlier. From September 7th, 2022, which would have been Wednesday, Dynamite Night, 8.54 p.m., I've been way too fucking nice, tweeted out by Brandy Rhodes. <laughs> what was said on that TV show at 8.52 or so? Yeah, hold on. Where was I just had that uh, screen up? Let me find that again. Well, I'm, uh, and honestly, again, these little fucking, you know, crumb snatchers have been running around since this thing started. We started this. It's our revolution. We, this all happened because of us. No, it happened because you got a billionaire that happened to fall in love with you. That's the only reason it happened. But they conveniently leave Cody out of all of that stuff because he was, the, he was the the misfit toy. He was the one that didn't fit the picture from the start. We've mentioned that. And now they've just decided to erase him like he didn't have any. He probably had more to do with it than most people because he was able to have a grown-up adult conversation with other business executives that he may have come in contact with where they'd be looking at Harpo and the fucking kids and go, what the fuck is this all about? In a lot of ways, Cody was the perfect compliment for them before, before the company. He was like the step parent that could keep them in in line and take their ice cream away if they cried too much. I guess that's another way of looking at it, sure. Yeah. But you know, the Brandy Rhodes tweet is interesting. Now we know Cody Rhodes has an NDA, and I believe it may be a two way NDA. So Tony Khan can't even talk about Cody. We don't know if Brandy has anything. I think her contract just expired. It is true. Look again, we're talking about Cody, very flawed as an executive, 
and certainly his booking after a while went off the rails. But look at what happens with AEW. Once you're not mingling with the friends, they do their thing and you're iced out and Cody had only so many people he could work with after a while. He certainly got distracted with other things, but he came back to a very unfriendly place. You know, it wasn't the same. That's the reason why he left months after he returned. But we've never heard what Cody had to say, and we may never, because he tries to play it nice, and he's a very political guy. But Brandy, Brandy on the other hand. What is this, open mic night, bitch? No, you know what? (laughs) Author of one of my favorite lines ever, I still laugh about it. You may have a black belt, but I'm a black bitch. (laughs) (laughs) It's the greatest fucking line of all time. And look, Brandy too flawed. Brandy's wrestling push someone should go write the history of that it was nuts she was a heel she was a baby face they were nightmares and cutting people's hair that they weren't nothing made any sense but you could certainly say that any contribution she made have kind of been put down and diminished for a while and we joked about it a little earlier it's true that there are like factions it's almost like game of thrones it's like you have <laughs> the bucks camp Oh, boy. And by the way, we talked about Bobby Fish challenging Punk to a fight on the last program we did. And I was like, that's a shame. I always liked Bobby. I thought he's a good worker, but obviously his head stuck with his friends from California. Now, guess guess who he helped and contributed money to? I don't. Donald Drake Trump. Wirtz. Oh, come on. He's one of the fucking ultra-religious crazies that think that there's child molesters on every corner and we got to stop the the child trafficking and he actually supported drake wirtz in in that he so apparently like you said you got the the republican right-wing religious nut faction from california uh the the anti-obama bucks i don't know if old kenny's political or not he just probably falls in with them was canadian and then you've got normal people on the other side. <laughs> well, that wasn't even where I was going to go. I was just saying, you know, here you have the Bucks camp. You have Cody and his crew. I mean, this is all the people fighting for airtime. You have Jericho and what he wants to do. By the time Punk gets there, and that's the end of Cody, Punk gets over so big. Punk's getting lo- a lot of time on TV. You know, it's all like a battle for fucking airtime is really what it's about. And everyone wants their thing to win out. And the Bucks can't take it that their shit is not winning out right now. The ratings for their shit isn't winning out. They have so much resentment for CM Punk, and a lot of it's unjustified, I think. I think they're lumped in with people that are mad at him for shit from, like, 15 years ago. The people that didn't know him then, they just met whoever he is now at this age of his life. And they're like, oh, he seems like such a nice guy. What are your problems with 20 something year old i guess what what pisses me off is that yes these little weasels can send their version of the story out to all the news sites because they're the same journalists that sit there at the media scrums and applaud them when they come in the room and it the serious wrestlers who don't plant stories with the media because they don't talk to the media because they're just trying to do their job and they don't give a shit their story doesn't get out. And theirs is, in this case, the true one. So it's about time that we examine this from all sides. And suddenly, somehow, over the last two months, over the last two months, CM Punk went from the returning, conquering hero trying to help all the young talent 
to the fucking devil incarnate that's a cancer in the locker room. And it all started with that hangman promo out in public. So put two and two together and figure out what the fuck's going on in front of you. That's what I'm telling people. Hey, everyone's looking into how did the story get out there that Punk got Cabana fired? Tony Khan is emphatic that it's not true. CM Punk is offended that anyone thinks it's true. So let's ignore that. I think the bigger issue is how did it get into the Observer that Nick Jackson saved Colt Cabana's job? Because that has nothing to do with Punk. Well, I'm sure as soon as he talked Tony Khan into signing Colt to a contract because he's friends of all theirs, he immediately went and told all of the appropriate people what a nice guy he was to do that. And guess who was almost responsible for getting our friend fired? That's all they had to do. And people were ready to believe it because everybody knows that Punk and Cabana have been on the outs. But nobody was looking at the fact that fucking Cabana wasn't on TV for the year before Punk showed up any more than Dwarf Dongsucker was. And they let him expire. Tony was doing the same thing he does with everybody. He's not capable of telling somebody eye to eye, I paid you for two years, but now I'm changing talent. You're not worth it, or I love you, or whatever you need to tell him, but goodbye. He just lets the contracts expire, and that's what was obviously happening. So then the Cucamonga kids figure, well, not only can we hopefully help our buddy Colt and give him six figures of the company's money to do absolutely nothing, but we can make Punk look bad in the process if we spread the word that Punk was behind Colt being sent out in the cold and everybody will believe it because they know they hate each other. Because how otherwise would Tony ever release a talent like Colt Cabana? I mean, obviously Tony would have re-signed him, maybe given him a slight raise, if not for CM Punk saying, hey, you know that guy you want to give more money to or the same money to? Get rid of him. Tony was ready to give him what? I mean, what is the other side of the <laughs> argument? What was Colt Cabana going to fucking get? A run with the title? Nothing. He means nothing to no one. And all of this shit happened because of that. CM Punk was having a fucking, in terms of being a wrestling fan, has had a the, run. Having one of the great runs of modern times. The feud with MJF is a classic. It's maybe the best feud. It's the best feud in the history of AEW. It's great. He doesn't have one problem with drama until he runs into these guys, the guys that are fucking looking to get him. What the fuck is that? And I heard Dave Meltzer. He fucking bit a whole thing just destroying CM Punk. Destroying him completely one-sided. It's incredible the hit job that's coming out of one side about this. Well, I shouldn't say one side. One side and a certain person in the locker room who loves leaking shit because it benefits him. <laughs> who has no sides because he plays all sides against each other. And it's the same thing they tried to do to us. Oh, yeah, he's just bitter because That's we it. won't work with him. We won't give him a job or same we thing. won't talk to him. So they're bitter and they hate us because we're successful. No, I don't give a fuck whether you turn bled or tur turn, turn bled, turn blue or I drop dead. I would give dead. a fuck if he turns bled. I'd like if to he see turn that. Bled. I don't give a fuck if you turn blue or drop dead. I don't want to work with you. I don't want to work with anybody. I'm just telling the truth and fuck you. But they can't goddamn accept it so they have to figure out a way that there's something wrong with everybody that doesn't like us 
And remember, I've said it. It's not just this. Before this all happened, I said they had problems with the executive vice presidents. I'm going to say this again. It's not just this. No. So when you're basing like, oh, it's the innocent bucks. They like to, you know, super kick children. How could they ever want to hurt somebody? And all their friends, they're all. And Christopher Daniels, he was in the room with them too. That's, hold on, Christopher Daniels. Nakazawa. Yeah, right, because, yeah, he got suspended, and he's Talent Relations. Talent Relations, who's buddies with the Bucks from Southern California. Christopher Daniels, Nakazawa, Cutler, two Bucks, and an Omega. And an Omega. And a partridge and a pear tree. Here's another thing. If one side was all on the up and up and the other side was all wrong, well, the side that burst into the locker room had at least one talent relations executive, three executive vice presidents, and the number two in command and head of the legal department, and there's still an investigation going on. Well, it seems like with all of those dignitaries in the company, you'd get the straight story, wouldn't you, from them, except if all of those dignitaries were on the fucking side that caused the problem that's why there's an investigation going on because there's more to the story than what that group is giving out you would think it'd be cut and dried there okay here's the lawyer here's a representative of of talent relations here's three executive vice presidents oh you mean we still don't know the true story of what went on in there golly as as a talent relations and or creative booking team, whatever member, I've had to witness a couple of things before, just in case uh, there was a lawsuit or whatever. And it, I'll tell you, the, remember when the uh, skyscrapers, Spivey and Sid, when they beat that job guy up in Texas for not selling for him? Oh, yeah, of course. Oh, yeah, I saw him and Teddy Long gave me the eye roll, like, we're going, they were headed for the guy's locker room. So I'm in the back. I'm going to try to see what happens. I know what's going to happen, but I may need to testify later on. And Spivey's in front, as you'd figure, because Sid looked great, but he ain't going to fight unless, you know, there's some advantage. Spivey goes in there. The guy stands up. Spivey fucking punched him and dropped him and slapped him two or three times. And then, of course, Sid's so big, I'm trying to look over Sid. And I think he may have kicked him while he was down there as he was cussing him, saying, you got a fucking problem, you don't want to sell, fuck you. And then I think they spit on him and walked out. And then as the representative of the booking committee, because the guy deserved every single goddamn thing that happened to him, I then told somebody else in the locker room, I said, you better get his bags packed and get him the fuck out of here unless they decide to come back because they didn't think they got the point across. That's what happens when somebody has done something and somebody else busts in a fucking locker room. Shit takes place. If you don't want shit to take place, don't bust in a locker room. You know, also, so uh, go ahead. I was just going to say, too, again, I'm thinking about the history of AEW. And like you and I have said and alluded to many times, we've been very well aware of the way things are going on. When Cody had problems with the elite, you could. Pick whose side you want to take, right? When FTR are having problems with the elite, and then Punk's having problems with the elite, at what point do you realize it's the same people over and over who have a problem with anyone who's not doing their thing? I think it's pretty obvious already. But 
It all boils down to what Tony Khan is willing to put up with and or whether he wants to take control of his fucking wrestling promotion. And the easiest thing to do right now would be say, okay, I don't have any more executive vice presidents. We're going to go back and start fresh, and I'm going to try to find or hire or promote from within some experienced veteran wrestling personnel to run talent relations and the booking department. And hopefully I can talk Jim Ross into helping me sit down with all the talent and determining who else is going to blow up in the near future and commit aggravated mayhem and find out how to assuage their feelings. And then I will be the promoter that makes the decisions and authorizes the expenditures and tries to regain my positive standing with the fans out there in the audience. And all these other people are going to run this fucking thing and see if we can get a coherent television show, a goddamn talent roster that doesn't look like it's mix and match day at the fucking buffet and it's a cohesive coherent team all pulling the same rope and going in the same direction and featuring a palatable mix of wrestling styles instead of everything all over the goddamn page like that fucking idiot olivier wants and get my employees under control and start trying to build for a potential contract renegotiation with our rights fees that may or may not be as easy as we thought it was going to be two weeks ago because the network's hearing about all this shit too. And even if they didn't hear about the the beef at the press conference and afterwards, then they would have heard about it when Tony said, well, we don't have CM Punk. Well, we don't have, well, I guess the network wouldn't care if they don't have the Bucks or Omega because they don't do any ratings, but we don't have CM Punk. Why not? Well, my executive vice president's bum-rushed him in his fucking locker room because they were pissed off of what he said at the media scrum. What did he say at the media scrum that caused that? Well, he said that the EVPs couldn't manage a fucking target and that he was sick and tired of having to deal with children. Who were spreading spreading stories about him in the press. So that's what the network would hear. What the fuck? It's, I, I'm, that's, that's all I'm going to say is I've been saying the same thing for the past three and a half years. You can't do something at this level when you have everybody in charge with literally no experience at doing any of these things before and not willing to listen to people who have. This is what you get. Yeah, everything right now is, I think, being done to placate the network because that's their biggest fear. They are terrified right now about the fucking network. Well, and how does the network know that somebody isn't going to go into business for themselves in the ring and get in a fight and something happened and legal and blah, 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 and they'll be called in to testify or to give their thoughts on the situation under oath or blah, blah, blah. How do they know that now? It's a shit show. It's a complete shit show. And I feel I actually, look, it's Tony's fault. At the end of the day, this is all Tony's fault. Adam Page, too. But it's all Tony's fault. Yeah. But I also feel really bad for Tony because he's in a rough position right now. Yeah. He, he, he's, try, he's tried, except for being 
he's oblivious really to position. advice. He's in a he really has tried rough his best, and yeah. I'm sure he has worked his fingers to the bone. I see the bony fingers. So yeah, you got to feel bad for him, but he should have known because we told him. We told him what was going to happen. I'm sure anybody that didn't want a job and didn't care for taking him for any money has told him, well, goddamn, that would be me, I guess. That's the sum total of those people that fit that description, but would have told him what was going to happen. Jim, before we wrap things up, I'd like to bring up something that's actually starting to gain some buzz at the moment, and the Young Bucks are trending. Because of a report, it appears to be from the Wrestling Observer Newsletter Figure 4 online <laughs> message board. The headline is, Report, Young Bucks Sent Feelers Out to WWE. <laughs> and this all seems to be coming from something on the F4W online message board. I'm getting this from a WrestleTalk article. Ryan Frederick of the Wrestling Observer pointed out that the Young Bucks had their options picked up. Here's the exact quote. They didn't sign new deals. Their options were picked up. They did reach out to a talent to send feelers that they would be interested in talking about coming in when their deals are up. And what did Steen say? But everyone on both sides are going to do the same because you want to look for the best deal. Anyone who doesn't, <laughs> anyone who doesn't do so is dumb and possibly huh. leaving money on the table. Uh, and oh, then boy. I guess... Explaining why the young bucks. No, when when you when you're just a fucking talent, when you're an employee, when you're just one of the the worker bees, yeah, you want to see what kind of contract you can get. And you want to entertain all offers. When you've made the commitment that you're an executive vice president of a company, and they've already had one leave when Cody got run off, and now these, I honestly, if they had had not agreed to start AEW from what we hear they probably would have got a fucking WWE contract because at the time before the one. company got started they had made offers to all of them because they didn't want a billionaire getting in the wrestling business so they wanted to try to take the talent at the start but now not only that I mean Vince McMahon if they were willing to make an offer to the Young Bucks while Vince McMahon was in charge, that meant that they were worried about a billionaire getting in the business and they wanted to put a stop to it. Because there's no way ever, ever in life that Vince McMahon would sign Matt and Nick Jackson seriously. Maybe like James Ellworth or whatever, but not seriously. He wanted to stop the company. Now they've seen the company. And I've said this, I've been saying this for a couple of years. They've seen what it looks like. That's why all of a sudden... They stopped those, not only stopped the high contract offers to the WWE talent to keep them, but started fucking firing people. They fired people that goddamn AEW could pick up immediately and did because they knew what they had as competition at that point and they weren't concerned. So now, if these two little fucking dipshits are trying to get a deal, I don't think Triple H would look at them with as much disdain as Vince, but he still don't need them because they know now what the competition is. And those guys would never make it in the WWE. They wouldn't make it in the locker room. They wouldn't make it in the ring. And it would be ridiculous visually. So now they're trying to see if there's any interest at this point up there in them so that they can attempt to put Tony over a barrel to sign him to a new longer term deal or whatever the case. 
but they ain't going to find a lot of people nibbling on that fucking worm. The time has passed. They didn't, they never wanted them to begin with. They wanted Tony Khan not to have them. Well, Jim, I have one more quote from this part here. Uh, they reached out to a talent to send feelers about coming in. I can't say they talked to anyone direct to WWE, but that would fall under tampering, and this came at the same time that the legal letters were being sent about tampering. I can't confirm they actually talked to WWE people themselves, but they talked to other WWE talent <laughs> about coming in, which they can do, much like WWE <laughs> talent can send feelers through AEW talent, which has happened and happens on both sides often. Good Lord, that was a convoluted fucking way to get from point A to point B. It's not something they wouldn't have done anyways, since their deals are coming up at the end of 2024, and you want to maximize your leverage when it comes to getting a new deal and get the companies into a bidding war. Oh, good Lord. It's not necessarily a sign that they're going to leave. Everyone should do it. Hey, right now they have no leverage with AEW. <laughs> if Tony has a brain right now, right now they have no leverage. Lever they're suspended. They brought disgrace to the company and they're currently suspended. If that's leverage, then I, I need to look up the American Heritage Dictionary definition of leverage. And they ain't going to have any leverage with the WWE because the WWE now doesn't want... What? <laughs> how would Triple H sell that? To anybody else in the company, yeah, I'm going to sell these two guys every time they're on the opposition program, 200,000 people tune out. If, what the fuck? If the talent, I'm going to say this, even though it's not the thing. If the talent they contacted was Cody, this whole thing's a work. No, I, I, I guarantee you they called up Steen. The only reason Steen didn't come over to join him was because they gave him a couple million dollars to stay where he was. And just the fact that... <laughs> You could see, you could see that the wrestling business is fucked up when Kevin Steen gets two and a half million dollars or whatever on a wrestling contract. Uh, but no, they just call their friends. That's all they know how to do is call their friends. But now the friends ain't going to be able to help them because they have no leverage. They have no track record of ratings. They have no track record of fucking pay-per-view buys because they're Fortunately, they haven't been featured in any of the major pay-per-views in the main event, and they have no track record of any kind of great matches with top talent. They do the same match every time with the gymnasts that they brought with them. So they have no appeal to the WWE past will take them away from the billionaire so that he will have a harder time making it in the wrestling business. And now that they're not making any difference to the billionaire, I can see them going after MJF. I can see the WWE being hell of a interested in Wardlow. I can see the WWE being completely interested in powerhouse Hobbs. I, I can even see, okay, for, for shits and giggles, Let's see if we can get Omega away from him. Maybe if, you know, either he'll listen to us and make the changes we want him to make because at least he looks like an athlete and maybe some of our guys can get something out of him or we've taken him away from the competition and they don't have him. And, you know, he'll, he'd have a nervous breakdown in that locker room in three months, but I can see them making him an offer. But for the Jacksons? I think the WWE would rather make an offer to fucking Randy and Tito than Matt and Nick. 
I would actually pay to see Randy and Tito team up, even today. If Tito still has any of that afro left, because that was a mighty fine afro. It was. Jim, before we wrap up, I guess, where if you're Tony Khan, where do you move from here? If you're going to go under the assumption CM Punk and the Bucks and Omega at a minimum are gone for a while, what is your what does your program and your promotion look like in the next... What does it look like in the next month, two months, and what do you have to do immediately to change this? Again, bring Jim Ross in, put him in charge of talent relations, see who else is mad at who and how it can be fixed. Fucking immediately, regardless of whether they ever come back or they fuck off and go away forever, do not let the executive vice presidents be executive vice presidents anymore. No wrestlers with any type of office affiliation. If they want to leave over that, help them carry their bags to the fucking car. With Punk, yes, he's been pushed and coerced and instigated and provoked and etc. But still, you got to do something because he buried Tony at the press conference saying all, all that in front of him. And of course... Tony buried himself by not doing anything about it when he heard it in private. That's a great example, though. Like, he should have done something. He should have stopped him. He should have said questions only about this, whatever it may be. And while he didn't do that, I still feel awful for him when I see that. I feel yeah. terrible for the fucking guy. Um, but Punk's going to be out for eight months. So that's enough punishment right there because he's punishing the company. And he, he sure ain't going to want to sit home and recover from another surgery. And also it's punishing the company because they ain't going to have punk for ratings or goddamn buy rates. I would get, uh, after I put Jim Ross on the case of trying to figure out who else in the locker room is going to try to strangle each other and make sure that everybody's contracts that I want to keep for the future are not only written properly, but still have time left on them. Then I would get Jim Ross's and a few other people there, the William Regals of the world, I would get their opinion on which person or persons might be good to put together to start booking the show with absolutely no input whatsoever from Tony Khan. And they would be in charge of booking the, the writing the show formats and booking the talent and working with them to make a cohesive television program from week to week that would start getting people over and building issues that you'd want to see instead of bringing in people from all over the place and then you never see them again and nothing makes sense and somebody's a heel one week and a baby face the other. I like this guy's costumes. So I'm going to let him go 20 minutes in the main event or whatever the fuck. And then I would see about a new legal fucking head since Mega is obviously in over hers. I don't think that's going to happen, but... Well, you asked... None of this other shit's going to happen either, but you asked me what I would do. So I'm telling you, don't ask the question if you don't want the answer. I'd tell Mega to go piss up a rope, and I'd get a legitimate male attorney about 50 to 60 years old that's seen every goddamn thing in the world and is a fucking barracuda when it comes to contracts and negotiations and i'd put them in charge of my legal department because a guy like that's probably not going to be intimidated by wrestlers or want to make friends with them either one is bad because so far everybody i've seen in a position of power that was not in the wrestling business until, until tony decided to get into it 
either wants to be friends with the wrestlers or is intimidated by them. Neither one is a good thing. So, once I'd revamped my talent relations department, and I'd revamped my booking team, and I had revamped my legal department to make sure that <laughs> the fucking legal head is not with the people storming my top star's locker room, then I would go to the network and say, I've taken all of these steps to make sure that the shit show that happened a couple of weeks ago never happens again, especially while we're on your network. Because elsewise, he's what is he going to say? Well, I suspended everybody. Well, the horse left the barn for you did. What are you doing about it to make sure it doesn't happen again? That's what the network is going to say. And he's going to say, well, we're having a third-party investigation. What are you going to make sure, or what are you going to do to make sure it doesn't happen again? Well, we've suspended everybody, and I may not let them be EVPs anymore. They're still going to be around. What are you going to do to make sure it never happens again? I've got a new head of talent relations. I've got a new creative team. I've got a new head of legal. I'm stepping back. Experienced people are in charge, and we're going to have a cohesive program from here on out with everybody either getting along or out the door. That's what you tell the network. But he can't because he's not doing any of those things. I'm done. As the world turns, I'm done too. We'll be back on the drive-thru at some point. I hope you enjoyed this latest edition of the nine-hour experience. <laughs> it's good to listen to on a plane if you have a long plane ride to go somewhere. Where, where are they going to? Fucking Auckland, New Zealand? All right. We were going to talk about other things, but there's there's just no more time. So we'll be back in a few days to talk about other things on your program, The Drive-Thru. Right, Brian? Yes. I can't believe we just did another show this length. Yes. I'm looking at the times right now. <laughs> and and I hope everybody appreciates the, hey, I got figures on sale next weekend. Don't get used Jesus. to this. I'm going to have to be signing figures for two months. But anyway, folks, until the next Hey Rube happens in the locker room and we will be here to report on it, for Brian and the rest of the Arcadian Vanguard Network, even Kippelman, it's JC saying thank you, fuck you, and bye-bye, everybody. Wednesday nights I get to stay up late Which Kenny Omega while I masturbate Hey, Mom, I need to watch the show Meltzer says I'm in the key demo Meltzer says I'm in the key demo My mom's basement. I steal her Wi-Fi, not payload. A W school. We've got indie stars drop back from wrestling school. Like children at the top of a car. He trained himself in his own backyard. And this is shit everyone should get. Well, everyone. Except Jim Cornette Wednesday nights I get to stay up late Which Kenny Omega while I masturbate Who needs women for hanging round in bars When you can watch the Bucks get seven stars When 